darling Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Oh, Patricia, my darling, Patricia, I can see all my dreams in your eyes. Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day. You're much fairer than Aaron's blue sky. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make... You're much fairer than Aaron's blue sky. Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love with you. Patricia, my lovely Patricia, you could make all my dreaming come true. My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. I'm falling in love. Hello everybody, it is Saturday night, March the 24th, year 2018, and how many songs do you know that have My Heart Is Doing and Patricia No Fooling, huh? <laughs> I just never heard of a drooling heart before. <laughs> Hi everybody, it is Saturday night and we're here together to be with you. Hello Walden, how was your week? Oh, the week was Good, we had a little rain Thursday, a little drizzle, 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 but you know, we made it through the week, uh, the roof has survived, we have a new roof on, so that's a good thing. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and it's not leaking. It's not leaking, and it's almost two, you know of. two years in process. Dad's roof is up, so we're pretty happy about that. Dad's no longer on the roof, so we're pleased about that. You know, how many other... That he's no longer on the roof. Roof. How many, 80, on the roof. How many other 87-year-old <laughs> men do their own roofing? I don't know. You know, he'll be... I do not know. He'll be 87. And I'm awfully glad. <laughs> he'll be 87 <laughs> in July, so, so you know. Any, any, any roofers out there? Have at it, you know. He started when he was ten, 
put on his first roof and just wrap that one at age 86. So just just put it out there. Put it out there. Oh, my word. <laughs> oh, my word. Anything to make a wreck out of me, right? <laughs> I know it. I know it. Indeed. I know it. Well, can I do? Oh, you you tell people what you've got, and then I'll tell people what I've got. Well, we kick. What we have you do. Got? We got live phone calls tonight at seven one four five four five two zero seven one. The phone lines will be open. Uh, our friend Jim Taylor has a book review in an hour at eleven thirty, so we'll put him on Skype. So that way, if you want to call while Jim is doing his book review, he just got done reading the second volume of the Frank Sinatra biography. And so he wants to give us a, a, a book review about that. And so we are the very educated learning cert uh, of people around here. You know, we take that to Patricia. She's the reader of the pack. <laughs> the reader of the pack. That's cute. <laughs> Thank you. So that's, and then uh, I talked to Rebecca Stout this week. Next out, daughter, oh, great. and uh, talk to the p- p- past president of the No Wolf Fan Club, the Wolf Pack. So we're, we're working on something to have with uh, that Patricia can interview in a No Wolf historian. So I figured that will make Patricia happy. Okay, she loves that will make Patricia happy. I love Nero Wolf. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So that's what I have. And just remind everybody, next Saturday, a week from tonight, it's a big night around here. It's the night before mm-hmm. Easter and all through the house. Not a creature is doing, <laughs> not even a mouse. Anyway, we're going to have a special live guest, Marion Ross, from the TV show Happy, Di- Happy Days. has a new biography coming out this week. And Patricia got an advance copy so she's browsing through and she she'll did, be she did. she'll be reading the book and asking questions next Saturday and then after the interview the poet laureate of Yesterday USA <laughs> <laughs> Barbara will have a poem based upon either baseball which she put two thumbs down I don't know why you know what can I say uh, Easter or April Fool's. So I think she's learned lean to the buddies. So we'll find out next Saturday night what Barbara has in store. So with no further with no yeah, f- with surprises. no f- mm-hmm. with no further ado, here it, yes. here it, here she is, the Patricia from Florida, the mouth of the South, the lady who wears bunny ears when she feels like it on Easter, Patricia. I do. <laughs> it is I, the mouse of the house, or the mouth of the south. Yes. Yes, we've got the mouth of the south. You asked, uh, we, we had a, a question back and forth, Walden and I did before we got on the air, about the salaries that Congress gets, the Senate and the House. And I found the salary, which is, I think it's respectable, but it's out of line with <laughs> lawyers and places like that, people like that. So anyway, they get, um, let's see, what did I say? Members, All members of the House and the Senate get $174,000 a year, plus benefits. I think they have a lot of benefits. What tickled me so much, and I started to laugh, is that there are limitations on what they may do. They are allowed to work outside of Congress, but they may not earn any more than 15% of their congressional salary. 
I did not know that there was a limit on that. <laughs> it, yeah, fifteen percent. I, I mean, I really didn't. I thought I thought they could go home when they spend so much time at home mm-hmm. and be involved in their businesses or whatever they they do normally and just collect as much money as they could and come back. But that's not true. There are some restrictions, however. There are some things that are prohibited. And one of the examples they gave in this, it is the Chronicles of something, I don't know. Um, No income is allowed from fiduciary relationships, which are business associations where an individual is trusted to manage the money of or assets of others for, for Congress. I thought that was the funniest line I have ever read. So that we means if I'm a stockbroker, okay, yeah. I used to have a stockbroking license or a financial planner, I would uh-huh. not be allowed to be right. on Congress. Oh, well, no. <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to be you'd have to be Congress first and and uh, stockbroker second. Yes. And your stock sales could not. No, they're they're talking about having fiduciary relationships. And that's what and that's, businesses are, are assumed. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and generally that's the terminology we use as a stockbroker and financial producer relationship. Yes, yes. And, as of, and indeed, you are in, that's, that's the business you're in when you're a stockbroker. Um, but the, Congress can't have it. They're not allowed to take yeah. care of other people's monies, money or assets. We just give them trillions of dollars to do in Congress, <laughs> but they're not allowed to do that in private life. Well, considering how well they manage our money anyway, I'm surprised. You know, what can I say? That's what made me laugh so much. <laughs> <laughs> that of all people to to restrict from fiduciary responsibilities, mm-hmm. it's Congress, Senate, and the House. <laughs> I think that I really that was oh, let's see what kind of benefits they get. They get health insurance. Yep. Um, they get I life think insurance. They used to get at least a million dollars for each. For each, just to pay for their staff, it's probably gone up since then. Right, now it's like thirty years ago. A million. A million dollars a year, yeah, and most of them could have up to eighteen staff members. Staff <laughs> is making more than they are. Uh, okay, let's see. No, it's not a million dollars. Cost of living in the District of Columbia is higher than most other districts to help defray costs. Um, they are allowed to deduct from their federal income tax up to $3,000 of living expenses. They are also given allowances to meet costs of staff, but it doesn't say how much. Hmm. I'll have to look that up, right? Mm-hmm. Eventually, yep. And it look is- it up, Patricia. <laughs> <laughs> I can do that. Congressional staff salary. Mm-mm-mm-mm. Of course, there used okay. to be you should be franking privileges. I know, you should be some senators in the big state. You should spend over a million dollars a year in postage, but they didn't have to pay for. It. They don't have franking privileges. Yes, they do. If you're in uh, if, if you're in the Senate, yeah. That's why some that why some of them end up spending over a million dollars a year in in stamps that they didn't have to pay for. I did not think that they had franking privileges. Let's see how much they're allowed, if there is an allowance. 
Mm-mm. I have to type with one hand because the other one. You want to put the phone down? That's okay. Yeah. Huh? You want to put the phone down? That's okay. Oh no, I would not I do that. Franking Brothers allows members to mail and do signatures. I'll be darned. Kind of, um, the house can do it also. <laughs> no wonder we get so much mail when it's <laughs> election time. Um, it doesn't say that there are any limits on it. Oh, this is terrible. This is terrible. Oh. Okay, I'll do. I'll do my best to hold. <laughs> 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 this is just awful. Just awful. Okay, so anyway, that's my story with salaries. But wow. the fun thing that I found, just doing what happens when you find a link that's interesting and it has links that look just as interesting, and you bunny hop throughout the internet. And I bunnied hopped into the real estate listings obviously it's not for sale there's a, a a net location called zillow.com z-i-l-l-o-w.com and it deals in nothing but real estate you can put in any address in the united states of america and it will come back with information real estate information how much the even if it's not for sale you'll get information if it's for sale, you'll get the sale price and who just everything that you need to know. So Patricia's put in 1600 <laughs> Pennsylvania Avenue. <laughs> and, and what I came up with is an estimated market value of $397.8 million. That's how much it's worth. Um, the outside so, so, so Patricia, when possibility. Are we, when are we moving in? When, yeah. when are you and I and the family going to move in? Well, it seems that <laughs> <laughs> with 16 bedrooms, we might get lost in there. That's true. So it's got all of, all of the traditional items here. It's got, um, it's a single-family unit, <laughs> can you imagine, <laughs> built in the year 1800. Heating is forced, forced air, central cooling system. Parking is off-street with an attached garage. How big? Yeah, I mean, this is just so cool. And it's a finished basement. That's where the bowling alley is, I think. Um, how how big do you think the property, the lot size is? Oh, 20,000 square feet. Well, I, we're doing it in acres. Oh, I guess I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is the, the property, yeah, the lot size. Yeah, okay, 10, acre, 10 acres. 10 18 acres. 15 acres. Wow. 18. 18. Well, 1-8, one yes. 18, okay. And we get the, the tax history on it. Um, we don't have taxes on that one. We and don't. the neighborhood is downtown. And the home expenses, we don't know <laughs> too much about that. Nearby schools in Washington we do have. And home shoppers are waiting. And you can fill in your name and address and stuff in here if you're an interested buyer. I wonder it's a traditional. I yeah. wonder. I wonder how much Harry spent to upgrade the White House. You know, remember, he and Margaret and Beth lived over next door to the Boyle uh-huh. House, and they had a remodel yes. job. So I wonder how much. I wonder how much. Uh, the number, the number fifty thousand sticks in my head, wow. but I will look it up. Who's on the phone? Well, I guess we'll find out. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Yeah. 
Hey, John from Winter Haven, Florida. Hi, John. How are you? Well, John, how in the world are you? Well, I'm still here. We take that. I, I'll bet that, and you can even dial a phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. The roofing, when I was 15 in Indiana, when mm-hmm. I was 15 years old, they changed mm-hmm. the age that uh, a person was uh, able to work. Okay. 15. And uh, I worked for a roofing company. Wow. Earth Goslin Roofing. Okay. And uh, we'd get up on the old big barns and three-story buildings, and I'd carry shingles weighed about, I think, 65 or something like that, pounds, or maybe not quite that much, but I'd carry a, a, a bundle of roof uh, shingles up on the roof, yep. flop them, we'd tear the roofs off, and, and I probably made a buck an hour. <laughs> Which, I guess, what year was that? What In, in what area? Of years, oh, uh, in the forties, fifteen or uh, twenty-eight uh, to thirty-eight in the well, it was around probably forty-four, forty-five. Okay. Well, Dad, remember right, so during my, the during the war years? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Okay. Well, it, my dad remembers in the late forty, a buck an hour. Um, a man could support a family for on a buck an hour. That was considered okay. pretty good. I didn't make a buck an hour, though. I <laughs> probably probably made fifteen bucks a week or something. And this was just during the summer. Wow! Because uh-huh. I was in high school. How many hours did you work? Uh, I'd be to work about uh, eight o'clock, and we'd work till five, six o'clock at night. Wow. So did you, did you ever oh, go wow. back? To, did you ever go back to roofing after school, John, or did you decide no. that wasn't oh, for uh, you? And I had another job, but the thing of it is, you couldn't get a fifteen-year-old to do that nowadays if their life depended on it. It's definitely a different. No, it's of definitely, course not. It's, That's hard work. It's a hard work, and my dad did a shingle roof, which is very rare nowadays to do a shingle roof, and for most people, that's very tedious work, and. Uh, finding people to do that could be hard, you know, it's just... Uh, oh, yeah, but then I've known guys 60, 70 years old uh, to uh, re-roof their houses here in Florida. Yeah, yeah. And Because uh, we're I'm tough up, here. Up on my roof a couple, three years ago and put three coats of tar on a little flat roof I had, and I wasn't supposed to get Jeez. up on roofs anymore. <laughs> so I have to up, worry about you, too? I'll be, uh, well, I'll be 90 in September. Oh, congratulations, John. Well, don't congratulate me yet until I get there. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) September what? What's the date? September 2nd. September 2nd. That's a good number. That's when when the Japanese asked to sign the paper to surrender in World War II. It was on September 2 in the Battleship, Missouri. But, uh, you talked about hummingbirds. You were going to talk with somebody yes. about hummingbirds, but mm-hmm. I never did hear anything about it. What did, did you interview them? No, we never found anybody. No. So, oh, so you you could tell us you, something. You'll be our interview. Yes. Uh, um, oh, about in uh, ninety-five, ninety-six. I uh, I wanted to. Uh, I belonged to a magic club, and I wanted to do magic, and I got uh, uh, white doves. 
and then uh, and then uh, I thought, gee, that'd be neat to release, you know. But you can't uh, for weddings and funerals. But you can't release doves. They they don't know how to eat. They die. Oh. I got oh. homing pigeons, and uh, I uh, built a little uh, house on my property, and I raised up to forty birds. And uh, I had a nest where you know they could lay eggs and so forth, and to train mm-hmm. them, because uh, you know they you just can't take them out and let them go. Right. I trained them in meal time. When it was time need, I fed them in the morning and the evening, and uh, mm-hmm. so I would uh, put the food out, and then I would take the birds individually outside and push them through the opening, and then they'd jump down and eat. And, then, uh, and I did that with all of them, you know. Okay. And then uh, uh, the next uh, the time I would take them, I would set them on the outside cage because I had a cage on the outside where they could uh, drink water and roost on the outside uh, in a cage if they wanted to. So I'd set them on a cage, and they would go in. Then I would take them up in our backyard and let them go, and they'd fly out. And I'd uh, do that a couple of times, and I'd take them a block away, and then, uh, you know, six, eight blocks or a mile, you know, and, and I'd train them like that. And uh, they always didn't come home. Uh, and one time, I was uh, about a mile away, I was at the shopping center, and I saw a white pigeon, and I knew it had to be one of mine. <laughs> I was roosting with other birds, so I came home and got my two or three other birds and took them out and released them. And that uh, other bird saw them and joined them and came back home. Oh, my goodness. But oh, my. Look what follows me home, Mom. <laughs> I had uh, up to 15 little things I had made by hand that looked like a, like a little plastic pocketbook. It was this perforated plastic so they could breathe, and I'd take them in a cage, and I had it so uh, um, I would put them in during a funeral when we got in at the cemetery, mm-hmm. and then the family would hold what, however many that they needed, and I wrote the verse to, to recite lots of times, and the funeral director didn't want to do it, so I would recite the uh, verse, and then the people would let the birds go. And they would fly oh up my. and get in a group and circle around and head for home. Wow. And I also had a cage that held almost up, to, I think it was around 30. I sent that uh, preview to you on my video. Wow. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And it was so cute. Yeah, they just and, all and exploded. It was like they exploded out of their, their cage. Yeah, and I made it so you wouldn't see the lid open. The, the lid opened at the top, and it was a double uh-huh. lid, you know, so each side would open, but you couldn't see that. You could only see a, a square velveteen thing with the you know, little ribbons on it. And uh, uh-huh. when the time came, I, would, uh, I could stand 30 feet away and trigger. I used a uh, car door lock, you know, which you press a button and the uh-huh. door uh, opens, you know, and that would release oh my gosh. things, and they'd start flying out, and as you saw, one, two would come out at a time, and it seemed like a hundred come out, 
and then they would all circle around and head for home. And head for home. How long did it take you to train the average pigeon to come home? Oh, maybe five, ten days. That's it? Just and one time. What day. distance would... Go ahead. Oh, yeah, they, they learn very fast. Each day, you know, I would take them and take them a little further until I mm-hmm. took them a couple blocks away, and then I'd take them all, you know, when I took a couple blocks away. And, uh-huh. And, uh, How, what, what, is the, what is the greatest distance you ever took them and they came 30, home? 35 to 40 miles. Holy cow. Wowzers. I had 30-some uh, birds at one time, and the, the doctor told me I had a lung problem. I had to give it up for five months. And I couldn't, you know, oh, yeah. get in the cage and feed the birds and clean the cage. So mm-hmm. I gave them all away. And at the end of six months, oh. uh, I hadn't changed. Uh, so I bought uh, 30, I think it was. And here in Florida, we grow strawberries. And they released 500 hawks in this one area, they stated. Oh, no. Paper. And they started coming over this far, and I would be uh, training new birds. So, and, and so I got new birds, and I paid $30 a piece for a bird. Woo! Take wow. the first time 30 miles and release them. And uh, mm-hmm. when they, but you had, they had to know where to go. That's why you had to train them. And, right. Um, uh, I would uh, have one in my hand and to, to release it just at the birdhouse, and a hawk hit me and took the bird and scratched my hand. Oh. That's how it Oh, my was. gosh. And I would be out in the backyard with a bird, kind of working with it, and I would stand. You know, your peripheral, your peripheral vision picks up a lot. And I'd mm-hmm. we've got about five or six great big tree, property line trees in the next neighbor's. And so, you know, they had great big limbs, and you could see through the trees in the summer, and it was sunshiny. I could see a movement. Mm-hmm. So I would just stand there and not do anything. And then I would spot the movement again, and it'd be a hawk. And oh, my gosh. Why did they release the hawks? To uh, kill the birds that eat the strawberries. Oh, well, I missed that. I missed that step. You know, in February... That's incredible. February, uh, the the robins and birds go back up north, and they go through these areas and eat the strawberry plants, and mm-hmm. and so they want to keep it clean all year long around there. And that's and and uh, so anyhow, uh, out of the the bunch I bought, it was thirteen or fifteen I bought, and uh, mm-hmm. I uh, had them train and took them out thirty some miles and. Uh, then uh, uh, I'd be releasing and whammo, uh, you know, and uh, only I got down to only a couple left, so I I gave them uh, away and quit. Oh, all right. I have two questions. Yes. And the first is, where did they find five hundred hawks to release? How did they get them? Probably somebody uh, raises them, and. Uh, and I know at one time you could get, I think it was eagles, you could train around airports. 
and uh, you'd go out, and they would uh, uh, release them, and they would chase all the birds away mm. when planes were landing. Did you know that? Yeah. And uh, yes, I I tried to. Well, no, I I didn't know about the eagles. We have dogs that run out and chase the birds. Well, he's, uh, you could get eagles and. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. or, or something I can't remember what the bird was, and it was quite complicated, and you had to have a license to do it, and I didn't want. Oh to yes, do that. that's amazing. So, okay, the second the second question I have: You gave your first set of birds away because the doctor told you medically you couldn't have them for five months. Yes. The person who the person you gave them to. Did he have any trouble having them come home to him, or did they try to get back to you? Well, they retrained them. No, I never had any come back. He was uh, you, 60 you didn't. miles away, I think, at that time. And, uh, mm-hmm. and they, uh, they probably, uh, you can retrain them, you know. And, uh, yeah. And, uh, well, this is, just, this is just fascinating. You always have a wonderful story for us, John. And also... The racing birds, they sell for mm-hmm. 20-some hundred bucks. And wow. I had an acquaintance in, uh, that uh, had a racing birds, and he was out uh, and releasing me. He saw a hawk, and he shot it, and someone saw him shoot it and called the sheriff's department, and they arrested him. So I always said, oh, it was yeah. okay for a hawk to kill your living, but you couldn't kill the hawk to make a living. that is the truth that is the truth my grandfather used to keep pigeons homing pigeons Uh and he he would give give some to my poor uncle who had to drive them way the heck out in the country and release them and he would wait for them to come back home but we mentioned racing pigeons and I seem to recall that he also raced some of his pigeons oh yes I don't know how he would have done that yeah, they have racing places every year. I, I don't recall now. I knew more about it years ago, but uh, mm-hmm. um, you know, you could win thousands of dollars. Oh, that would have been, he would have done that then. <laughs> he, <laughs> they was, would take, he was a bit of a gambler. He loved that stuff. They would take him. Oh up, yes, he would do it. You know, hundreds and hundreds of miles mm-hmm. uh, to race them back, but. Uh, I would have a group of birds I would release, and and normally I would almost beat them mm-hmm. home because at the cemetery, it was at the end of the cemetery service, so I'd just load the mm-hmm. kids up and head for home, and I'd go out on my back porch and set, and we had a, a backyard tree that the limb was horizontal, and you could also hear a swooshing sound of all these birds coming in, and they'd land on uh-huh. the edge of that tree, and then they'd sit there for a little bit, and then one by one they'd jump and go in the birdhouse to oh, that's water. Oh, so fun. So, that is so fun. Oh, John, a, you, are, you are a treat for us. So, John, if you raise pigeon, did you ever re- raise rabbits? No. I was just thinking of the, there's a famous... Henry Aldrich show in 1940 where he raised pigeons oh, yes. and raises rabbits. So that's oh. that's <laughs> got me thinking about the rabbits. I never yeah, had the pigeons rabbits. Didn't, but, uh, the pigeons didn't work out, so he started to raise rabbits and didn't realize how fast they reproduced. <laughs> <laughs> it was an excellent show. Well, John, I really enjoyed your 
your story, and I appreciate your calling in. Thank you. Okay, and we'll talk with you again. Keep the top sides up. Oh. All right. Okay. <laughs> and you behave. Thanks, John. Okay. Bye now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's wonderful. 714-545-2071. So have you ever raised rabbits out there? That's our next question. Have you ever raised rabbits? 714-545-2071. Never raised bunnies. But I do have a theme for tonight. Yes. Just in case we run out of stuff to talk about. Mm -hmm. I would like... Real people or fiction, people we know by one name only, except for presidents. You know, we, we talk about Jimmy, and we talk about, um, if, we, if we say Tyler, everybody knows. If we say Ike, you know it's, it's Eisenhower. Mm-hmm. So no presidents, but examples for like Cher or Madonna, Einstein, you know who I'm talking about when I say Einstein, Fibber, we know who Fibber is, so... Give me a call with names. You only need one name to know who the person was. 714-545-2071. And we're here. I'm listening. (laughs) (laughs) I found a link. I'm telling you, I, I just got traveled all over the place today. I was looking for, and it's just coming up now, nicknames of presidents. Mm hmm and there were a couple of honeys. My <laughs> <laughs> um, old rough and ready, we know things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have, oh, uh, let's see, rail splitter. You would know who the rail splitter is, yes? I think yes. that's Abraham Lincoln. That would be Abraham Lincoln, yeah. yes, yes, yes. And we have um, the Teflon president. Yep, Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan. Why did they call him that? Oh, I guess... I, Was it because I, of, of the Iran? I don't I think remember. It, I, think that, I think it happened before then. I think he was, got tagged out pretty early within the first year or two. They called him the tough one. Oh. And oh I, how and, interesting. Yeah. You know, he... I, and I, I'm assuming it was a fellow... It was a fellow Democrat who made that statement, but it just never... Probably because, you know, know, they always say that bad news will stick to some people, but Reagan was such a likable personality. Um, Mm -hmm. That's where I think it all came from. Yeah, the Teflon president. I I had never heard that one before. Really? Right off the top. Okay, who was was President Malaise? Malaise meaning kind of lazy, lackadaisical. I... I don't know. That's a new one on me. Um, would it be... <sighs> Silent Cow? Coolidge? No. No, that was Silent Cow. It was President Carter. Jimmy Carter. They called President Malaise. Huh. He had kind of a quiet, laid-back yeah. Yeah. approach, but I yeah. have never heard anything like that either. Um, how about Tipper to, how about Tipper to, Tipper to canoe, canoe? Tipper Canoe and Tyler, too, mm-hmm. yes. <laughs> we have Tipper Canoe. Okay, there were a couple of others here. Um, and Ike, of course, we know about. Mm-hmm. The Great Engineer. Hmm. 
some of these are just off Boy, the wall. A great engineer. Well, a lot of our present who were journals, I think, had a degree in engineering, so that's what I'm trying to think. Um, and the, he had two nicknames. One was the chief, and the other one was the great engineer. The chief. The chief. The chief. Or would it and be Zach? Engineer. How about Zachary Taylor? Herbert Hoover. No kidding. Now, where would they have gotten that from? Well, yeah. okay, I think, on the phone? I think <laughs> he, you remember, I think that's where you guys engineering, he was head of construction. So that's probably where he got it. Ah, ah okay. Okay. Hello there, y'all. I'm with Patricia. Hi there. Um, Hello there. <laughs> I'm calling from Florida, too. You are? And, and your first name? Dennis. Hi, Dennis. How are you? Hi, Dennis. <laughs> this is your first call in to us tonight. Is that correct? I mean, I don't mean tonight, but the first call to us. You've never called before? No. Wow, congratulations. Thank you well, for giving us a call. welcome aboard. Uh, I was going to say that uh, um, Jimmy Carter was called, called made a, a, a malaise speech. And that's probably why any somebody might have called him that. That's really interesting. Tell me about the speech. Do you know any any of the background or who he gave it to? Oh, it was a national address on television. Um, uh, well, he has such a laid-back personality. Um, yeah. It, but, Dennis, that... Are you saying that the topic of the speech was malaise? Yes. Um, he made a, a speech in 1979, and he lamented the country had not come together to solve its problems. Ah. He, he never actually okay, well, that sounds, malaise. Okay. That's what the speech became called. I, that rings a bell to me now, as you mentioned it. Um and they gave him quite a hard time, as I recall, from, uh, you know. Not true. I mean, we're facing, when he was president, there was a lot of things just not going right for him in office. It, yeah. was, a, it yeah. was a tough time uh, to be we president. Had, we had the abductions in Iran. Yeah. Um, we had how many people over there? 77? Oh, well, eventually, I think we wound up with 50. I think eventually it got down to 51, but there was a lot more early. And then, mm-hmm. remember, we had You're a right. gasoline shortage. Right. We had a gasoline e- issues and inflation. It mm-hmm. just was not a good time for, yeah, for really to be president. Yeah, really bad inflation. Yeah. 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 And he was going to stay in the Rose Garden, um, you know, un- until the election was over. Mm-hmm. And, of course, he lost it to Ronald Reagan. Yeah. And he, he kept his promise, I'm going to stay in the Rose Garden until the, the captives come home. And they didn't come home, so he was not out campaigning. He really shot himself in the foot on that one. But President Malays, I really appreciate the information, Dennis. I I did not know that, and I never would have remembered it. You're really sharp. <laughs> Where in Florida are you, or would you prefer not to say? Oh, no, I'm up in Lake Butler, which is uh, just outside of um, Gainesville. Uh-huh. I'm, I'm yeah, in South, South Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> So how did you define how did you find yesterday USA? Um, I'm, I think I found it on one of those streaming with um, Icecast or something like that. One uh-huh. of those. 
show Are we... you an old-time radio fan in general? Um, I kind of got into it lately. Um, I, I started at it once, and uh, I think I heard these guys on, um, oh, maybe America Overnight or Larry King, like sometime in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. And I started uh-huh. collecting tapes from Spurdvac. Yep. And uh, didn't really continue it, but lately I've been buying shows and listening to these different um, places that play them and stuff. I kind of like them. <laughs> <laughs> you have you, you have a favorite show? Oh, probably suspense and those kind of escape and and the detective shows. Yep. Yep. Escape was a great program. It was so well planned out, and the scripts were wonderful. One of the things that was nice in the old Spurdvac catalog, which I don't think they do anymore, is they had a lot of music shows. Right. We are we are putting those all online. In other words, the the catalog is online. Uh, so if you go to Spurvac.com, and so Jerry Hennigan put a lot of those music shows in, in back into the catalog. So... Um, if you're ever looking for something, just drop a, a, a note to Spurvac.com, and Jerry's trying to put put a lot of that stuff back in. So definitely, if you're a fan of anything like that, just let us know. Okay, cool. You know? That would be really cool. Yeah. If you are not signed up with Dropbox and you are willing to give it a shot, I can send you a really good collection of many of the things that you're interested in. And we can do it over the internet. Do you use Dropbox? Uh, no, I have Google. Okay, Google Dropbox is yeah. It's it's a place where I can store on the internet. I can store shows on the internet, and you can go and download them. And it's free. It's a free service. Yeah, it's free. So if you'd like to give it a shot, send me an email. I'm at Florida Writer at hotmail.com and I'll send you an invitation. If you click on the invitation, it'll take you to a sign-up, very simple sign-up, and we will be together and I can send you some shows. At Hotmail? Yep, Florida Writer. Florida Writer. At hotmail.com and that's for for our listening family, that's W-R-I-T-E-R. She's a a writer. A professional writer, yes. so that's where. That quite comes. quite a while back, someone was reading back the email that I had given out, and he thought I was a motorcycle rider. <laughs> so he put he had Florida rider. That's why we're so careful about spelling it um, periodically. So, sure, if you send me, if, hmm? yeah, dot com, hotmail dot com, right? Dot com, yes. If you send me an email, maybe we can fix something up that I can send you some shows. And I do have a fairly good collection of music as well. So there might be something on in my collection that you would like to have. So who was raising rabbits? <laughs> Henry Aldrich. <laughs> <laughs> Henry Aldrich. Henry Aldrich. Uh. Have, you ever, have you ever heard the Aldrich family radio show? Yes. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. And Henry and Homer were yep. raising rabbits. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Reproduced a little bit faster than they thought. 
Yeah, I, I, I raised some rabbits when I was a kid. Did you? And, you did. And this lasted long enough to where I found out how they were killed. <laughs> oh. And there was oh, more. No. Um, let me see. And I, I, somebody gave me a rabbit one time. His name was George, and George had like twenty babies. <laughs> <laughs> George, <laughs> Georgette, <laughs> that's cute. George, <laughs> do you remember, or have you listened to enough Fibber McGee to have popped into Teeny's list of pets? She has a pet named Margaret. But it's a dog. <laughs> a male dog. And what was the name of the cat? Oh. Raymond. Raymond. The cat was Raymond. Yes. Yes. But it was a girl cat. <laughs> Fibber <laughs> said, well, why do, why do you call it Raymond if it's a girl? This was a stray cat. And she said, well, that, that's his name. <laughs> Somebody gave him his name. I couldn't call him anything else. So she had a, a female cat named Raymond and a male dog named Margaret. Margaret. You had a rabbit named George, and it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't, definitely. <laughs> it wasn't. That is so cute. How many rabbits did you wind up raising? Oh, probably, probably 15 or 20. Wow. Over time, you know, over, you know, four or five years. Would it be in the backyard? What did you have in the, in the house? Where would you raise them? Uh, I was at the beach. <laughs> and um they were yeah there we had a we built a rabbit coop in uh-huh. the backyard uh-huh. i had to reproduce well you know normally rabbit lived about two years and i had a rabbit she lived to six years old and that's very for a rabbit years that's a long time you know uh she she yes. she had two litters, but she was not a really good mother, so she didn't take care of her babies. But uh, so I never wound up got a chance to raise small buddy rabbits. So just just get old hoppy. I thought it was a boy. No, it was a it was a it was a woman. It was it a was female. A girl. A girl, a girl rabbit. Huh. How about that? You know. Now, Dennis, your your bunnies did they reproduce for you? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was that was an enthusiastic yes. How many bunnies did you get from your hutch, newbies? They usually have. They usually have fifteen or twenty. Wow! At once. At once, and you had you had fifteen rabbits, and. When you say fifteen or twenty at once, you mean at the same time more than one rabbit at the same time had a babies. litter. Wow. And the, but the the thing the thing was we uh, uh, when I we, they became pets after um, I decided oh. we weren't killing any of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, yes. I understand that. When you say killing them, did your folks cook them? It pains me to say that out loud. No, um, I never killed one. <laughs> it was it, that was the for, idea, though. So maybe they wanted to show. Maybe maybe oh, t- didn't some people use um, rabbit fur as a clothing article? So maybe 
people who would buy rabbit, it, it would be the fur. They, I, I don't know. I, I'm not too sure. Uh, yeah, people people eat rabbits and they they they, <laughs> they use their fur and there used to be mm-hmm. rabbit rabbit feet everywhere. Huh. Oh yes, oh yes. It was lucky for everybody yeah. except the rabbit. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Poor bunnies. I'm so glad you took care of them <laughs> and protected them. Oh, my gosh. Well, Dennis, please send me an email and see whether or not we can connect with uh, Dropbox, and I'll explain how it works, and maybe I can get some shows to you. Okay, thank you. I'll, I'll... All right, that would be great. Thank you for calling. It's really nice to welcome you. Where, whereabouts in Florida are you? I'm in Fort Myers on the, um, in oh. southwest Florida. Oh, interesting. I'm on the you Gulf, know, yeah. You know where Port Charlotte is, right? Oh, sure. That's just north of us, yeah. Yeah. In, in the, I think in the 1950s, my dad built a um, housing development over there. Really? Mm. Which one? Um, I'm not sure what the name of it is. I don't think they built there was one that was, houses in there. It was, <laughs> I think they, were, they, they sold a lot, a lot of lots, but I don't think they built a lot of houses. Aha. Uh-huh. Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. Oh, yes. Um, Florida was very famous for selling lots. That is true. Okay, well, maybe we'll get to talk to you one other week, Dennis. Thank you so much for calling in. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Take care. Good night. Good night. Good night. <laughs> All right. Someone for. Okay. Five four five two zero seven one. The state of Florida being well represented here on the on oh, the yes. satellite show. We'll get Jim Taylor in about ten minutes. So, and we'll put him on Skype. So you can always call while Jim is online too. At seven one four five four five two zero seven one. I have a nickname. I want you to explain to me. Okay. Like Dennis explained malaise to me. Yes. Warren Harding was called Wobbly Warren. Do you I... have any idea why? No. I don't either. I don't. That's such a weird name. I have no idea how that came about. Wow. Wow. All right, here's one, his obstinacy. (laughs) (laughs) I know. Oh, my goodness. Yes. He was also known as the Beast of Buffalo. These are not very complimentary nicknames. Grover Cleveland? Yes. What made you pick him? I was trying to think of, when you say Buffalo, then I was trying to think of, Maybe people came from New York, and I remember Grover uh-huh. Cleveland was the governor of New York, New York at one time, I thought. So it was strictly well, that, a shot out of the dark. That was very good. Now we've got one here, his fraudulency. <laughs> oh, gee. These are not gee. complimentary, you know? Gee. So you don't think that would be a term of endearment by his wife, right? I don't think it was a term of endearment for the people who gave it to him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Grant? It was Rutherford B. Hayes, and no I'm ashamed kidding. to tell you I know next to nothing about him. 
Well, why would they call him his fraudulency? Oh, I I know why. We'll get to the call in a second. Remember, he was in the yeah. three-way race for the presidency and ran up and wound up third. And cause right. it, it went into it. it went into the house, mm-hmm. and uh, he was the third place. But between the brokering between the Republicans and Democrats, basically mm-hmm. what the deal was, everybody, the Republican got the White House, and the Democrat got the promise that the troops would be pulled out of the South. So that's that would, so that's probably why it all came about. That was the backroom dealing. Uh-huh. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Hello there, y'all. Who's with on Patricia. The phone? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> You're not. You're going to have to guess who I am. Is it Dave? Okay. Oh, that was a short game. I know. I know. <laughs> tell I... Walden how many jokes you counted for your one-hour show. Um, well, I, I, I came to a count of 75 in an hour. In one hour. So, and, how many? How, how many guest laughs? Oh, my, oh, oh no, no, no! <laughs> they very well. They, 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 no, actually, tonight I hit a couple of snags tonight, but the audience was a little bit older than my average audience. It was. A, I had a ninety-two-year-old ah. in the audience tonight, and the overall. I mean, there, there was quite a. And a couple of the lines, you know, they missed it or whatever. But, but generally speaking, they all hit. They all hit. So, Julie, that's a good question, Dave. How, what the average you think people attending the event might be from the mid sixties? It, it, it's all over the place. Uh-huh. Uh, well, then you know, it's all over the place. But what's interesting? I was talking about this with my wife tonight. What happens is uh, an audience is assembled now. In my case, most of the time, some of the audience knows each other. You know, it's, okay. it's an organization or a church. Yeah, yeah. But, but generally speaking, an audience in general doesn't know each other. And they all get together and they form a personality. And the audience as a whole, one night will like all the knock-knock jokes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And then another yeah. night they'll like all of the drinking jokes, and then another night they'll. Oh, it's all very weird. It's very odd. But the the personality of the audience is, it's a separate personality. And you after I can say, oh man, that was because of this, or that was because of that, or that was great because of this. It 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 it, it varies every night. Have you ever come across when an audience? No matter what you say, just don't care. Oh, sure. What in the heck do you when do? You do? When you do stand-up, right. that happens many times because your philosophy or your material just doesn't click with them. That's happened. So what, ha- what some, do you do? What? What do you do? Well, the nice part, here's the thing. This mm-hmm. is what I miss about stand-up. The nice part in stand-up, you can say, well, my time's up. Good night now. <laughs> <laughs> And you get the same money. <laughs> if you, you know, I mean, I'm supposed to do, if I'm yeah. supposed to do 25 minutes or whatever, and, and it's not working, I've never had anybody who has hired me for stand-up, because usually there's three or four guys or girls. Um, they know what you're going through, so they'd rather you be off the stage than driving the audience into the ground. 
you know, mm-hmm. want to get out while the getting's good. The trouble with, with now is now I have sold an entire show. So if I'm bombing, these people have paid to see this show. So I have to go all the way to the end. <laughs> no, the news with misgivings, it's got to be all the way to the end. Uh-huh. This show, I, this, mm-hmm. I can do a little cheating and skip a couple of things and cut it a little shorter. If I need to, I, I haven't and probably won't, but I could. Not with misgivings because there are so many callbacks and things like that in the show. Yeah. That need to be I need to tell people who we're talking with, Dave. You want to introduce oh, no, yourself? Or nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, my name is Dave Kane, and I do radio stuff and television stuff and, and, and stand-up and com- com- comedy. And that's really what we're talking about tonight is the comedy. But I just, you know, I know you have a guest coming on, so I won't be on long, but no. I just wanted to answer your question about that. The, that, you know, the, there have been times doing stand-up that's really... Now, this is really funny, and I hope, well, I hope you'll find this funny real fast. Um, first shows, you now, now you do, they do two shows, usually, when we did stand-up, 8 o'clock and 10 o'clock, mm-hmm. right? Right. Now, the 10 o'clock show was always tough, because the audience was tired. Right. Uh, it's a new audience, right, different audience, but they've been drinking already. Right. And they're tired. So you will do joke A at 8 o'clock and get a scream. You'll do joke A at, eight, at 10 o'clock and they're looking at you like you're an oil painter. <laughs> oh, boy. Nothing, right? So second show, second shows are always nightmare shows. Well, one day, a friend of ours who happened to be in the, in the slammer, um, he asked <laughs> if we would come and do a show for the inmate at a prison. Mm-hmm. So, so a few of us volunteered, and we were going to go. So we all went. And the first show was at 5.30. Mm. It was the prison. And the second show was 7 o'clock. That was the latest. <laughs> so we all go. You know, some of the guys just got out of work, barely made it. <laughs> and we get there to do the show. And the first show, 5.30, yells them. I had lips and stuff, and we had a ball. Second show, 7 o'clock, absolutely same room, same material, and nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Whoa. And we were roaring laughing because it was the second show, but it was 7 (laughs) o'clock. We got the right after dinner. What what was different about the second group, Dave? Aside from the response that you didn't get. we We were laughing. Because we couldn't figure it out either. Maybe they, maybe they already had dinner and they were falling asleep. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I don't know what it was. It was just fun. But, I mean, I did stuff that, you know, I'd say, boy, uh, what a coincidence that you all happen to show up wearing the same outfit. Well, And I told him about my father. I said, yeah, I have, um, and I, you know, what? I have, I have one more question before you leave. And can, I have one, too. Can you stay for one more question? Oh, yeah. Thank oh, you, Dave. Sure. We can always get you on the line. And I, and I have a question for Dave, too, after, you do, after your question. Go ahead. Go ahead, Go Patricia. Ahead. Okay. I, I want to talk about comedy timing. With, with a, a comedy show, for example, and, and even writing, you can't make people laugh for, without some kind of a little downbreak in the middle. Does that happen with comedy? Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, you you need to, 
yeah, it, it, timing is everything. Timing yeah. is everything. Have, and, what and what do you do when when you're going to bring them down so that you can bring them back up again? What do you do in that valley? Shut up. Just shut the up. The setups? Um, shut up or set up? No, shut <laughs> up. Just let them... Let shut up. Okay. Yeah, let them finish laughing. And, you know, and let it come down. And then maybe you'll, you may, may look at somebody, do an eye contact with somebody in the audience or make a face. Mm-hmm. Just, you know, just, and, then, and then go into the next piece and then bring in the next piece, okay. you know. So, but usually the best thing to do is just let the laugh, you know, take the laugh, bathe in it. Mm-hmm. Bathe in it until it's over. Mm-hmm. And, and, and timing, okay. and somebody said to me tonight, I was saying very... Thankful. Somebody came up to me and said, "Boy, you've got the best timing I've ever seen." And we, but I mean, Whoa. We, 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 it was very nice. Yeah, it's just you just yeah. know how to how to tell a story. You know, people don't know how Excellent. to tell a story. They botch it up. No. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, what was your question? This is I like trounced on. No, no, thank God. I was wondering. I'm not going to give a name, uh, but it's the three. It's somebody the three of us know. But, um, and Patricia and I have interviewed him. But, uh, this gentleman was a well known comedian slash entertainer slash impersonationist. Yeah. And, uh, there's a story, and I guess it's true. Uh, one time in Vegas, uh, he put on a show and he just walked off the stage under like 18 minutes. He was just not happy with the audience. And, you know, word got around town about that. And I got thinking, if you're a well-known celebrity slash comedian, I, I think, I think the, the standards have to be tough. That you wait, if you're not having a good night, uh, people are going to be unhappy if you're not going to stick to your whole normal routine. Well, yeah, well, that's a little different from what I was talking about. True. You know, well, actually, it isn't. Because that would be the case with me saying with my misgiving, right? Show, with my right. one-man show, right? They are coming. That, that's what I meant about I'm stuck there. You're stuck. To do the whole thing, right? When people are coming to see you to see a particular show, you know, like tonight, um, when they came to see my new show, they are expecting an hour, an hour change worth of material, right? You know, so you are pretty much obligated because technically that's what they've hired you for they've hired you to do that material yeah but with a stand-up because the entire show is an hour and a half or two hours um you get a chance to kind of cut yours short a little bit mm-hmm. and then maybe somebody else will do a little better and right. they'll do a little more time right because that's what i've done before when someone is Maybe a new kid, you know, the open micer, and he panics and right. he pops out. You know, he, he says, overnight, you know. And I've had to kind of extend my piece mm-hmm. to make up the time of the show. Right. You know. But normally, if you're, you paid to see whoever that person is you're talking right. about, uh, and he bombs or he's bombing or he's upset and he walks off, that's when you walk to get your money back. You know, that's what I was wondering. I mean, I would say people would have would have the right, and I don't think the uh, the box office could 
hold it, right? I mean, if he, if he walked under 30 well, minutes or, what, or well, 18 minutes. Impl- yeah, there's an implied contract. If, if he normally does, uh, I don't know, an hour 10 or whatever he does. Right. I mean, if he normally does that or that's what they expect of the show. And then, no, the same thing is true if somebody got sick. Yeah. You know, people get ill or whatever. Or yeah. They have it, they, you know, and, and they give the money back. Right. They just give the money back, cancel, you know, get, the show gets canceled or postponed or <laughs> cut down. You, you get your money back, you know. Or they'll give you tickets to another show, you know. They'll give you comps, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, it, it's, it's rough in Las it's, Vegas because it's, it's such a transient audience. Mm-hmm. You don't get the same audience and the same people in the area, so giving them tickets to another show probably wouldn't work at all. They'd they'd have to eat the gate. Well, there's fourteen. Well, there's fourteen thousand shows in Vegas. I mean, they can give them comps to another show in another hotel or in another place. I mean, yeah, they have recips that they do reciprocals that they could do, and they could do that. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, they buy them a drink. You know, there's a bunch of stuff you can do. I'm just thinking but, something funny about that. One time, my friend and I went to a movie, and the, but we didn't realize the, the movie went until we got it was all in a different language. And she started to break up. And she said, "One more leaving," so we went up and they refunded our money after nine minutes. Saying, "I'm not going to be able to explain the wall and all the all the captions, the, the English right. translation." Well, also, wouldn't it be somebody should have told be, you on the way in for heaven's sake? Yeah, yeah. Oh wouldn't my gosh, that's funny. That is really. I'm so glad you could laugh at that, but that's really funny. Wouldn't it be funny if it was a German movie and you up and asked for your money back in German? <laughs> would be good right that would be good i think i think it's just funny that walden's going to a movie (laughs) yeah that amused me in the beginning when when i first heard it yeah it is amusing but now the people this one behind you walden captions behind you and tell the person that is sitting next to you saying shut up (laughs) well what i do when i go to a movie i like my partner to verbalize Things really shortly. Get, okay, just say living room, dining room. Yeah. That way, I can paint. I don't like, can I don't like the, the miss when there's dialogue on the screen, and she's trying to paint the whole. You know, give me a, mm. a page description. I don't want that. I want get, give me a quick. Okay. Hey, yeah. And that way, then that way I can concentrate. The tough movies are. Um. Remember there was a big movie with the English Patient. That was a big-time Oscar award-winning movie 20-something years ago. And the problem with that film, it was a lot of it was flashback. You know, with the nurse taking care. But I was able to figure it out because every time they had a flashback, they played a piece of music of that period. So Mm -hmm. I don't think most people probably would be not aware of that, but that's how I was figuring it out. It's when the flashback scenes happen. But then when I went to Godfather, when I went to Godfather Three, I was lost for the last forty-five minutes because there was no word spoken in the last forty-five minutes oh, in the chase scene. Oh, jeez! <laughs> I remember when they had uh, when the cable first came on, mm-hmm. and they were showing the uh, movies, and the guy did the narration over. Yeah, and he'd say, "John walks to the door." Yep. He sees a man through the window, you know, like that. And it was ongoing through the entire movie. 
those devices are actually movie theater, but it cost each individual movie theater, and this was like 20 years ago, $75,000 to have that system put in. That way, blind people can wow. wear a headset. That's why you don't see too many. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. Very, yeah. It was, I, it was, I used to watch it. And I said, Boy, this is cool. I thought it was pretty cool. But <laughs> I guess it's not. If, you know, if you don't need it, I guess it's not. That's true. I don't know. That's true. Well, listen, guys, I just wanted to call and say. Thank you, Dave. And uh, I'll be talking to you. And Please do. I can do for cool. you. Let me know, okay? Patricia, I'm glad you're doing better. Hang in there. Thank you. All right, Dave. God bless you. Same here. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, let's go get Jim and see what he got going. He is always fun to talk with. Anybody want additional information about the White House? <laughs> that just cracked me up that 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue was listed. Welcome to Skype. Call Barbara Smith, Patricia Opp, Sammy really Dupre cool. from Chicago, Jim Taylor, New Home, Applic, Send Invite a Group Call, Enter Leaving Menus, Contact Jim Taylor, Loading Job Camps, OK, Enter. Has, and I'll save that for Walden when he gets back. All right. We have, are you there? I am. Are you there, Jim? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Hi, All right. Hi, Walden. Hi, Jim. I have, a, I have a question for both of you, and then we'll go and do what we're supposed to be doing. All right, go ahead, Patricia. How many stories does the Capitol building, not the Capitol, the White House have? How many what? How many what? How many floors? How many stories? At the White House? I think, mm-hmm. I think two. I think, yeah, I think Walden's right. I think it is two. And the Capitol, to my not, when we toured the Capitol, it was a ro- the rotunda. Right. We didn't mm-hmm. get to see Congress. I, I think I know the Senate. You have the various galleries, and you have the office buildings, and I'm sure there are elevators in the office buildings. So yeah. I'm assuming we're. I would think so. I'm assuming we're on, huh? On the White House. On the White House, six-story building. Six really? stories. I had no. I thought it was two stories as well. Six stories. I wondering in the Capitol. I I wondering I wondering No, do, in the White House. Yeah, I wondering I uh, wondering though how many could you figure out what's on each floor? No. No. I you know, one thing you might be able to find online, maybe YouTube oh. has it. In nineteen sixty two, Jacqueline Kennedy hosted a television tour of the White House with yeah. Charles Collingwood. Mm-hmm. And it was broadcast on CBS and NBC. I think it was February of 62. Mm-hmm. A one-hour tour of the White House. I think ABC ran it later. But it was broadcast on a Wednesday night. A lot of kids were told to go home and watch this for homework. And maybe you can Google or YouTube and look for Jacqueline Kennedy's tour of the White House. Mm-hmm. And she showed all the rooms, the Lincoln rooms, the, the rooms where the paintings were. And Charles Collingwood was the host, so you might, yes. that might be something you might want to watch. Yeah, and I, I remember that she had quite a comprehensive tour, but six floors and 16 bedrooms. I know she didn't hit everything, but how many bathrooms did we, 35? 35, right, yeah, Walden? something like that. 36, yeah. 35, 36 bathrooms. And, you know, you, and of course, you know that, like, in 1949, 50, it was being re-renovated because they discovered that when the British burned it in eighteen was it eighteen fifteen? Yes. Uh-huh. Some of the bricks had. It was after some of the bricks were badly burned, and 
and they had to do a lot of remodeling. So President Truman lived in Blair House across mm-hmm. the street. Yes. From 49, yes. was it 49, almost to the end of his term. Right, that's why Hacking Patricia. Right. That's, that's why Patricia uh, eventually could we find out how much that remodeling cost. Because I think part of the mm-hmm. problem too, the flooring was done to give away. And, and yes, and under yeah. the piano, yeah. the, the piano punched some holes in the floor. And some of it was as the result of that British burning. I did um, not know that, but it sounds reasonable. And, and and he's right. The Malay speech was delivered on a Sunday night in July of 1979, and he talked about how we were in President Carter, how we were in a Malay. This was when the second oil embargo, when they were raising the oil on us, and there were get lines at the gas stations, and people were uh-huh. just angry. There was even a song on the music charts that summer called "Cheaper Crude or No More Food." I forgot who recorded oh. it. It was a country song. And mm-hmm. the song was critical of the fact that we sent these Arab countries food and gave them discounts. And the, the premise was if they don't lower the oil prices, then we'll just won't send them any more food. My mom, when she was a little girl, she didn't understand this. But remember, she was, I guess Harry Truman decided we, had, we grew so much food one year in the United States. Yeah, we decided to dump it out in the ocean. And my mom thought, oh, that's just a horrible thing to think about because all the hungry people. But she didn't realize what Truman was trying to do is we keep support the food prices, you know, for the farmers. But Yeah, it, it just, but to dump it rather than give it away yeah. to people who are hungry. Yeah. <laughs> well, sometimes we do things that make no sense. Right. And you wonder about mm-hmm. it. But... Hang on. Go ahead, Jim. You, you go ahead and take care of that. That's, but that's, that is the way things are done sometimes. Yeah, true. Yeah. Well, we have a book to I'm do ready. tonight. Okay. Yes. And you may remember a few weeks ago we re- reviewed a book by James Kaplan called Frank the, the Voice, which was mm-hmm. volume one of a two-volume biography covering Frank Sinatra's life from his birth in 1915 till the time he won the Oscar in 1954. Well, for From Here to Eternity. The second book is called Sinatra the Chairman. And for those who might want to listen to the audio recording from NLS, it's DB83627 by James Kaplan. It's over 700 pages. Uh, This picks up the day after he won the Oscar. And... It goes into details, first of all, about his recordings with Capitol. Nelson Riddle and uh, Billy May and people like that. Recordings like Young at Heart and, uh, and others. And, of course, the great people that wrote songs for him, like Sammy Kahn and Van Heusen and uh, songs like Love and Marriage and many others. Uh, which were done for a TV movie play called Our Town, Love and Marriage Was. He goes into details about his movies. Some were great, like Not as a Stranger, got good reviews or mixed reviews. Some were bombs. He did a Western called Johnny Concho in 1956, and he wasn't mentioned in the book, but I know William Conrad co-starred as the heavy in that film. 
uh, he did a movie called The Man with the Golden Arm. They got a lot of praise dealt with drug addiction and and all of that. Uh, it talks about uh, his love for Ava Gardner. Even after they had a, their divorce, he continued to love her and long for her. And many of the songs he recorded were reflections of that. He put a lot of emotion into songs and the orchestration. It talked about his great Christmas album in 1957. And, of course, other conductors who worked with him, like Don Costa and Ernie Friedman and Gordon Jenkins, and many people helped Frank Sinatra along the way produce many of his records. And he made movies like Pal Joey, and he made a movie in 1959 called A Hole in the Head, where he sang the song High Hopes. Now, you might remember in the movie, a little boy named Eddie Hodges was involved in that. But Eddie Hodges could not record with Frank's label because he was a DECA artist. So for the record, he had to get other children to sing High Hopes, not Eddie Hodges. Oh, wow. But it became a classic. And he adapted the same melody to a campaign song for JFK. He was a devout supporter of, of, for JFK in 1960. Uh, many people feel that because of Frank's connections with Sam Giancana and the mob, that that helped JFK. And he did know Sam Giancana and a lot of mobsters. And that was mentioned in the first book as well. Um, he, after JFK's election, uh, his brother, the Attorney General, Bobby Kennedy, and FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover, were leery of Frank having such a close association with JFK. When JFK had a weekend trip to California in 1962, Frank was planning on having him at his place. But instead, for a political expediency, JFK went to Bing Crosby's house, who was a Republican. That hurt Frank very badly. He thought JFK had slighted him. Um... He uh, goes into details about many of the movies, the formation of the Rat Pack with Dean Martin and Sammy Davis and Peter Lawford, who, of course, was a Kennedy relative, married to one of the Kennedy sisters. And he talks about some of the movies they made together. Some of the biggest one, the most successful one was Ocean's Eleven in 1960 about Las Vegas. And he talks about Frank's performances in Las Vegas. And some of the duds he did with the Rat Pack, like Four for Texas and Sergeant's Three, sort of a Western spoof of Gunga Dinn, which was a total bomb, and Robin and the Seven Hoods, which had the great song, My Kind of Town. It goes into the sad story of Frank Jr.'s kidnapping in 1963, and Frank having to pay, trying to pay ransom for the man's, Frank's release, how Bobby Kennedy and the FBI did help Frank, and even if the FBI was investigating Frank, Frank and J. Edgar Hoover had frequent conversations as Frank, as they attempted to rescue Frank Jr., and they did eventually, and Frank and the kidnappers were, did go to prison. Um, talks about some of the movies he made in addition, like, uh, Von Ryan's Express and 
which was a great World War II movie, and um, Assault on a Queen, which was about an attempt by Nazis to hijack the Queen Mary, which was a bomb. Uh, he talks about his marriage to Mia Farrow in 1966, which did not work out. What an age difference there was between them. Um, some of his, more of his songs. Um, in an age when the Rolling Stones had painted black and the Beatles had paperback writer and Tommy James and the Shandells had My Baby Does the Hanky Panky and other 1966 rock and roll songs, Frank Sinatra actually did have a number one record in the summer of 1966, and it was Kempfert's Strangers in the Night, a song which Frank hated, by the way. <laughs> I don't know how many of you know that, but Frank did not like Strangers in the Night. Um, I, I didn't And, of course, that. he added that little bit at the end, Scooby-Dooby-Doo. Yep, yep. La-la-la-dee-da. <laughs> um, but he also had hits like Summer Wind and That's Life. And the famous record he, did with, he did, made with his daughter, Something Stupid, in 1967. Talks about Nancy's career. She eventually divorced Tommy Sands. Um, she married someone else later. And Lisa Hazelwood helped launch her career. And these, these Boots Were Made for Walking became a number one record. He divorced Mia. Um, he was not a Ronald Reagan fan at first, but eventually he did support him for the presidency. Um, he he um, Paul Anka gave him a song called My Way. Even if Frank used it as his theme a lot, he actually did not like the song. Um, he, he did not like it. Um, he made a movie called the detective and a bomb of a western called Dirty Dingus McGee. <laughs> and uh of course he had My Way. He had other other songs, Love's Been Good to Me, Cycles, which was a great song. Um The World We Knew was a great song. Many albums such as Songs for Swinging Lovers and Come Fly With Me and other others. In um uh, 1971, he announced his retirement, but that was short-lived. He came back in 1973, did a few more albums, a few more movies. His health began to deteriorate. There were frequent issues with his connections with the mob. It was often a subject of controversy all through the 60s and 70s. Um, he, got, he was not a fan of the columnist Dorothy Kilgallen or Rona Barrett. Um, who needled him about these issues in their columns. Um, in the, in, and eventually his health began to deteriorate. He had all kinds of personal tragedies. He did marry Barbara Marks in 1976, which was his second, fourth marriage. Um, uh, she was dominating with him. He wasn't really happy with her. He would. He did become a confidant of Nancy Reagan's, and it was strictly friendship, nothing more than that. And one time she told Frank, you ought to just leave Barbara if you're that unhappy. 
but he stayed with her. Um, he lost his mother in a plane crash in 1977. His mother was a very dominant person in his life. He, he did make an appear. Uh, he had other tragedies. In 1990, the love of his life, Ava Gardner, died, and so did Sammy Davis Jr. in 1990. His friendship with Dean Martin was on and off. Dean, of course, when he lost his son in that fire plane crash, all life practically went out of Dean, and he says, I'm just waiting to die. And while Frank would see him occasionally, Dean, all, as I said, everything just went out of Dean's life. Sammy died of liver problems. Dean died in 1995 on Christmas Day. Frank continued, his health began to deteriorate. He had intestinal problems. He had uh, disputes with other people. He and Nelson Riddle parted ways eventually. He did, uh, he, he was... Bon Jovi, the, the man who was with U2, U, the man with uh, U2, I can never, is it, who's the guy that leaves U2? I think his uh, name is Bon, I think his name is Bon Jovi. Bonzo, Bonzo. Yeah. Bonzo, Bonzi? You know what I mean. Right. Bon, bon Jovi, yeah. Bon Jovi, uh, and him became very good friends. At one, he did have a dinner at one point with, with, uh, in the early 90s with, uh, Bruce Springsteen and Bob Dylan, they all had dinner together. Um, he became ill and was performed last. His last performance was in 1995. He talks about the format, the album uh, where New York, New York was recorded. He much preferred New York, New York to my way. Uh, before, between 54 and 71, he made 46 albums and 32 movies. Wow. When he came back to performing in 1973, he made seven albums and two movies, one of them made for TV. And he died on September, I mean on, I'm sorry, not September, what am I thinking about? I think May, May 14th, mm -hmm. 1998. Sure. Um, and he, he was buried in Palm Springs. I liked the book. It, it, it shows that Sinatra was certainly one of the great performers of our time. Oh, oh it also talks about his 1960 special with Elvis that he did. And they sang Witchcraft and uh, Love Me Tender together. You may have seen a clip of that. And that's mentioned. I did not. I didn't know that they did anything together. They did a Timex special in the spring of 1960. Mm-hmm. So, bon Jovi, Bruce Springsteen, and Frank Sinatra is a remarkable combination of people. How did that come about, Jim? Did, did, did you talk about that? I think they just talked about they they somehow they got arranged it. His arrangers arranged it. I some of that I some of it I've forgotten. You know, there's been so many things going. I'm trying to remember. Oh, it's a long book. <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. I, he had a very long life. Now, was there anything in there? that identified a happy time period for him? Oh, some. He was happy for Nancy's success, his daughter. Uh -huh. He was happy from time to time. But I don't think my impression is 
he sang about all of his songs, for the most part, were about melancholy and the loss of love. And I think he truly mourned Ava, that he and Ava never could get back together again. Hmm. That's, that's really interesting. And My Way, the song My Way is probably the most repeated, or you, you'll hear people sing, I did it my way. Just those three words, I did it my four words, I did it my way. And he didn't like it. Why? Apparently was not. Any, was there any reason he didn't like it? Uh, there had to be a reason, but but did anybody know the reason? I'm going to try to reread that again just to be sure, and maybe I can tell you next week. I would really I mean, be I, interested. It was just one of those things like, you know, it, it was successful for him, but he didn't like everything he did. You know, he, Johnny Cash didn't like every song he did either. No. I don't think there's a performer in the world who liked everything that he or she produced. I just can't imagine it happening. But My Way was such a dynamite success and is still referenced so many times. It's one of those forever songs. Nobody is going to forget it. You can understand. I think I can understand why he did not like Strangers in the Night. Why? Well, he thought it was just not a good song. And and I guess that Scooby-Dooby-Doo bit that he put in, I guess he did that as a oh, joke, yeah. mainly. Yeah, I can understand <laughs> that. But when, yeah, when Bert Camper wrote says, it. When I, when I hear someone like Sinatra didn't like a Dynamite song, when I say Dynamite, one that was so successful... The words, the music, the the sound, the inflections, the, there had to be something in there that just really turned him off to be able to come up and say, yes, this was a smash hit, but I hate it. I'm going to go back over that again. Because, uh, yeah. you know, Paul Anker wrote it for him. I didn't and know I guess he either. accepted it. But uh-huh. do you have any idea? What, do you have, Walden, do you ever heard anything about why he did or didn't like it? No, not that particular song. I do not know. But I think it's, I think there were, like I know my friend Kitty Cowan hated Chapel in the Moonlight, even though it wanted to be a monster hit for her. But she did it as a favor to save a song plugger career. Like she just hated the oh, song. Oh, Kitty hated Chapel in the Moonlight? Yeah, she just hated the song. Who hated it? Kitty Cowan. She, she, she hated it. She hated it. And it wound up being number four in the country for her, but she just hated the song. And um, but she did it. Dean Martin, of course, did it later. Right. She did it to save a person's job. Now, did she like "Little Things Mean a Lot"? Though. Yes. Yes. She did because that was just such a dynamite hit for her. It was. But you know, I think. Did she like? Mm Mm-hmm. But did she like in the big band? Did she like? I'm beginning to see the light. Yes. She, and it's she, been a long, long time. Right. She did not like Jimmy Dorsey, though. So that, uh, that she did not like what? She did not like Jimmy Dorsey. Okay. Yeah, uh, because um, Jimmy wanted her to scat, and Kitty was not trained that way. So they had a oh, conflict of of opinion how to handle a song. And Kitty very strong will was very strong willed. So she 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 didn't see the sense of Changing her style once she wasn't trained that way, you know, to do that. Did she like, did she like, um, it's been a long, long time. Yes. She loved Harry James mm-hmm. because they, yeah. 
she it was like going to a party every night. They never bothered to rehearse. You know, so, that's good. Because that, Harry, Harry, he hired people who knew their stuff. So they might rehearse one time, and that was it. The rest of the time was in, in the traveling the bus, getting ready for the gig. He did not believe in rehearsal. The other thing that was interesting about learning about Frank Sinatra, and we learned this in the first volume, too, in movies, like in one of my, the movies I mentioned to you that he did The Devil at 4 o'clock where he had to use a parachute, he only said he, he wanted to do things in one take. And if the director wasn't satisfied, it often caused arguments. It's kind of like when Sammy Davis recorded Candyman. Mm-hmm. This wasn't in the book, but this is just a revelation that I learned. He told the producer, I guess it was Mike Curb, I'll do this one time and one time only. No cuts, no second guessing on it. I'll do it for you this one time. And, of course, it turned out to be the one time that was correct. Yep. Uh, but I give this book four stars, just like the previous really? one. Oh, good. He went into a lot of research. Can you imagine a lot of research to devote time to one artist? Yeah. Was Rocky Fortune, the radio show, mentioned in there anywhere? Yes, in volume one. And what I was it? I thought I recalled you talking about it. Yeah. What you want to talk about it? What What do you What do you recall the book talked about Rocky Fortune? Well, he he thought the author thought the plots were cheesy, but that, but again, that was the author's opinion, and he said Frank didn't think much of it. But yet, I loved it. Of course, I and he talked about the strangeness of like the plots of the stories, like mm-hmm. sort of what John Dunning said. He said in one episode he was hired to be bodyguard to a football player, and he said, "Oh, the magic of radio." <laughs> well, when when Larry and I talked to George Lefferts here a couple of years ago, he's now like 96 or something, he wrote those series, and he said, when I sat down with Sinatra and his agent, they wanted some radio show for Sinatra, so that's what we came up with. And I, I think I it worked. I how they came up with it, but it, they were really weird plots. But he said, problem is, when Sinatra got too busy, we didn't have, it was written for Sinatra, we didn't have nobody else in mind. So, you know, the series just died. So once From Here to Eternity was a success, Frank just moved on. Right. Mm-hmm. I like the book, though. I'll try to re-review that about my way again, because it kind of escapes me right now what exactly his objections were. Yeah. I'm, but, I'm, and I appreciate you're going to that trouble, Jim. It really is a curiosity for me and has been for quite a while. So if you can dig it up, I'll love you to pieces. I love you. Well, I will. And also, uh, he, um, um, that's what I'm going to tell you about. I do notice, though, that for years he used my way as his closing theme instead of uh, put your dreams away, which I always like better. Put your dreams away. I think Walden did, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and nowadays we don't think of Paul, at least I don't think of Paul Anka as a songwriter. I always think of him as a performer, you know. Yeah. He well, I didn't know this. Fine, Apparently, so. he wrote the theme for the Tonight Show. I didn't know that one time. I learned that somewhere. Interesting. Johnny Carson's theme. Yeah, yeah. And he wrote a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Of course, I think of him as a teenage idol, like Diana and uh, uh-huh. 
oh, uh, Destiny and Puppy uh, Love, things like that. Um, hey, I, I, I don't know if I mentioned this, Patricia. I saw that one of your favorite seniors about ready to retire. Who's that? <laughs> Paul Simon. Is he? I heard that. Yeah. He's the, he, do I oh, that reminds me. 70? He did. 70 Warner, yeah. 70 Warner, uh-huh. Yeah. Frank did record a, ver- a swinging version of Mrs. Robinson. Did he really? I, Paul was not too happy with it. <laughs> I would think. Have you ever heard his version of Mrs. Robinson? No, never did. It's real swingy. I've heard it. And he did a version of Bad, Bad Leroy Brown as well. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> that was a honey of a song, too. I can't imagine him doing that. He did. But what I liked, and if I had a criticism of the book, it left out a lot of the singles. It focused more on the albums than the singles. Mm -hmm. It didn't mention Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. It didn't mention, he did do a twist record in 1962, Everybody's Twisting, I think, or something like that. Um, He did uh, Let's Forget About Del Monte, which I always liked. Somewhere in your heart, which <laughs> was a 1964 <coughs> song, and uh, <coughs> hang on, that's okay. You, this yesterday you did um, mm-hmm. a lot of. And, oh, it talks about the formation of Reprise Records. He even did a swinging version of "Oh McDonald Had a Farm" in 1960. Have you ever heard that? No, no. And on their farm, there was a chick. Yes, I have heard that. I have heard that. And he did. I believe it was Frank Sinatra who did um, High Hopes. Yep. Did he do High Hopes? Yes. Yes. Yep. With the ant And he adapted that to a JFK Clinton. campaign song in 1960, as I mentioned. Pocket Full of Miracles, I like, by him, with the kids. I have an interview um, where, where Larry King interviewed Sammy Kahn. And he said, Sammy, how could you go into Frank Sinatra and say, you're going to love this song about an ant and a rubber tree plant? Because mm-hmm, he had high hopes. <laughs> well, Frank did not like, uh, of course, I guess he, you know, when, when you think of Frank picking a song like Your Mama Don't Bark, I can understand why he, someone might have trepidations about introducing a rubber tree plant to Frank. Yes, yes. <laughs> but he did it. But I like the book. So it sounds like it was really well done with the research. It was. Um, I are in a couple of weeks. You've I've done half of Don't Touch That Dial now. I got a hard copy of the book. I bought a hard okay. copy of the book secondhand. It wasn't terribly expensive, so I'm working on a hardcover. And I've, I do not do this. I do not do this. I am marking it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I know. Maybe I'll just... So, we'll get, so when we, shall we set a target date, or I want you to feel better first? Oh, I'm feeling good. I won't tell you how good I'm feeling, okay? <laughs> I'm really okay. feeling very well. Sure. Okay, we've got... Marion Ross, Ross next week, and let's see, when we go to April, 
How about, can we do April 21st? Yes. Okay, that would be two weeks from Marion. Three so weeks. three weeks from today. Mm-hmm. Okay. That would be good. Yeah, three weeks from today. No, 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 be four weeks. See, one week, four weeks. Four weeks, okay, today the 24th. So Marion hit right. the 31st. 31st, 7, 7, 7, 14. And 7, 14, 21. So yeah. that's four weeks. And we're sure, I'm sure we do it about 8.30. Uh, or eco time about 11:30. You want to do 11:30? Yeah. Sure, that would be fine. <laughs> and I'll have it all read by then, and I know you will. And we'll do a joint review. Mm-hmm. That'll be interesting. We've never done anything like that before. Can I'm enjoying the book. Mind? I'm up to the. I've just finished Radio Westerns, so. Uh huh. And they're ready for soap cool. operas next. Okay. So you can challenge if I say something was really terrible and you think it was good. <laughs> Just like the awful shows, we can. That is good. Okay, well, you know, but I'm thinking when he wrote that book, many of these awful shows hadn't even surfaced yet. Even John Dunning, they haven't surfaced yet. Huh? I mean, the awful shows. Well, that's. I mean, a lot of those awful shows aren't even in your in his book, are they? That's why I say Patricia had to. No, they're not. Patricia had cornered the market. She she the queen of the awful shows shows that you know. Yeah, maybe someday you can actually publish an encyclopedia of yeah. Radio Bombs. Radio Bomb uh-huh. by Patricia from Florida. That's a great title yeah. for, for a book. Radio Bombs. Yeah, yeah. Awful show, Patricia. <laughs> so you have a very good evening. Well, thank you, thank Jim. Thank you, Jim, and thank you for doing such a wonderful job on the book. I'll check on that uh, my way again. It's, just, I'm, I'm, it's in the back of my head. It's just like, you know, so many, I've been... Remembering so many things about the book. Oh, I know. There was so much in there. No, you did a great job on the overview. Thank you. Well, it's always a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, we'll talk to you soon, Jim. Talk Thank to you, you later. Bye bye. Bye. Okay, so there's Jim. 12 minutes after midnight, so Patricia will be ducking out here fairly soon. You want to duck out now, my dear? Soon. Okay. Uh, it cost five point four million dollars to renovate the White House. We did it really. In nineteen in nineteen forty nine dollars. Wow. Yeah. That's oh, a lot of dollars. That's a lot of dollars. Yeah. Well you can't buy the you cannot buy the White House unless you have three hundred and seventy one million dollars. <laughs> Make an offer. <laughs> yes. Okay, well, I will just say good night to everybody. Thank you for being with us. It's always so much fun to know you're out there and for the calls, and I had a great time. <sighs> good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. Talk to you soon. And okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. And there's Patricia bye-bye. from Florida, and she will be interviewing Million Ross next, Friday, next Saturday, and that will be a lot of fun. Uh, of course, from the Happy Day TV show. And then Barbara will be with us. After that, we'll hear Easter poem about bunny rabbits. But let's say a prayer first. Dear Lord, thank you for the opportunity of being here. Bless our listening family. Bless the opportunity we have. Thank you for the men and women who serve in the armed forces, Lord. Help those who are in hospital or be going through surgery. Help those who have been going through emotional difficulty or spiritual or financial, Lord. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Okay, well last Sunday we didn't get a chance to complete an interview that that Ray Breen featured. And 
So we're going to run that now. That way you get the whole show. So stand by, everybody. Jaws Professional Radio Shows, KABC Los Angeles. Ray Bray Bream 880123 with Henry Tobias. Unloading Jock Can't OK. Enter Radio Shows, KABC. KABC Los Angeles. Talk Radio 790. The voice of Southern California. Hello, Americans. I'm Paul Harvey. You know what the news is. In a minute, you're going to hear the rest of the story. I'm John Forsyth. Children in many parts of Asia face poverty, but some of the children carry an extra burden that makes their poverty much more difficult to overcome. You see, they're half American, and that can mean a lifetime of prejudice and discrimination. The Pearl S. Buck Foundation gives these special children a chance to survive, sometimes to excel. For more information, call the Pearl S. Buck Foundation, 1-800-523-5328. When the rooms in the decorating magazines don't look anything like the rooms in your house, let True Value Hardware, your store of first choice, help with True Test Easy Care paint. The latest flat finish gives walls and woodwork rich velvety color, High traffic areas need scrubbable gloss or semi-gloss, and scrubbable flat enamel leaves a creamy flat finish, spatter-resistant, true-test, easy-care paint in hundreds of colors is true value. Now, the rest of the story. You know William Penn, founder of Pennsylvania Colony, William Penn? What you're about to hear happened during Penn's rebellious young manhood many years before he came to America. Since his early 20s, Penn was an outspoken advocate of the Quaker religion. Now, the Quakers were much persecuted in those days. Many of their leaders were in prison. By Penn's 25th year, the situation had greatly worsened. So he came to London to assist his beleaguered brethren. Passivity was getting them no place, he decided. Both the Crown and the Church of England must be challenged. The fundamental English freedoms of speech and assembly and worship must be tested in court. So. William Penn staged a confrontation with the authorities. He and more than a dozen others would wind up in jail because of it. But he believed that if the harassment were ever to cease, current unjust legislation must be repealed. Now, there was a recent statute called the Conventicle Act. It had been designed to limit meetings of nonconformist groups, such as the Quakers, the Society of Friends, and that was the law William Penn purposely, flagrantly violated, August 14, 1670, when he and two associates called a Quaker meeting without official permission. It was held at the house on Grace Church Street. Constables, knowing of the plans beforehand, stood outside blocking the doors. Penn and friends demanded admission and were denied, and there they stayed and gathered in the avenue, and soon the crowd outside the meeting house had grown to 300-plus. The constables got nervous. They arrested Penn and two other Quaker leaders. The three submitted peacefully hoping to establish a clear-cut case 
that their freedom of worship had been denied. Well, unfortunately, a scuffle erupted in the crowd, a minor shoving incident, no fault of the Quakers at that, and still it gave the authorities just the excuse they sought. Penn and his two comrades would be taken to court and tried for conspiracy to incite a riot, to incite a riot. Now, remember, I told you that Penn and more than a dozen others were going to land in prison over this. Well, the man that sent him there was none other than the Lord Mayor, Sir Samuel Starling. Remember that name, Sir Samuel Starling, the presiding judge at the trial. Well, the defendants never had a chance. Penn, acting as attorney, was not allowed to cross-examine witnesses for the prosecution. Witnesses for the defense, if you can imagine this, witnesses for the defense were not even permitted to testify, not at all. Yet what William Penn's legal challenge ultimately did accomplish was significant indeed. A score of legal reforms were eventually inspired by that one trial, not because of anything Penn did, but because of something the judge did. In the long run, William Penn would turn to the New World as a haven from the religious persecution he encountered almost everywhere else. But that one court case in 1670 proved a landmark in British law because of the incredible excesses of Judge Starling in his, the judge's, attempt to crush the Quakers. Now remember once again, Penn and more than a dozen others went to jail. But how it happened is, when the 12-man jury returned with their verdict, a verdict which said the Quaker leaders were not guilty, the jury said the Quakers were not guilty, the judge got so angry, he imprisoned not only the Quakers, but each and every member of the jury that had sought to set him free. And now you know the rest of the story. Hi, Karen. Only for algebra. I'll catch you after school. Student drug use in our communities and schools is worse than most adults imagine. Even if this student doesn't take drugs, chances are over half of her classmates will, and many of them will get those drugs in schools. Perhaps you thought there was nothing you could do to protect the kids, or that alone you couldn't make a difference. I'm William Bennett, U.S. Secretary of Education. Now there is a program for your community that can show you how to make the difference for one school or one kid. It's called Schools Without Drugs, The Challenge, and it's sponsored by the U.S. Department of Education and 14 national organizations. Let us send you information that tells what you need to know and what you can do about student drug use. Just make a free call to 1-800-541-8787. That's 1-800-541-8787. Find out how to slam the door on drugs in our schools. A message brought to you by this station and the U.S. Department of Education. KABC, Talk Radio 790. Southern California. giant with us this morning. Good morning, everyone. His name is Henry Tobias. And uh, if you know Henry, then stick around. If you don't know Henry Tobias, you might know his songs, such as Miss You, If I Knew Then, and on and on it goes. 
It's the story of a prolific songwriter, a piano player, a show business personality, and his long and exciting career in the entertainment and resort hotel business. And a book called Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. <laughs> Henry Tobias, glad to have you with us. Thank you, Ray. It's a pleasure. <laughs> How did the title of the book come about, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood? Well, that's the true title. I once wrote a book called Borscht Belt 15 right. years ago with Joey Adams. He left out all the best stuff. And my uh, literary agent back east, Bertha Cloudner, said, why don't you tell your own story? You've got so many fascinating things that happen in the music business. And uh, he left out so many wonderful things in the Borscht Belt, we'll talk about that later, where all the big stars started, and I had the pleasure of meeting them all and starting a few. Are we talking about gross singers? And We're talking about gross singers uh, in Concord in a uh -huh. place called Totem Lodge, which was on the other side of the Hudson River. And uh, she, so the, when it came to titles, I tried a half a dozen. And Milton Brill says, don't, 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 don't mention Borscht because half the country doesn't know what it's all about. But the story is the story of Tin Pan Alley, my music business, the people I met. And then I talk about what he left out of the book in the Borscht Belt because he was never there. He was there before I was. And it sounded like I was also there and that it wasn't my material. So I, it took me 15 years of collecting material. I don't mean all the mm. time. But, and finally, with tw after 12 rejections, we finally got a publisher who said this has a lot of fun in it. The foreword of the book is written by uh, Uncle Milty, and uh, I have to read just a part of it because I think it's great. He says, when Henry Tobias asked me to write a foreword to his book, I, was, I gladly accepted, for I've known him almost all of my life. He was there when I was there. When I first started playing club dates as a kid at Hunts Point Palace in the Bronx, he was there. When I played vaudeville, he was there plugging his songs for publishers. When I appeared in the Earl Carroll Vanities in 1932, he was there. <laughs> and on and on it goes. You were I had, there. I had lunch with Milton today at the Friars. Every Friday we have lunch. And I said, Milton, you know, I wanted you to know that I've been on a lot of shows recently with my book. And I talk about you all the time because you're so important in my life. He says, you know, I, I do the same. It's a mutual admiration society. He said this morning somebody called and said, you know the Tobias Brothers, and I did 15 minutes on you. <laughs> He's a wonderful guy. He really is. I used to sit and watch him at Studio 6B in New York uh, in 19, early 1949 when he was doing Texaco Star Theater in the converted radio studio. Tomorrow night. They're going to have it. Revival of All the right. Texas All Hour. Right. It's called the second time around on Channel 13. Right. I understand. That's right in Los Angeles. Yeah. In Los Angeles, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But it'll be all over the country. Good, good. Because, and don't miss uh, it. Because I'm not the, about to miss it. I saw bits of it with Sinatra and Presley and, and Lewis and Martin when they started. It, it's just fabulous. He used to work with a police whistle around his Oh, neck. yeah. And a towel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And a very... I asked Richard, him, a tough guy. To I, asked, I asked him why, and he said, well, I wouldn't have a voice left by the time showtime came around. They started at 8 o'clock in the That's morning, true. went right on through till 8 o'clock at night. Was, and it was an, he was a bug, he still is, for, for sweat. I mean, he was afraid of drafts and things, and he still has that phobia. Henry, you used to um, 
be the talent coordinator, bring on talent at uh, the Fontainebleau and so many of these these uh, great establishments? Well, uh, what happened is this. I, I uh, unfortunately had a lot of talents that I didn't know I had, uh, and being a songwriter was only one. And Eddie Cannon once said to me, Henry, you've got the iron in the fire, and so many fires, you're putting the fire out. I said, I can't help it because I was writing, to me, writing a song was easy. Miss You took me an, a half hour to write, you know, Katinker I wrote in, in 15 Miss minutes. You took you a half hour to write? Just a melody, because I wrote, uh, you know, s simply, it came naturally. To Joe, me. I never took any Joe, lessons. do you have Miss You? Let's play a little bit of Miss You right oh, here. thrill every time I hear that voice. This man could could sell a lyric like nobody except Sinatra. I agree. Nobody. You knew every word that he said. Yeah. And you know the story of Miss You, may I tell you that? Please tell Ray, us Ray, it's, it's so interesting. My brother Charlie and Harry. Harry is now 92 years old. He's going to be 93 in September. He wrote Sweet and Lovely, Lonesome Old Town, Miss You with me. Mm. Charlie, who's gone about 10 years now, uh, wrote don't sit under the apple tree, old lamp lighter, lazy, hazy, crazy days or something. Once in a while, we got together. Now, there's two lyric writers in a the family. They were both older than I was. I was born in a little town in Worcester, Massachusetts. My father was a tailor, and he moved there because there was no seasonal work. And he came back to New York because my brother said that's where the music business is. So they bought me a piano in the Bronx, and I was only 12 years old. And they said, look, you got to learn the piano because we got to get somebody to play our songs. <laughs> and I met Ray Henry. Anderson and Lou Brown, and, and I met Harry Woods, and all these fellows come up to the house to write. And I fell in love with that music business, so I started writing my own songs and, and picking out my own tunes and, and digging away and working on it myself. And I, and I used to bother them. Now, you know, in the old days, if you didn't bring home a check, you were a bum, right? <laughs> and the folks figured that two bums in the family were enough, so they discouraged my songwriting, and I kept bothering them. Finally, in order to get rid of me, reluctantly, they, they picked this melody. They liked, and my brother Harry had an old title called Miss You that never happened, and he got a release from Feist. And this perfect, he said, Miss You, since you want. So they both wrote a lyric on the thing, mm -hmm. and I kept annoying them, and they reluctantly gave it to the Santley and Joy, who reluctantly gave it to Rudy Valley, who reluctantly <laughs> recorded it, and became my first reluctant hit. <laughs> and now I had to prove myself on my own before I really got my brother's respect. And I wrote a song called Katinka with another fellow, mm -hmm. and George Olson recorded it. And then I met Billy Rose. Uh, you were telling me about. Jimmy McHugh, he was professional manager at that time. When I started, I got my first job with a music publisher at Mills, and I and, and that's where I met Billy Rose and Al Dubin, and they wrote a song with me called Pretty Little Thing that never happened. But Al Dubin, one of the great lyric writers of all times, and Billy Rose, one of the giants in the industry. So I had all these people around that I met, and I had to put it down in paper. So uh, it was a, a giant of a song. Who first introduced Miss Jew? Rudy Valley. Rudy Valley did. R Rudy 
Valley. And can I tell you something? The old payola days they're talking about, it was a common, common uh, practice in our days. It was a cut-in. Rudy Valley would have to have a piece of the song if he made it a hit. Really? And he owned 25% of Miss You for 12 years until Bing Crosby came along to revive it. And we went up to Rudy Valley's manager, Jaime Bushel, and he said, Jaime... Enough is enough. Twelve years is enough. <laughs> this was revived uh, during World War II, of course. Yeah. 1941. Yeah. 42. Great, great uh, war that, uh, uh, Because Harry was friendly with Bing and Dave Cap, who was mm -hmm. in charge of Decca. And he met Bing in an ice cream parlor right on the corner of Vine Street. And he said, Bing, uh, there's an oldie I wrote that Rudy Valley made popular in 29 and the, all the boys are going to war mm -hmm. and this would be perfect for the miss you and bing says you know you've got an idea go down and tell dave i'd like to do it and my harry you know he that old plug of <laughs> harry god bless him he he went on that bicycle and ran right down to the studio and the next day they recorded miss you and bing made it a big hit henry tobias is with us author of music in my heart and Borscht in My Blood, and all those great songs, including Miss You, and of course, uh, If I Knew Then, What I Know Now, and all those greats. We'll be right back. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Have you ever thought about the things you take for granted? Reading the morning paper, jogging, riding a bike, watching TV, playing golf, driving a car. Now, what do all of these things have in common? Well, you need your vision in order to perform them. However, if you suffer from cataracts, you may have trouble with any or all of these things. But you can change that with the medical breakthrough of cataract surgery. You may regain what you took for granted. That's your eyesight. Dr. Cooperman has literally restored vision to thousands of patients. Dr. Cooperman personally conducts all consultations, does all examinations, surgery, and follow-up visits. Transportation will also be provided on day of surgery if you like. Now get a paper and pencil to write down this important number. The number that will restore your vision to you. Area code 213-276-2076. Open Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. The number again is 276-2076. If you suffer from cataracts, this announcement could change your life. Now, thanks to revolutionary new developments in medical science, Dr. Stephen G. Cooperman, a cataract specialist and founder of the American Intraocular Implant Society, can remove your cataracts in a simple and painless procedure as an outpatient without hospitalization. This procedure by Dr. Cooperman is covered 100% by Medicare. Dr. Cooperman is a board-certified ophthalmologist. Call him at his Beverly Hills office to learn more about his operation. Dr. Cooperman also uses the latest diagnostic and therapeutic methods in his treatment of glaucoma, diabetes, and other eye diseases. Call the Cooperman Eye Center now at 213-276-2076. That's 276-2076. Dr. Cooperman will be happy to send you a copy of his book, Cataracts and You, 213-276-2076. Are all diets destined to fail? Hello there, I'm Michael Jackson. Six months ago, we met a group of massively overweight people starting a new program. 
We've invited them back to check their progress. Just one of the topics in the week ahead for our special Jackson at 11 themes. We'll also meet stock market guru Paul Erdman, actor Tim Curry, and funny man Dom DeLuise. Do plan on spending time with us. Michael Jackson, back at it live Monday from 9 until 1, right here on Talk Radio KABC. is your song, Ray Cotta, the orchestra and chorus doing it, great song. Thank you, one of the few songs that I wrote that uh, my brother Charlie used the title of an old hit song, never did that, no professional writer would take an old title purposely and do it, but uh, somehow or other it fit that whole melody and he used it uh, 20 years later and the song that you had in mind was not the same if I knew then. Mm -hmm. Uh, my guest is Henry Tobias, author of Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood and some great, great songs, as well as uh, a uh, writing family. His two brothers have written uh, songs, Sail Along, Silvery Moon, uh, It's a Lonesome Old Town, Lazy, Hazy, Crazy Days of Summer, Summer, Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, and it goes on and on and on, including a a song that I used to sing when I was a kid, Rose O'Day. <laughs> remember that one? Uh, I, well, what's the... You know, everybody... Can you remember that? Uh, well, I do it in my act. I wish we had a piano here, give Ray. Me, give me Ray, the... Uh, you know, the kids nowadays yeah. are writing crazy songs. Yeah. I said, we write crazy songs, yeah. too, in the old days. My brother Charlie had a song that called... It was introduced by Freddie Martin right here at the Ambassador Hotel in Los Angeles called Rose O'Day, Rose O'Day. You're my filigadusha, shinabarusha, ball, the roll, the boom, too. And you know, that's not a dirty word. Where, where did that uh, Well, it, it happens to be an Irish Gaelic double talk expression that means you're darling, you're lovely, you're sweetheart. Uh -huh. Al Lewis was the lyric writer for Charlie Tobias with him. And he, he thought up that idea. And he's the fellow who wrote Football Hero and all those songs for Eddie Canada. If you want to talk with Henry Tobias, we'll be going to the phones very shortly. Here's how. In Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by TALK, T-A-L-K. All TALK Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word TALK. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay Area, 679, and the San Fernando Valley, dial 990, and then... A couple talk. of other songs that your brothers wrote that uh, are so classic, uh, Sweet and Lovely. Yeah, that was a, a, a great thing. The old lamplighter. You're talking about cutting our ends, you know, I don't know if we should be uh, stressed those things, but Sweet and Lovely, Gus Hunt oh. was a cut in. Oh, yeah, sure. He had to introduce the song. You know? Let's uh, take a little time Those out here. Those deserved it, I think. And we'll be back very shortly with Henry Tobias author of Music in My Heart, and will be going to the phones. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Norms really went after the world traveler when they came up with their super breakfast specials from only $1.29. Norms? Norms restaurants? Sure. 
I summer at the beach, and I count on Norm's. Huntington Beach, Long Beach, Santa Monica. And Norm's has their super breakfast specials. Monday through Friday from 4 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. What about winter? There's no Norm's in Aspen. Oh, too cold. I winter in Orange in Costa Mesa, where I know I can get into Norm's for a super breakfast special, and there's no snow. That's right. Norm's is in Anaheim and Santa Ana, too. And then there's springtime in San Gabriel. And just like Norm's in Huntington Park and Lakewood and Torrance, they have super breakfast specials from $1.29. Don't you miss Norms when you go shopping in London and Paris? I shop on Rodeo. And there's a Norms on Pico and one on La Cienega. With super breakfast specials from 4 to 11.30 a.m. I enjoy the ponies at Hollywood Park and eat at Norms in Inglewood. There's a Norms in Van Nuys. What do you do in Van Nuys? I don't know. What would you do in Van Nuys? In Anaheim, Norms is on Lincoln Avenue east of the Santa Ana Freeway. Well, I may be sorry for telling you this, because if you do what I did, You'll sleep right through my entire show. You see, I went down to sit and sleep. They have the largest selection and lowest prices in L.A. And picked up a brand new Simmons mattress. Their prices are hundreds of dollars lower than anyone. And with 50,000 square feet of showroom, you can buy it today and sleep on it tonight. And it's not just mattresses. Look, sit and sleep has the lowest prices on sofa beds, day beds, and futons. And since I've made Sit and Sleep an honorary member of the Silver Radio Society, every KBC listener, 60 or older, will receive an additional discount. Now, obviously, you're not asleep. And since Sit and Sleep guarantees you'll love your new bed and backs that promise with a 30-day sleep trial, you just can't go wrong. Do what I did. Head to Sit and Sleep in Culver City, facing Overland between Venice and Washington, or call in area code 213-870-1374. You tell them Ray Brain sent you. If crack were a noise, what would it sound like? Or maybe crack sounds like this. Sound good? Partnership for a drug-free America. When my mom and dad got divorced, dad said he'd come and see me every weekend. Got married again. Now it doesn't come by. My mom said I should spend time with my friend Eddie and his dad. But sometimes I feel like I'm just butting in on him. So I do stuff with my mom. But she didn't like to play ball or anything. And there's a lot of things I can't say to her. I mean, how can I have a man-to-man talk with my mom? There's a boy out there who needs you. So please, call Big Brothers at 213-258-3333. KABC, Talk Radio 790. All Talk Radio 79 numbers and in the word talk, T-A-L-K. South Bay Area, dial 679. Glendale and Pasadena, 244-990 for the San Fernando Valley. And in Orange County, the 714 area, 750. The 213 area of Orange County, 448 Los Angeles, it's 520, and then talk. Sweet and lovely, sweeter than the roses in May. Sweet and lovely, heaven must have sent him my way. You can't do better than that, having Ella. That? Ella Fitzgerald. Oh, bless her. Uh, the other night I saw her on the uh, NCPA show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were giving awards, and they brought Ellen out. You know, she hasn't been well lately. I know. And uh, they had someone else 
sing her Tisket a Tasket song, which mm. incidentally a relative of mine, Van Alexander, wrote. And uh, they sang it, uh, another couple, mm. and then they brought her out for an encore, and they insisted that she sing. She hardly could stand up but that voice of hers, oh. and those, those, those licks and those, mm. those jazz breaks, they broke, break, break me up. No I, one I like Ella. Thrilled. No one like Ella. You know, and, and, and an old friend of mine is starting to take over. I, I think I think Mel Torme is going to become one of the classics. He is. Because there's very few left. I oh, heard yeah. the greatest thrill I ever got in jazz, and I love jazz, was Ella Fitzgerald and Mel Torme a few years ago in one of the specials. Because there are very few of them do it the way it should be That's done. That's right. That's right. Let's say hello to Evelyn. Good morning, Evelyn. You're on with Henry Tobias. Oh, good morning. Mr. Tobias, I think I met you when I was a little girl. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a Bernie. Does that mean anything? Which Bernie? Al Bernie's mother? No, no. Ben Bernie's niece. Oh, my goodness. Does it mean something? Are you kidding? <laughs> ben Bernie was responsible for Harry's song, It's a Lonesome Old Town When You're Not Around. That's As a matter of fact, I think your family's still collecting some royalties on the Song. It's me. I'm doing it. No kidding. Well, you'd like to know that the song is now 56 years old, and according to the copyright law, uh, Harry gets his publishing end, and his co-writer, Charlie Kisco, died two years ago, and they left Harry his publishing part of it. And I don't know what happened to Bernie's part, oh, my. but I hope you're getting it, because that's one of the great songs that Harry wrote with Charlie Kisco. Marvelous song. And I love the things you, all of you, have written. It just, I grew up with all of them and all the people that you're talking about. Because um, Grandma, my Grandma, mm -hmm. and all the Bernies, we all lived together. No kidding. Dave, too? Oh, sure. Uncle Dave, before he got married to Bert. And, uh, of course, you know, they're all gone. Yeah, I know. They're all gone. I was a Bernie, and I was... They, there were 12 of them. That's why I haven't got too many enemies left. They're all gone now. <laughs> but I, I became number 13, so Uncle Ben was my like my father. Beautiful man. Uh, even Jason. Did you know Jason? No, I didn't. But my brother Harry wrote the song Lonesome Old Town oh, I know. with Charlie Kisco and, and rushed a copy out to Ben Burney when he was playing in Chicago. Uh -huh. And Ben wired back. He said, I'm going to use this for my theme, for my exit theme. Now, in those days, Ben Burney playing a song could make a song a hit. And, you know, as soon as the, the, the publishers found out Ben Burney's using it as a theme, Harry started getting phone calls, and Jack Robbins outbid them all and, uh, and, and, and grabbed the song. Oh, you know, Mr. Tobias, you're the only one that I've heard speak about the Bernie about Uncle Ben and mentioned Dave who became a uh, song player. Well, Ben was a sweet man and if you if you read uh, Milton Berle's new book B.S. I Love You oh, he's, he tells long stories about uh, Ben Bernie. You know, it amazes me to hear you rave about Berle. Well, the, the, why? Their, their Friars Club uh, why I think I think he's one of the few greats left in our business. And I agree. I second the motion. Where are they going to replace? Who? Are they, how are they going to replace a Jack Benny, no. a da da Danny Kaye? How are they even going to replace no. a Dick Sean? Who's going to take Joey Lewis's place? That's Who's going to take those fellows' place that nobody left? Only Burl and a few other fellows like Burl of the old timers. I'm talking about the great comedians. You know. Uh Mr. Tobias, I wound up marrying a musician, which is not amazing. <laughs> we were with the Harry James Orchestra, Fred. Oh, is that right? Long, long time, yeah. It was sensational. I love the things that you've written, all of you, all the guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it, Evelyn. Did, Thank you. Did you speak at um, a university of Judaism?
couple you, of years ago. That's right. I was there. I was there, too, when I heard you were going to be there. Thank you. Bernie Wayne and a few of the songwriters were with me, yeah. Many, many more years. Thank you. Thank Bernie. you, Evelyn. Bye-bye. Let's go to Pompano Beach, Florida, and Zinn. Good morning, Zinn. You're on with Henry Tobias. Hello, Henry. How are you? Who is this? Followed by the name of Zinn Arthur. Oh, no. Zinn, I thought you were still out here. I'm still looking around for you. Oh, no. Zinn Arthur of Grossing is the musical director and very dear that? friend of mine. And he was associated with Josh Logan. And who else was it? I missed the names, the big oh, names what? you were with here. 66 films, Henry. That, that, I'm talking about when you were out here. I didn't know you are down in Florida, Zinn. How are you? Fine. Zinn, you got to get this book because I've got a whole chapter on Grossinger's and you're in there and everybody's in there. They finally sold the place, you know that. I know that. I want and, and we're all crying because that was the, the place of them all. It that was wasn't me, wasn't Eddie, Eddie Fisher discovered at Grossinger's? That's right, and I right. was there at the time. Really? Yeah. With Eddie Cantor. Yeah, and it was an interesting story, you know. Uh, Tell us about uh, it. Uh, What's the name of his manager? Blackstone. Milton Blackstone was the musical, was the publicity man for Jenny Grossing and the right-hand man. And he uh, had Eddie Fisher on the contract. And when Eddie Cantor used to come up there, that was his home, his second home, Grossing is. And uh, he was rehearsing his show. And in order to have Eddie hear it, Eddie said, look, I'm not looking for any new talent. I got enough headaches. And he discouraged them. So he arranged for Eddie to rehearse at 3 o'clock. And, and, and for Fisher to be there a quarter to three to sing while Eddie came in. And Eddie's singing in the in a room and Fisher's singing. He hears that voice. And he says, wait, let me hear this. And that night he says to Fisher, would you like to go on a road with me? And that's the way Eddie Fisher was discovered. Am I right, Zinn? And how? And how? And uh, I don't know if Blackstone's still around, but I got stories oh. about them all. I have a st I, I just met Emil Cohen recently. Oh, he's, he's down here, you know. I know he lives down there, but he was at the Friars with us a few weeks ago, and I recognize him. I know he lives in Florida, uh, and uh, he, he also lives in New York, on the Riverdale, right? Right. Uh, but, uh, uh, you were talking about Milton Berle. Oh, God. Youngman is, uh, has an apartment in the same place where I'm at. But I thought he sold it since his wife died, Sadie. was very dear friends of mine, Sadie and my wife. Yeah, honey. Uh, he lost his wife last year, and I think he sold that thing down to Florida, didn't he? Oh, no. No? Still come down there. He was at the Friars last weekend. Very now and then he gets a gig or he's got something come out here for Milton Berle. Uh, and he, he, they, they fly him out and he comes out and he's getting so stout now. And I said, last week, young man, I saw him and he said, what happened? He says, well, I got to go on a diet. I got to go on a diet. Listen, at that delicatessen, this friend of his, <laughs> what's the name of it? His delicatessen pal, he lives there all the time. He can't stop eating that good food. Oh, Henny Youngman uh, does a lot more work than he does 200 dates a year. Well, it's a slow down a little bit. We're all slowing down a little bit. How are you, Zen? Fine. You still doing that photography work, that beautiful photography work? Well, I, I just finished around a half video show for PBS. Oh, beautiful. I thought this was Pinky Herman when I heard your voice in Florida. I know Pinky's down there. And I wondered whether you were where? Pocono? Where are you? Pompano Beach. Well, I did the... the uh, the condominium circuit for Bobby Breen a year ago, June. Yeah. Now, the story of that, if you've got a minute... Yeah, let's take a, a break here Ray, i got to tell you the All story right. of Bobby All Breen. Right. Is uh, hold on just a second. Okay. My guest, Henry Tobias. The book is called Music in My Heart and uh, Borscht in My Blood. You're, you're playing my favorite song. 
Sweet and Lovely. Every songwriter has a favorite song. It doesn't have to be his own. That's my true. favorite is my brother Harry's Sweet and Lovely. And the greatest, the greatest compliment was when Johnny Mercer said, that's my favorite lyric. We'll be right back. KABC, Talk Radio 790. Yeah, go ahead, Zen. Zinn, yeah. I couldn't help to say this. Uh, I, I've been in Florida several times with Joey Adams at oh, first, and then recently I finally, I kept after Bobby Breen for years. Now, Bobby Breen, nobody knows this story, but it's in my book. Uh, when he was 12 years old, that's 50 years ago, uh, a group of, of gentlemen living in my brother Charlie's house uh, put together, they said they heard his voice in Montreal and they said, this kid is sensational, we got to bring him to New York and send him to California, he's got to be a big smash. So they knew that I was related to Eddie Cantor, so they asked Charlie if I could meet him. And I met him and, and they asked me, would I take Bobby Breen to California to introduce him to Eddie? And me, my family was out here, and I, I would go there for nothing just to get my fares paid, you know. So I said, sure, fine, I'll take him out there. And I brought him out there to Eddie, and Eddie heard Bobby's voice and took me aside and said, Henry, have you got a piece of the action? I said, what do you mean a piece of the action? He said, well, you own some part of this thing because this kid's going to be a big star. I said, Eddie, I don't know from nothing. I just got my fare and expenses. He said, you're crazy. This kid's going to be a big star. And that's, and I, 50 years later, and, and this is the uh, fade in and fade out, Ray, as we used to say. 50 years later, Bobby Breen paid me off by booking me on the condominium <laughs> circuit. That was a year ago, June. Honestly, that's a true story. I, I used to have a television show in Seattle, and I, uh, I had him on the show once, and I said, uh, Bobby, I would like to have a dollar for every time someone has asked, are you re related to Bobby Breen? Because they think my name is Breen. It's not, but it sounds that way. And uh, so, so, you know, all through my entire life, Bobby, Bobby Breen has been my uh, my nemesis. Because Bobby's they, doing a good job with his wife, uh, who was in Florida with him. They they booked the the condominium circus. Really? And I, as, uh, the one one laugh I must give you, you know, we'll, later on we'll talk about the real names of the stars that sure, started. Sure. And and I uh, David Kaminsky was the real name of Danny Kay. And the first thing I said in the first show I did in Florida, I said. Who is D David Kaminsky today? And a man jumped up and said, Danny Kay. I says, how do you know? He says, I'm his father. <laughs> how did I know his father lived down there? That's one of the stories in the book. Zen, Zen is so nice to talk to I you. appreciate your call. Do you mention anything about Totem Lodge? Are you kidding? I have a whole chapter called My Boss. Uh, David and Katz, and today a review came out in a variety on this book, and it says I don't say any. There's two people I don't say nice things about: is my boss at Totem Lodge, who made a living out of cheating everybody, and Mae West, who I played the piano for. That's the only bad thing in my review. Yes, I talk about Totem. I talk about Grossinger's. They took out half the things I wrote because how much can you write in a book? But Grossinger's was so much, uh, so much in there about Jenny because to me she was the doll of the whole sh of the whole some resort business. Appreciate the calls, in. Thank you, and good luck. All good right. luck to you, Zen. Bye-bye. Never know who's listening, do you? Isn't that something? Yeah, really I is. thought he was out here. Henry Tobias, man. my guest. He's written an autobiography called Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. KABC, Talk Radio 790.
If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word TALK. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, TALK. I wrote my mother. Henry, that had to be one of the biggest songs in World War II. Ray, I must admit, I didn't write that one, and that's I one I wish I wrote. But that was My brother you... Charlie wrote it, but the story of how he wrote it is, is very interesting. Uh, they used to eat at Dempsey's restaurant, uh, the songwriters had Now, Charlie is his brother. My brother Charlie, who's yeah. gone now, wrote yeah. Don't Sit in the Apple Tree. Right. But here's how it came about. He's sitting at lunch with Sammy Stepp and Sammy Fain, and uh, Lou Brown comes in of the Silver Brown and Henderson uh -huh. and says to uh, the boys sitting at the table, I got a great title. Why don't one of you guys come up and, and ride it with me up in Yonkers where he lived, the White yeah. Plains or something? And uh, Charlie uh, says, sure, great, I'll go. And Sammy Fain says, oh, no, not today. I'm so tired. I guess it was a racetrack day. <laughs> and and uh, Sammy Stepp says, well, I'll go up. And Sammy Stepp went up, and Fain didn't go up there. And they went up to the house. And Lou Brown says, I got a title called Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree with Anyone Else But Me. It was such a natural, you know. And the melody came so easy. They took that, tell me the tale that to me was so dear long, long ago. Sure. Don't sit under the apple tree same, with same. anyone else but me. I mean, I could have written it like Brill says. He could have written a theme song with me, the one that he used for years. He lost hundreds of thousands of dollars by not doing it. But, I mean, that's the story of Don't Sit Under the Apple To this day, Sammy Payne says, please don't tell that story. And to the this day, the Andrews sisters thanks Charlie. <laughs> oh, golly. I see Patty very often. She's so wonderful. Yeah. And uh, they did a song of mine called I Remember Mama that I wrote with Charlie. And uh, and uh, the story is this. They, it came out on record, and we were sued uh, by the people who uh, had to play I Remember Mama. And All I'll right. We'll, we'll get to that here in a minute. Let's take a call from Monroe Falls, Ohio, and Roger. Good morning, Roger. You're on with Henry Tobias. Hello, Mr. Tobias. Mr. Brady. Good morning. How are you? Oh, I'm doing fine. I'd like to say to Mr. Brain, I've been up a million nights listening to this show, and I enjoy it. And Good. My, Mr. Tobias, my question to you is, did you plan on doing this kind of stuff when you were younger? No, I just came into it because my brothers were, were songwriters and they bought me a piano. And I was the only one that, that could play the piano. They were lyric writers, so I learned to play the piano. And I met all these great songwriters in the Bronx when, when we moved from Worcester, Massachusetts. And I, and I loved to play melodies. And I started learning the Irving Berlin songs and learned from all the greats. And, uh, and melody was natural to me. I just loved to write them. So I had to prove myself to write songs with other people before my brothers would write with me. Right. We, we didn't write often. See, Charlie lived in New York, and he was strictly in New York. Uh, Harry lived in California, and he loved it. I was the Jewish gypsy in the family. I traveled <laughs> all over the country, and I spent the summers in the mountains and the winters in Florida and Vaudeville, and, and came out here every year to visit my family, my daughter, and my grandchildren live up here in Pasadena. Right. My grandpa, I was listening to I'm the younger generation, okay? I do appreciate that kind of music. I am an... I, my mood orders the music that I listen to, but 
that's how I base this, but I do enjoy world music. My, I, before my grandpa passed away, he was a soldier in World War II, and, but when he, came, when he got elderly, when he was in the hospital, he got delirious, and he listened. It brought back memories before he passed away of the older songs when he was overseas. And that's how I got into it, and I really enjoyed it because it, you could understand it for one. For number two, it was it was it was a mood-altering song that that made a picture of itself in that decade. That's the whole uh, that's the whole story of a, an old lyric. It was a picture in itself. You had to tell the complete story in 32 bars, and it, it told the story by the title alone. And, and you're right, and, and you're and you're talking about the old days and the old songs. Because I, I just told Ray before the show that a standard song had to be 25 or 30 years old and people remember before you can call it standard. I dislike the fact that some of the newest songwriters who had a hit last year say, I have a here's my standard. A standard isn't a one-year song or two-year song. How, how many of today's songs, and without knocking them, believe me, there's some great writers around, without knocking them, how many of today's songs are going to be remembered 50 years from today or 40 years or 30 years? today how many there are good, good many question and and of course the thing that I always say is uh, I don't really appreciate much of today's music uh, I'm from a different generation but I I know good music when I hear it but the problem is that it's mostly beat and I can't hum the melody yeah. where's the melody that's it it isn't melody. Work it, if I can't hum it yeah, uh, you know, how can I remember it? But if you can't, that's exactly what Harry said. He always used to say, if you can't sing the song and can't remember the lyrics or the music, it can't it can't be a hit song. But they don't care about the lyrics today as long as the beat is there, and they don't care what title they use. The Rolling Stones used "Miss You" five years ago and made a five million record seller out of it, but they still sing my song. They don't remember theirs. I wish I had five million records out of "Miss You" or mine, although I had a a couple of hundred records, I would say I would exchange it for one biggie like a five million record, but they didn't know. They come from England. They know where there was a miss you, but they didn't think anything about it, and I try to sue, but you can't sue on a title. Right. A couple questions real quick to let you go so Ray can get some other people on the phone. Um, do you notice that it always takes a war to make, it's a sad thing, but during the wars, you know, it, it, that's right. It, that's when the songs get popular. That's right. Vietnam was the Stones. Uh, World War One, World War Two. We had the songs that you performed. Um, right. Korean War. We had that jibber jabber, which we were getting mixed in fifties and the sixties. Right. Throughout. Right. Uh, I, I, that's really sad, but it's. But it's true. That's why Bing Crosby recorded Miss You. My brother Harry said all the boys are leaving for the war now and everybody's going to be missed by somebody. And he's the, you're right. And he recorded it because the song meant so much to everybody. And you're so true, right about that. Right. And uh, one last thing. Get off the question so I don't have to bother you anymore. Um, how did you, did you, right, because of your brothers, or was it, was it just a lucky break that you were able to get, uh, how shall we say, on the air, but back then it would be a different term now? It's on the air or known. No, uh, I, I, as a music songwriter and a publisher, we had to exploit the songs, and the only way we could exploit it is get on the air. I was one of the pioneers in radio. Ray don't know this, but I was a disc jockey <laughs> in 1929. It was that in before 1929? you were I was wow. with, with, with NTG on WHN. WHN and, in New York? And I was a WOR 
uh, and I wrote the first theme song for a program, a fish program. A called fish program? Eat Lake Fish. <laughs> and uh, when, they found, when I came out here 14 years ago, and, I, and my brother Harry introduced me to a group called the Pacific Pioneer Broadcasters, I said, what is this all about? He said, nothing but the old timers meet together socially and right. say hello. And I found out that I was an old timer. I found out I was a pioneer in radio in New York and a pioneer here on television at KTLA in 1945 with Larry Finley. So I became a member, and when they found out my credits, I was given the honor last year of receiving a Diamond Circle Award for those over 50 years I, I was, in business. I was and in I the was audience there honored. when you got it. Were you there Oh, then? sure. I'm a member of the My brother, yeah. oh, Harry said to me, he remembers you. You were at, the, at that program. Yeah. Sure, sure. A great honor. It's uh, Thank you. It's, it's nice to hear the younger generation uh, thinking a along these lines. Thank you, Roger. I think that the industry is going to move that way. We'll be right back with Henry Tobias, his book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. Maybe just you and me when I come I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. If you or a loved one has cataracts, now's the time to act. Wouldn't it be great to enjoy the new year with improved eyesight? Make a New Year's resolution today to make 1988 the best year yet. So don't delay. Call Dr. Kenneth Gordon, a renowned cataract surgeon who is trusted by thousands of Southern Californians. Dr. Gordon has been in practice for many years at 9735 Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills and is a founder of the Beverly Hills Eye Institute. He uses state-of-the-art equipment and offers the best of care to all patients. He knows how important personalized service is to senior citizens and handles each patient with the utmost care. Dr. Gordon accepts Medicare assignments, so give yourself the best gift of all, better eyesight, one of life's most precious gifts. Place your trust in an experienced surgeon that has helped so many people with cataract problems. Make this year one to remember. Call Dr. Kenneth Gordon at 272-3100, 272-3100. Are you a mature adult who's dreamed of traveling or living abroad? How would you like to visit London, Mexico, Yugoslavia, Hong Kong, the Swiss Alps? For less money than it can cost to live at home. It's possible with Grand Circle Travel. For as little as $38.75 a day, you can live in these countries from 2 to 26 weeks. Your Grand Circle adventure includes round-trip airfare on major airlines, first-class deluxe accommodations with kitchen, social activities, and much more. Grand Circle Travel is offering KABC listeners free membership in their Let's Talk Travel Club, where they discuss their new 1988 travel programs for seniors, with film presentations, travel discounts, door prizes, and refreshments. This Tuesday, you're invited to their meeting in Ventura at the Pierpont Inn from 3.30 to 5.30, on Thursday in Laguna Hills at the Hyatt from 10 a.m. to 12 noon, and Friday the 29th in Rancho Mirage at the Mission Hills Resort from 10 a.m. to 12 noon. Or call 800-327-3904. Do you feel like you could be in better shape both physically and mentally, but you're not just sure how to do it? Well, we've got the answers for you. I'm Dr. Alan Sellner, and on my Weekend Athlete Show, we'll bring you the latest information about exercise, the newest breakthroughs in nutrition, and we'll answer all your questions about sports injuries. Be sure to tune in this afternoon at 1 o'clock here on KBC Talk Radio AM 790.
If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. I remember Mama so well. Golden hair and voice like a bell. Always so neat and sweet as the sweetest rose. The Andrews Sisters in one of your songs. Isn't that a beautiful that song? That brings back memories. There's a great story behind a song. Tell Ray, us. I think I told you earlier in the evening that the story behind a song sometimes is more interesting than the song itself. Uh, the time was... Uh, Anniversary song was a big hit, remember, mm -hmm. with Jolson? Right. And I was at the Latin Quarter doing a show, and I said to my brother Charlie, Charlie, there's a melody. Willie Howard was a, was a star, mm -hmm. and he sang a melody to me. Was to, everyone thought it was a Hebrew melody, but it really wasn't. It was taken from uh, an old French melody, uh, La Cinquantaine. I said, Charlie, uh, we get a lyric for this song. It's really great for Jolson. So he said, well, well, what kind of a lyric can we get? And I said, you know, there's a show on Broadway called I Remember Mama, and it would fit this tune perfectly. I remember Mama so well, golden hair and voice like a bell, always so neat and sweet as the sweetest rule. He says, great. And he went and wrote a lyric. And at that time, Oscar Hammerstein and, Roy, and, and Richard Rogers had a, a publishing firm, and they mm -hmm. also were producers of the show I Remember Mama. And uh, we played the song for them, and, and we were paid the greatest compliment ever paid because Oscar Hammerstein was the greatest lyric writer that ever lived. He, he elevated lyrics from pop to classical poetry. And he said, that's a beautiful song, particularly the middle line. She had worries how much I know it, maybe more than you and I. There were tears, but guess she didn't know it. Guess that angels never cry. He said, that's a beautiful line. Guess that angels never cry. So uh, we paid a popular, uh, and we said, well, we've got a hit song. And the Andrews sisters heard it, and they loved it because they were in love with their mother so much. And they made the record, and all of a sudden, we get a lawyer's letter from Hollywood. Her, uh, Harriet Parsons, Luella Parsons' daughter, was producing the picture, I Remember Mama. <clears throat> and she she's Offered, she ordered the publisher to stop using the song on the air because the song does not relate to the story. The story was a Norwegian story, and the song is a Jewish melody. It's not a Jewish melody. First of all, the fellow who demonstrated it demonstrated it wrong. He played it the item. You know. And, so what and happened? It was written by a, by a, a priest. So we we sued. We sued. Hmm. Uh, they sued us, and we found out that, that they didn't own the title. She didn't own the title, and Hamasina Rogers didn't own the title. The man who wrote the original "I Remember Mama" book 
Mm -hmm. Mama's bank account mm -hmm. was the owner, so we made a deal with his estate, <laughs> and we went back on the air. By that time, the popularity of the song, they lost their mother. They refused to sing it for a long time oh, because the song brought back such memories. But it's my favorite song because of the, I think of my mother and everybody who does think of their mother. Let's I go to Albany, New York, and Harry. Hello, Albany. Harry. You're on with Henry Tobias. Hi, Henry. Albany, who is this? Harry Josephson. Oh, my goodness, Harry Josephson. You know, I knew some. Somebody in Albany's going to call me, but I didn't know who. Harry, it's so nice to talk to you. Huh? It's so nice to talk to you, Harry. Yeah, uh, you know, uh... You were at Totem Lodge many times, weren't you? I, I used to book them there. Of course, of Long course. Theatrical agency. You know, remember the Zebit? Uh, 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 remember Irving Zebit? Yeah. Uh, his, his brother... Yeah. His brother owns the the uh, famous restaurant in Washington, Duke's to Zebit, and he's in the newspapers every day because, uh, what's his name, who spoke about the black people so disparagingly and got fired yesterday. Was Jimmy the Greek. Jimmy the Greek was to, was interviewed at Duke Zebit's restaurant, and I remember Duke's brother was, was working with us at Totem Lodge and, and lived in Albany. How's, how's Albany? All right, uh, Henry. You know, I was... Uh, I, Saw you in in uh, L.A. Yeah. You remember that you were doing the uh, senior citizen show? That's right. You recall now? Well, I do remember you coming up. I just can't remember when, but you told me about Albany. Oh, oh that's that's about uh, uh, 1979. Yes, that's when I just arrived out here, 72, 75. Nice to talk to you. Uh, what's yeah, happening, Totem Lodge? Anybody out there at all? I don't know. You I, know, I got I, the painting. I got the original painting of the totem pole. And is I, that have right? it, I have it in my home, and, uh, and the boss the is road. the boss is the boss. The David and Katz, I have a whole chapter on him. I know. And his daughter-in-law called me yesterday, and I thanked her for that picture on the wall, Totem Lodge. Yeah. Great memories of Totem. Yeah, Tobacco Road. Yeah, you must have been one of the waiters because they lived in the tents in the back. They used to call Tobacco Road. You must have been one of the waiters there. No, I wasn't. No? I had I, I was I had theatrical agency oh. in Albany, Lloyd. Oh yeah, that's right. On the Broadway, you recall? Yes, yes, yes. Have you give my, my wife, give my, my regards was... to anybody that might remember me at Totem Lodge. Oh, who? I don't go out there. <laughs> Who's left? <laughs> I don't go out there at all anymore. No. Well, it's nice to talk Harry, to you good, again. Good uh, having a call. Thank you. Uh, Henry, a lot of people, I'm sure, are, are not familiar with the word borscht. What does borscht in my blood mean? Well, uh, I think that's a good question because I have to explain it to many of the audiences that I entertain and, and call me. Uh, it's a piece of Americana. In the old days, when the immigrants came from Russia, many of them were farmers and didn't want to live in New York. So they looked for the closest place to, mm -hmm. for the farmland, and the closest country for farmland was the Catskill Mountains, 100 miles north of New York, the beautiful Monticello and, and Loch Sheldrick and all that. And they became farmers, and mother, in order to enhance their profit and their income, would open a, a boarding house. Pretty soon the boarding houses made more than the cows and chickens, <laughs> and they had to entertain, but they had had no money for entertainment, so they called on their busboys, the waiters, and the bellhops, and whoever it was, and it was called Borscht Belt, because Borscht was a favorite dish. Now, when a baseball player goes out, he says, I'm going on a chicken circuit, because chicken is in every meal. When an author goes out to speak, he says, I'm going on the grapefruit circuit, because grapefruit is served. And when a performer went up to the casket, he says, I'm going on a Borscht circuit, the Borscht Belt, we called it, and that's how they picked up the name. But, but the famous stars, stars 
started there, and this is the acute part of it. When I throw these names, like I told you about Danny David Kaminsky, for instance, I would ask you, who's Aaron Schwatt today? Would you know? No. Red Buttons. <laughs> Now, Red Button started in the Catska Mountains in a kosher hotel as a bellhop. A kosher hotel meant that you could not mix the dairy food when you mm -hmm. had meat food. Right. And in order to make a few extra bucks, he would fill his fountain pen full of cream and charge 25 cents a squirt. <laughs> Anybody wanted cream with the coffee? He became the first cream bootlegger in America. And, and he became Red Buttons. <laughs> my guest, Henry Tobias. Music in my heart and borscht in my blood and uh, cream in my fountain pen. <laughs> I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. Hello, Evelyn. You're on with Henry Tobias. Oh, it's wonderful. It's a wonderful... Evelyn from where? Los Angeles. Oh, Los Angeles. Well, I live in Costa Mesa, but I, I'm originally from Staten Island, Tottenville, Staten Island, New York. Oh, beautiful. I've been here 49, 40 years. But beautiful. It just, it just really, uh, it's like a shot in the arm hearing you talk about all of this music and all of these people because I have a shop, a barbershop in Newport Beach and I know Larry Shea. Oh, you do? Yes, I do. Larry Shea wrote one of my brother Charlie's first lyrics. Is that right? Uh, get, uh, get out and get under the moon. That's right. Am I right? Yes, yes. Is he still around? Yes, he is. I see him at the ASCAP meeting. I'll probably meet him next February. I, I... 17, the next ASCAP meeting. I always say hello to him. A delightful oh. guy. Well, you know, he's a, he has a, the 12-piece band at the Oasis Club in Corona Del Mar every Friday. Is that right? Between one and three, they have dancing. Oh, isn't that but beautiful? But he's been ill a while. Well, I know. We're all getting older, and I'm so sorry to hear about oh, it. Oh, yeah, and he had to quit smoking. Give him my love, will you? Certainly would. Tell him to Charlie Tobias' brother, Henry, oh. says hello to him. Oh. And Get Out and Get Under the Moon was one of the first big songs in 28. Oh, yes, marvelous. I have a, he gave me a book on quite a bit of his music that he's written. Wonderful. Say hello to him. He's a great guy. How about Al Siegel? Did you know him? Of course. I, I knew Al when he was with Ethel Merman. You have to go, Evelyn. We're out of time, but oh. thanks for the call. Sorry, I really enjoy your program. Thank, Thank you. you. Wonderful. There's more to come with Henry Tobias, all about his uh, music, his book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. We'll be back right after the news. You're certainly giving me a, a good plug on the book. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Bray. KABC, Talk Radio 790. As we commemorate the bicentennial of the Constitution, there is no better way for you as an American to reaffirm the principles for which our country stands than to learn more about the Constitution. One good way to learn more about the Constitution is to write for a free Constitution information kit. It's the official information kit of the Commission on the Bicentennial of the United States Constitution. Included in the kit is an illustrated booklet containing the full text of the Constitution, as well as a fold-out map of the United States with chronological dates of the ratification process. You'll also receive bookmarks with famous quotations from James Madison, Ben Franklin, George Washington, and others. To receive your Constitution information kit, write Constitution, Washington, D.C., 20599. That's Constitution, Washington, D.C., 20599. A message from the Commission on the Bicentennial of the United States Constitution and the Ad Council. The Constitution, the words we live by.
KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Democratic congressmen are gathering signatures for a petition asking President Reagan to hold off requesting more aid for the Contras. Oklahoma's Dave McCurdy has gathered the names of 21 of his colleagues, saying the aid would hurt Central American peace efforts. Lethal aid to the Contras today, I think, is overplaying her hand, and we could be blamed then for obstructing the peace process or uh, actually uh, allowing Ortega to escape this very difficult situation that he's in. The House and Senate are scheduled to vote the first week of February on the issue. President Reagan delivers his State of the Union address Monday, and he's expected to ask for contra aid then, saying he wants to keep the pressure on Sandinista President Daniel Ortega to comply with the peace plan. Iran has launched its third attack on merchant shipping in the Persian Gulf in just 24 hours. The latest target, a Danish tanker, reporting no casualties but heavy damage. I'll have more after this. What about you? I did it once. At first, nothing happened. I thought, oh, this is a big thrill. Then after about 15 minutes, I felt it in my head. My hands were tingling. Yeah, it's great, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. You're listening to straight talk about Coke. Yeah. It wasn't great for me. All of a sudden, I felt my heart really beating fast. Well, that's part of it. Yeah, you don't understand. It hurt. It was getting worse and worse. I felt like I was going to explode. Hey, that happens sometimes. I mean, it sort of goes with the territory, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, sometimes your heart beats real fast, and sometimes you get kind of dizzy. <laughs> you mean it happened to you and you did it again? Well, sure. I mean, what's the worst thing that could happen? You ever watch TV or read a newspaper? If you're thinking about doing coke, ask some hard questions. Get some straight answers. Brought to you by the Partnership for a Drug-Free America. A pair of fuel tanker trains collided on the tracks in East Los Angeles. Apparently, one train rear-ended the other when it was stopped. Sergeant John Andrews of the L.A. County Sheriff's Office says it caused a fire. One rolling from Barstow to Los Angeles collided in the rear of another Santa Fe train. And as a result of that collision, caused a fire in an apartment complex along with a small store, uh, two smaller structures which possibly are homes. Officials say there are injuries. At least one person has died, another unaccounted for. There is a fuel leak. Thirty people in the neighborhood have been evacuated, and at last report, that fire was still burning out of control. An estimated 50,000 pro-lifers marched on the Supreme Court Friday, even though the building was closed. The rally marked the 15th anniversary of the High Court's decision on Roe v. Wade, the landmark decision legalizing abortion. President Reagan addressed the crowd, promising to cut federal funding to any agency that promotes abortion. Mr. Reagan said America was founded on a moral proposition that human life is sacred. Well, it lasted until the fourth round in Atlantic City when 21-year-old undisputed heavyweight boxing champ Mike Tyson smashed 38-year-old Larry Holmes into the canvas three times, leaving no doubt as to the outcome of Holmes' attempted to come back. Tyson went after Holmes like a tiger, raking him with head punches as the aging athlete tried to escape. It ended at 2.55 in round four as Tyson scored his 29th knockout, winning his 33rd fight. Tyson's the youngest man ever to hold the heavyweight title. Holmes, who had retired in 1986, was trying to become the oldest man to win it. They both made money. Tyson walked away with $5 million. Holmes beating brought him $2.8 million.
1,500 people poured into the Hart Gallery in Houston, Texas Friday night, including the cream of Texas society, all for the auction of things belonging to former Texas Governor John Connolly. Socialite Carol Farb was in the crowd. I'm here to be supportive. Um, I'm a great fan of Governor Connolly, and this is a very historical occasion. It's historical for Texas. So many things have happened to us in the last couple of years, and I think this shows a very strong sign of great character on the governor's part. Connolly's possessions were sold in the first of four auctions aimed at helping the bankrupt millionaire pay his creditors. Connolly blames the collapse of the Texas oil and real estate industries for his financial woes. This is ABC News. Wind gusts of up to 80 miles per hour ripped across Southern California, leaving a wake of downed trees and power lines. More than 100,000 homes and businesses watched their lights go out. The high wind warning is in effect overnight for parts of Southern California and the Montana Rockies. Visibility was zero because of blowing dust on the San Bernardino Freeway on Friday. At least nine tractor trailers were flipped onto their sides by the wind. Across the nation, light snow from the Dakotas into the northwest Great Lakes and an Arctic air mass is sending shivers across the plains with wind chills down to 30 below. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Weekends are wonderful on KEBC. Saturday afternoons at 3, it's critic Gary Franklin. Some years back, a radio boss I had always reminded us that we who were on the air were painting pictures in the minds of our audience. I've never forgotten that. Paint your own reviews with Gary until 5, then Saturday afternoon, win cash with Bill Smith and Trivia Time. You know, game shows are so big on television, I think it's because it's impossible to watch one without mentally playing along. We wanted to try the same thing on radio with Trivia Time. The only real difference is, since we don't have the flashing lights and big boards, our game is simpler and a lot easier to follow. At 7, the subjects get serious, with both sides speaking to Bill Pearl on Point Counterpoint. And it just drives me bonkers when the media take a controversy, put it into their electronic food processor, churn it into a goo, and then hand it to me as the truth. Controversies are complex. They need analysis, they need debate, and that's what we do on Point Counterpoint. Weekends are wonderful on KABC. Let us be part of your Saturday too. KABC Talk Radio 7. Tobias Brothers songs, If I Had My Life to Live Over. That's your song? That's yes, yours, and not Henry? Tobias Brothers. Me, I wrote the melody, and, and Mo Jaffe wrote the lyric. Ah, how about that? And that, of course, is Lou Rawls. Yes, and that's what keeps us alive. The younger generation are getting these songs and picking them up uh -huh. and doing new arrangements. This is one of the few jazz arrangements of If I Had My Life to Live Over, which was written as an old-fashioned waltz melody, a real tear in a beard. When did you write that? Uh, 37, uh, I think it was about 32 or 37. It got to be uh, uh, 28 and uh, 10, about 38 years ago. If you've just joined us, my guest is Henry Tobias, one of the uh, renowned songwriters of our age. 
uh, comes from a songwriting family. Both of his brothers wrote songs, and uh, he had to do his share. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Henry Tobias has got a book out called Music in My Heart and Borst in My Blood. If you want to call in, here's how. In Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by TALK, T-A-L-K. All Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word TALK. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay Area, 679, and the San Fernando Valley, dial 990, and then talk. I'll meet you when the school days were all over, and we would walk... Henry Tobias, uh, is, is there a, a story about uh, the song, If I Had My Life yes, to Live Over? Yes, a great story, but before we tell the story, this version of, of, of If I Had My Life, you know, when I first heard him, yeah. Lou Rawls, he's so great, and what he did, I said, what have they done to my melody? You know, he couldn't recognize <laughs> the melody at all. But after it sold the first million, I says, I like it, I like it, I don't care what they do to my melody, as long as they keep doing it. Of course. But the song, when it first was written, a fellow by the name of Larry Vincent, who was a piano player down at Covington, Kentucky, mm -hmm. in that nightclub where they gamble across mm -hmm. from Cincinnati, across the bridge. He was a piano player there for many years. He's gone now. He heard If I Had My Life, Mo Jaffe and I sent it to him. He was a friend of Mo. And he, he used to make records, dirty records and suggestive records and party records. And, and he, he, he did a corny uh, record of If I Had My Life with the honky-tonk piano, you know? Mm -hmm. And he had a friend of his who was a a distributor of, of jukeboxes in Brooklyn, and he gave him a couple of hundred, and a guy flooded Brooklyn, and all of a sudden, from out of nowhere, the song hit, and everybody kept asking, what is this song? And then Kate Smith did it, and Buddy Clark did it, and everybody started to do it. Now, just recently, uh, 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 Betty Davis had a picture called I Wonder What Happened to Betty Jane, remember? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. With Jane, uh, with what's her name? Uh, the other star with the big shoulders. Um, who's my mother dearest, what's her name, Mama dearest? Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford was the other star. And my brother-in-law calls me one night, Leonard Stryker, and he says to me, hey, you better go see that picture. They're using your melody if I have my life to live over. So I went to see the picture, and sure enough, in the picture, they're doing a song called I've written a letter to daddy, to daddy in heaven above, note for note if I had my life to live over. And I ran out of that, that movie house and I called up the publisher. Mm -hmm. His name was, was Dave Cab's brother, Paul. He was a partner of Mo Jaffe. I didn't have a firm at that time, so I gave him the song. And I said, they took my melody. He said, oh, so what? Everybody takes melodies. How are you going to prove a, a melody is original? There's no original melody in this world. They can take you to court and, and discover the melody was written in biblical days. I said, no, this is a note-to-note -note thing, and if you don't sue, I'm going to sue. He said, all right, I'll send them a letter. So he sent a lawyer's letter, and sure enough, the fellow who wrote it, is that well-known musical director, uh, Frank Duvall. You know Frank. Frank, he's, he's, he's such a beautiful man. Great guy. And he's such a great writer. president of our Pacific so, Pioneer uh, So, yeah, he's a president now of the Pacific yeah, Pioneer. Yeah. And, and I found out later, he says, Henry, I swear they told me to write a corny melody to or this lyric I've written, a letter to Daddy, to Daddy. And, and I wrote a tune. I didn't know it was your tune. I wrote it because a, a man of his talent certainly yeah, doesn't need my not. melody, not any professional one. 
And sure enough, uh, they settled for the thing, and now I own, if I've written a letter to Danny and it got into the picture with Middler, Betty Middler's picture, mm. the one about Joplin, the gal Joplin, and she did recently call... Uh, the, the Rose. The Rose. Yeah. It's in there, too. And all of a sudden, it's all over the world, and the picture is now in two pictures, and I own both. If I had my life oh. and half of it, I've written a letter to Daddy, and that's the story, <laughs> and the records are coming out all the time. Let's go to Schenectady, New York, and Helen. Hello, Helen. Schenectady. Yeah. Mr. Tobias, you've covered the last pioneering subject in, in, in writing. Schenectady. I love it. I passed through that town many times, and I did. I broadcast from WGY Schenectady through Totem Lodge. Celebrating a, a, a big, uh, I can't remember whether it's 50th or 60th uh, anniversary of WGY. Yeah? And uh, Tell them I used to be their disc jockey. All year long, uh, they're going to have all kinds of celebrations up here. Well, it's a pleasure. I always brag about that because GY Schenectady was the, one of the most powerful radio stations in the but world. But you're tuned to the right station right now. Yes, yes, yes. We're talking WQBK. About <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm sorry, Ray. <laughs> I wanted to give you a, a, a perspective from a local yokel, Hurleyville, New York, because that's where I, I grew up. Well, sure, I know Hurleyville. And, uh, uh, yokel, local, local, yokel. That's a good title, Ray. <laughs> the anticipation when you folks came into town of the uh, local community was just unbelievable because the, the season went from Decoration Day to Labor Day, right? That's right. It opened Decoration Day and Labor Day. We didn't have planes in those days so much, and the airports weren't as nice and so forth, so everybody came up by train, right? No, we also used the Hudson River Nightline. Huh? What about that? How nice? We used to take the whole boat over at Totem Lodge, and, and then we almost sink the boat. Because there was a wild party going and coming. But uh, that was uh, one of the ways. The train was the other and the bus was the other. When people would get off the train, the kids would be going to camp. The, the chefs would be going to the hotels. That's right. They'd all from every Florida or New York City. Well, that's what this whole book is about. Uh, my experiences in the Bosch Belt, and, and we called Totem Lodge part of the Bosch Belt, although there was the other side of the Catskills. It was on the east side of the Hudson River. Uh-huh. It's connected. So we called of the Blue Bosch Belt. <laughs> we wanted to give it a little well, class. The Bosch circuit certainly needs to be written about. And I'm well, this is, I think, this and my old book are the most authentic stories of the Bosch Belt, and I hope it'll be lived for a long time because it tells how all of the people started and the real stories of it. And who's your publisher, Mr. Bittabai? Hippocrine a Book Company in New York at 171 Madison Avenue, New York. Hippocrine Books. Okay, thank you. All right, thank you, Helen. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My guest, the one and only Henry Tobias. His book, Music in My Heart and Borst in My Blood. Do you ever miss me as I miss you? I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Now there's a unique new concept in pain relief, deep and cold therapeutic mineral ice. The cooling, penetrating pain relief for minor arthritis, backaches, sprains, and sports injuries. Just rub it in for a cool comfort to your aching muscles and joints. Get mineralized at Thrifty and Thrifty Junior. On sale this week for just $5.49. Give pain and cold shoulder with 
therapeutic mineral ice in the eight ounce size. Got a cold, a cough, even the flu? It's that time of year. Be prepared for your turn with plenty of Bayer aspirin tablets. Now at Thrifty and Thrifty Junior in a special value package. Only $2.99 for 100 tablets. And you get a bonus of 11 cough drops included. Absolutely free. Bayer aspirin with 11 free cough drops when it's your turn to fight off colds and flu. If you or a loved one has cataracts, now's the time to act. Wouldn't it be great to enjoy the new year with improved eyesight? Make a New Year's resolution today to make 1988 the best year yet. So don't delay. Call Dr. Kenneth Gordon, a renowned cataract surgeon who is trusted by thousands of Southern Californians. Dr. Gordon has been in practice for many years at 9735 Wilshire Boulevard in Beverly Hills and is a founder of the Beverly Hills Eye Institute. He uses state-of-the-art equipment and offers the best of care to all patients. He knows how important personalized service is to senior citizens and handles each patient with the utmost care. Dr. Gordon accepts Medicare assignments, so give yourself the best gift of all, better eyesight, one of life's most precious gifts. Place your trust in an experienced surgeon that has helped so many people with cataract problems. Make this year one to remember. Call Dr. Kenneth Gordon at 272-3100, 272-3100. Oh, what a weekend here on KABC. This afternoon at 5, we've got trivia time for you. Our trivia radio game show where you can win cash and prizes if you've got the right answers or even the right questions. This is Bill Smith. The time for trivia will be 5 this afternoon. Stick around 5 until 7. We'll spin the wheel. The trivia categories will change. Will you take the money and run or spin the trivia wheel again? We'll see when you stay with us for trivia time at 5 on KABC. Roll out those lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. Those days of soda and pretzels and beer. All Talk Radio 79 numbers and in the word talk, T-A-L-K. South Bay Area, dial 679. Glendale and Pasadena, 244-990 for the San Fernando Valley. And in Orange County, the 714 area, 750. The 213 area of Orange County, 448. Los Angeles, it's 520. And then, talk. And on the beach, you'll see the girls. Henry Tobias is my guest. Henry, that was uh, your brother Charlie's uh, Isn't that last cute? One, That's one of, one of his last big hits. Mm -hmm. It was a German melody that... Uh, that uh, Nat King Cole's firm got hold of it, and they had a contest with dozens of lyrics written, and they picked Charlie Tobias's lyric. And he got that title, I think, because out here, the, you know, the weather's always lazy and hazy and crazy. And, 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 and I think he got that slogan by when he came out here to do some pictures, lazy, hazy, crazy days of summer. We have some open lines in case you want to uh, talk with Henry Tobias, a giant in the music business, but more than just uh, music. Music. You did uh, your share of uh, vaudeville. You 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 you've been right at the big. Well, as as Milton Berle says, uh, he was there. He was there. You read the part that yeah. he said that I when we needed some money for a Broadway show for a show. He was there. Well, I went to I visit my money and I wasn't there anymore. <laughs> <laughs> when I went to visit uh, my mother, Grossinger's, yeah, he, he was there. I was there. 
and on and on it goes. I, you know, something. Uh, it's it's sometimes a handicap to be to be too many places, too many times. As I said, uh, Eddie Cantor says you got the iron in so many fires, you put the fire out. I owned a summer resort one year. When I left Grossinger's, it was too nice a job for me. I wanted to do more work, and they wouldn't give me a chance to let go. So I bought a place called uh, Cedars Country Club in Lakeville, Connecticut. And being an owner, I was used to doing everything. I just couldn't sit back and be a boss. So I drive the truck to town. And when I drive the truck, I drive the, I got a phone call. Pick up two passengers quick. They were at the station to come in. So they don't know who I am. I'm driving a truck, and I welcome them to see this country club. Now, I put them in the, in the state. They come to the office, and I change my jacket. I come behind the desk, and I'm signing them in. And the guy says, isn't it your brother driving a car? Look, I look like you. I said, that's me. I said, now we change. The guy goes into the dining room. I change into my dining room and I greet them at the table and the guy said wait a minute there's a guy behind the desk that looks like the fellow who drove the car who was that I said that's me now he's completely <laughs> confused I'm doing everything and he goes up to the social hall where the stage is and the curtain opens da 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 and there I am welcome to see this and the guy says oh no not that too and that's the trouble of being in too many places and too many times to New York City the Big Apple and Norma good morning Norma you're on with Henry Tobias New York oh God bless you Henry Yes, bless you. Who's this? I used to go to Totem Lodge, and I remember you and your brothers pretty well. And I'm just wondering, do you, did your brother Charlie write, uh, if you got a girl and you don't want to lose... Yeah, <laughs> keep it under your hat. That was one of his first songs. My goodness, that was before 1925. I remember that. My goodness, you remember that song? I remember, well, I remember going... Uh, what a man of memory. Don't yeah, sit on that track. At that time... Keep it under your hat. Yes. Charlie Tobias and Lou Brow. Charlie wrote that, yes. And I also used to go up there with, uh, when, when Benny Lessie. Benny is still around. We, he's yeah, at the Benny Friars Club, and you can reach him at the Friars Club in Los Angeles, Beverly Hills. I see Benny at the races uh, in Hollywood Park all the time. That's right. He goes out there with the boys, and he's yeah. still around, and very few of the alumni are still there, but he's one of the few Bosch Belt alumni that I discovered right. at Totem Lodge. I put him together with, yeah. with Julie Oceans, and, and I, I, I booked him into Boston, and they started on, on the nightclub circuit and became very popular until Julie died. Yeah. Well, I uh, used to live up in Gloversville, New York. Yes, ma'am. Know that well. The, know the whole state well. Oh, we used to go up by boat, as you say. We used to go up by boat, night night boat, uh, to Albany, and then they used to take us right up to Totem Lodge, and I remember paying about $25 a week there. <laughs> oh, isn't that wonderful? I remember you, Henry, very well. Thank you so much. It's Thanks so for nice calling to be remembered. It was nice talking to you. All right, bye-bye. Bye. Okay, bye. Nice to be remembered, isn't it? It is. Uh, Henry, uh, how, how did you get involved in uh, emceeing and doing the things you were doing uh, down at the Fontainebleau and well, Eden social, Rock and Diplomat Hotels as in Florida? As a social director, <clears throat> you know, they called us Tumlers. Tumler was, was an abbreviated word from tumult. Mm -hmm. Tumult means to create excitement to make people happy. Uh -huh. But the owner couldn't... Is everybody happy? But couldn't, the owner couldn't <laughs> pronounce tumulta, uh -huh. so he calls us tumula. Uh -huh. And we were tumulas, social directors. We had to do everything, MC the show uh -huh. and paint the scenery and do everything but cook the meals. And uh, my reputation was pretty good at Totem Lodge as one of the outstanding social directors. Now, Moss Hart started at one place. Jerry Lewis started at Brown's. And down in uh, Miami Beach, these were big hotels. So when the big hotels them. opened up, and Eden Rock Hotel, a fellow friend of mine, Mal Malkin, said, I got the man for you. 
for the entertainment down here because they wanted mm -hmm. self-containing entertainment the sure. way we did in the mountains, the way we did in the boys' So that's club. how you got it. And that's how I got my first job at the Eden Rock. And from there, we went to the Diplomat Hotel. And all the big names played Friedlander there. Friedlander. You booked the them all in, didn't you? Yes, sir. Well, I didn't book them, no. You didn't book them. I did have the pleasure of, of booking uh, the second name. In other words, the owner would book uh, Joey Lewis, and he uh -huh. needed a vocalist, and he'd say, who have you got in mind? Uh -huh. And a gal by the name of Roberta Show was playing in a uh -huh. little nightclub opposite I the had Rooney Roberta Plaza. on the show here about a year ago. Oh, what a Isn't woman. she great? My dearest friend, her husband played, her. wrote songs with, Charlie, with Harry at, in Jacksonville, Florida. Yeah. And she was in a little nightclub and uh, across the street, and Winchell loved her and started mm -hmm. plugging her. So I said to my boss at Eden Rock, you want a gal? You'll get her cheap, and you'll get all this publicity from Winchell if you put her in here. He says, who? I says, Roberta Show. He says, you mean to say you want me to bring her into this big room? The old lady with with a symbol and, and, and a dark glasses and, and she, she with a hoarse voice I said look bring her in here and you're going to sweep the town with publicity so I said what have I got to lose so, so we called the manager up he was one of those D's, D's and them guys mm -hmm. Franklin and he almost threw him out and he made a deal for $500 $500 for the first year and $750 for the second. The second year, she was so great. They were paying $5,000. He, he got her for $750. So I, I booked her and started her career. My guest, Henry Tobias. I remember Mama so well. Golden hair and voice like a bird. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Detroit, New York, we have Shirley on the line. Good morning, Shirley. You're on with Henry Tobias. Troy, God bless you. Good morning, Troy, New York. The Chuck Rose still there? Troy, New York is still here. I said, is the Chuck Rose, the chicken factory, the people that were, uh, sold those chickens, the Chuck Rose brothers? They sure are. They are. Zebit's still there? Yes. Well, Duke Zebit, you know, become a big man in Washington. He's in all the papers now. Really? Well, sure, if you read the papers about about the last remarks made by Nick the Greek, you'll know it was done at Duke Zebit, and he's from Troy and Albany, and then when I hear Troy and Albany, I think of Duke. How's Troy? Troy is coming back. Did you ever come to Totem? Uh, Totem Lodge is in Burden Lake. Yeah, did you ever come over there? Oh, yeah. 11 miles from Troy. I just went there to a shower about the... months ago. It's still going strong. I got a story, but I can't tell it until I get raised okay about Troy. But it was a wonderful, uh, wonderful town. I, I love it. I loved it. I used to come in every week to book movies right in between Albany and Troy where Montgomery Ward is. I, I have to go in and book pictures the last minute. You know, and the boss gave me a check for $25 and said, go in and book a movie. Now, what can you get for $25? So I had to find ways of, of getting big pictures for $25 before New York got them. Yeah, give my regards to Troy. I, it was a beautiful town. I will, Harry. Thanks for calling. Henry, Bye. Harry's home listening. All right, let's say hello to Corey in the San Fernando Valley. Go ahead, Corey. Hello. Hello, Harry? Uh, Corey. Oh, <laughs> sounded like my brother Harry's voice. I got scared. <laughs> he doesn't stay up this late. I understand you were trying to get him on, Ray. No, Henry, uh, thank you, Ray, for having him on. Uh... Henry, I'll tell you, there's a side, though, that they don't really talk about. Who is this? On you. This is Corey. You, you know me by your name. Uh, but how the Tobias brothers gave it themselves during World War II and the Korean War and the aftermath of it, 
and all the USOs, the veterans hospitals, and I'll tell you, you've always shown great compassion for others. You're thoughtful. Uh, I, you performed, you know, even I think under uh, with the St. Senators a few weeks ago. That's right. They're giving me an honor next Tuesday as right. a Henry Tobias night. I will be there. Well, be there and yeah. say hello, please. And I got to tell you, Henry, thank you so much for thinking of me the night that I won the presidency of the uh, American Guild of Variety Artists. You oh, you did? Telegram. Well, uh, what's his name is around uh, in helping us book the senior citizen show. Yes, that's right. <laughs> what's his name, Field? Uh, uh, ben. Uh, uh, Oh, Faye, 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 uh, Faye, Bobby Faye. Bobby Faye. We, right. we have to leave you, Corey, but uh, thanks for the wonderful thoughts. Okay, okay. Thanks for bringing it up. Bye-bye. Right, Bye-bye. Uh, Henry Tobias, my guest, the book Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. KABC, Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word TALK. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, TALK. Hit. I certainly uh, recognize that song. Billy Vaughn and his uh, multi-million seller called Sail Along Silvery Moon. I wish I wrote that one. That was <laughs> Harry's. Harry wrote that and one. And a great story behind it. Oh, let's hear the story. Well, you know, Harry wrote with a lot of old-timers. Percy Winrich was one of them. He wrote uh, Ch Chinatown, My Chinatown, Rockabye, mm -hmm. My Baby, and a lot mm -hmm. of old songs. When Harry came out here, he was persistent, and he picked. He, he, he got acquainted with the old-time writers who was supposed to be washed up. But when a man writes a dozen hit songs like Chinatown mm -hmm. and Rockabye My Baby and songs like that, and fellows like Neil Murray who wrote Hiawatha and, and the, uh, you, uh, you Give Me Your Dream, mm -hmm. he said there must be other songs in them. And he grabbed them and he was lucky with Sweet and Lovely with Neil Murray and Sail Along Silver Moon. They took the song to the Brown Derby and Bill Frawley, Frawley was his friend, Percy, and he yeah. sat at the piano at the Brown Derby and he said, listen, we just wrote a song, Sail Along so remove. And Bill says, I like it. I'm going with Crosby next week on a radio show. Would you like me to do it with him? He said, would love it. And we'll do a song with Bing, you know, you're automatically in. Mm -hmm. And Bing did the song. And never made, he made a record, he did it on the air. Mm -hmm. But Billy Vaughn fell in love with the song immediately and made a chart. And he went in to record not that song, but others for Randy Wood, who owned yeah. Dot Records. Right. Now, they had a half hour left, mm -hmm. and they had no more songs. So Randy wanted to take advantage of the half hour mm -hmm. and said to Billy Vaughn, look, have you got another song recorded? Quick, maybe we can get another side. Did. And he didn't even know what the name of the song. And Billy Vaughn recorded Sail Along Silvery Moon. So now, many songs have, have come about that way. B-side, and I hear yeah. that you were one of the great exponents of B-side. They B -side. called me B-side brain. Well, I <laughs> I want to tell you something. The B side turned out to be the A side and the big one because uh, Randy Wood used to make his big fortune by taking hit songs of the day and making a quick recording, a duplicate uh -huh. of it, and sell right. down at Nashville a uh, couple yeah. cover right away. Yeah. But he put Raunchy on one side, thinking that would be the one, and Billy Vaughn put the other on the other side. So Bill Randell, who was the big disc mm -hmm. jockey in Cleveland, sure. called up and says, what's the matter with you, Randy? You've got a hit song called Sail Along Silver Moon. You don't know it. 
five million records all over the world, and that Fantastic. song to this day is one of Harry's biggest songs. All right, let's go to Joplin, Missouri, and Troy. Good morning, Troy. You're on with Henry Tobias. Yes, thank you, Ray. Great program. Thank you. Mr. Tobias, you spoke of Ben Burney, and you spoke of Bobby Breen. Yes, sir. I have a tape here, an actual broadcast, I'd say 1934, I think, when Bobby Breen was about nine years old, where Ben Burney introduces him. He says, I want to introduce you to a cute little shaver. He's going to be a big star in a couple of years. And his name is Bobby Breen. He says, you know, what is this I hear about you and Shirley Temple? And Bobby Breen says, oh, you know how people talk. Yeah. And, and <laughs> well, that was after Bobby had already made his first picture and Eddie had introduced him. But that was that was when, when Ben was introducing him because Bobby, uh, nobody heard of him until Eddie got hold of him. Well, but, and I also have his record of uh, Rainbow on the River. And, uh, Ray, it'd be great if you had him on here sometime, Bobby Breen. He's down in Florida. How are you going to get him up here? He booked me, and I haven't seen him in 15 years. <laughs> when I got to Florida, he was in China. Well, well now, wouldn't, wouldn't you say Ben Bernie actually introduced him instead of it? No. No, I'm sorry, but Ben, nobody heard of Bobby Breen until Eddie Cannon made him famous. Then he came, of course, he made a movie, and, he, and then everybody introduced him as the big star. But Bobby Breen was discovered by Eddie Cannon and brought to California by a little guy by the name of Henry Tobias. Well, on, on, the, on this uh, broadcast, uh, he sings the song, Don't Let It Bother You. Them skies are gray. You know that? No, unfortunately, I said to Eddie Cantor, I said that maybe I can at least get a song in his movie. But Jimmy McHugh had the contract with with MGM, and I couldn't get near that. Bobby Breen, I couldn't even get a song done by Bobby. So that's the story of my life. I can't. Well, Rick, could you have him on by telephone, actually, sometime? Yeah, by phone, sure. Bobby would be glad to. We'll see if we can do it sometime. Could I play this for him? Ben Birdie did He's down in Fort Lauderdale. Now, you say what? Well, I mean, could I play that if you... No, 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 we can't, we can't do that. Say, Bobby Green listened to this, and then Bernie, no. Ben Bernie introduced him. No, no, but I'll write Bobby and tell him that I, you asked for him. What is your name? His name is Troy. Uh, Troy. Well, we'll be, I'll tell Bobby all about you. From Joplin, Missouri. All right, Troy, thanks for the call. My guest, Henry Tobias. If I knew... And this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. All right, let's take a call from Bob in Reno. Good morning, Bob. You're on with Henry Tobias. Hi, good morning, Mr. Tobias. How are you, sir? Fine. Uh, I just wanted to tell you that uh, as a young, I'm 52 years old, and I grew up as a kid. You're a kid. I got uh, ties that are older than you. <laughs> Honestly. You, you give away your age in your book, Henry. So, <laughs> so I'm going to tell the age. And, uh, uh, he doesn't look it. I'm he does not you. look it, but he's 80 years of age. Uh, is that really honest to goodness? I was going to ask you. How honest. I'm sorry. My wife don't talk to me since the book come out. <laughs> she said, why do you have to? Everybody thinks you're so young, and I'm still doing shows for people. And if you tell them your age, they say, well, wheel them in. They think you're in a wheelchair. Do you ever but, Torino, sir. No, uh, but I, I hope to get up there soon. I've been in Vegas a few times, uh -huh. and Steve uh, Steve Sheldon, who's an agent up in uh, Vegas, has asked me to come up there a couple of times, and he told me the story. I stopped the presses on this book and to get this in. Bob Hope played the Catskill Mountains, so when you're ready for the story, I'll tell you how it happened. Mm -hmm. uh, but Reno was a beautiful town. There was a fellow by the name of Lenny Herman had a band up there. Did you know that? No, sir. For a long time, he had a small piece orchestra Reno right on the lake 
and he's down in Florida now. But I hope to be there sometime, and it's awfully nice to talk to you and to call me. Sweet and lovely. Now, your brother wrote that? Yeah, Harry wrote it. I wish I wrote it. That's beautiful. <laughs> I want to tell you something. Uh, Neil Murray wrote the melody. He was a great musician. He wrote uh, Hiawatha and many hits. And and he has a middle part in there that's very difficult musically. Did you ever hear it? No, I, so, so when the publisher heard it, he says, you're crazy. No one's going to sing. And he wanted to throw him out. And Neil Murray says goodbye. And he grabbed him at the door. He says, oh, no, he didn't want to lose the song because Crosby had introduced it. Uh-huh. And when Crosby introduced the song, people ran to the stores the next morning and wanted to buy them. So the publisher, uh, Jack Robbins, who was the greatest publisher and a very, very, very important man, he called Harry. He says, I want that song. How much advance you want? Now, Bing was uh, not in the big money then. He still had the trio at the Ambassador Hotel, and he needed the money. And 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 Harry says, a thousand dollars. It's okay. It's a deal. But mail the money to me. He said, because if you mail it to Bing, you're in trouble. <laughs> so Harry got the money, and don't you think that Bing rushed to the bank with Harry in the morning? And and what's the name? Al, uh, the, the the one of the trio of Bing Crosby, the piano player. Forget. It. I can't remember the names. You can, now you know how old I am. Oh, my goodness. Toots Thielman, have you, did you ever hear? You've heard of him, haven't you? No. He's a harmonica, harmonica player, jazz yeah, harmonica, harmonica player. player. Well, he did a he did a version of this, Sweet and Lovely. It's just, it just magnificent. So did Eddie Manson, a wonderful harmonica player. And when I told the story that I can never play the middle part, I always sing Sweet and Lovely. He said he played the whole middle part and made a production out of it. Bob, thank you very much for the call. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. My guest, Henry Tobias. His book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. KABC. Talk Radio 790. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word TALK. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then TALK. That's the voice of Al Martino. Did you write that song, Henry? Yes, sir, I did. It's one of the few songs the three brothers wrote, and there's a story behind that that I think... There's a story behind everything in your life. ...deserves deserves telling. Let's do it. Because there was a publisher who uh, was a friend of Harry's, of Charlie's in New York. He he opened up a firm in England, Mm -hmm. and it was pretty well known. And he came over to New York during the time of the Beatles, and he says, Charlie... 
He said, the Beatles are driving us crazy with that rock music over there. If I can come back with one of your old-fashioned songs that the Tobiases used to write, maybe I can break through that market. So we had trunks full of it, and then Charlie opened up the case and says, help yourself. And he played him a song we wrote 10 years before called, May I Have the Next Dream with You, Dear? And it's it's a natural, it, to me, I think it's a, one of the most beautiful songs I've written, and I was so proud of it. So he took it to England. And lo and behold, he picked out of, out of an opera company, a young man, a good-looking fellow by the name of Malcolm Roberts, and they recorded it on a pie label over there, and it became an instantaneous hit and broke through all those rock and roll records and number one in England, number two in France and Italy. So I rushed over there because Charlie was sick at that time, and I came back to New York, and I rushed to Columbia, and they said, great, let's get Jerry Vale. Jerry recorded the song, and they were about to put it out mm. when all of a sudden they said, look, we can't give you an A-side because Anthony Quinn's picture's coming out and, and Jerry's got to do this Italian song. So Charlie Tobias was very independent and said, no way, I got to get an A-side. That was a big mistake because, as you well know, you were the B-key, B-side king. <laughs> we didn't get that record. So I ran over to Bobby Vinton, who had a big hit called Love, right? Uh, mm -hmm. The big love song. And he was making an album of love. He said, look, I'd like to do May I Have, if I can change, May I Have the Next Love with You. I said, I don't care if you call it May I Have the Next Hat with You. I don't care what you do. And he recorded it and never came out. Now there's two on the shelf, right? So we ran to uh, Patty Page, her, his manager, loved it, her manager, and she lost her contract with Mercury, so there's three on the shelf. <laughs> Finally, I got hold of Mike Curb, and he gave it to Al Martino, and he put it on an album and a single, and, uh, but it never became a big hit over here, but it was tremendous all over the world. That, that happens, you know. Sometimes you write a song, it doesn't uh, become a hit in this country, but elsewhere in the world, it's a big hit. All over the world, and thank goodness for the ASCAP, the American Society of Composers, Authors, yeah. and Publishers, who log all those mm -hmm. European things mm -hmm. and collect money from them. Some of my European foreign checks are bigger than the, than the American checks. Henry, uh, maybe you can analyze me. But I, I'm sort of, you know, I was not known only, uh, not only for being the king of the, the B-sides, but uh, I, I love the, the bridge of songs, sometimes better than the actual melody. Now, let me explain. Uh, for those who don't know the construction of a song, you have the opening, and then you have a close, but you've got to tie the two together. Right. And that's called the bridge. Right. And some of the melodies in some of the bridges of the songs, or sub-melodies, if you want to call Absolutely. it that, are prettier, uh, have, have more harmonic... Uh, well, uh, that was the case in Sweet and Lovely. Yeah. Because the Sweet and Lovely was such a natural title and melody, everyone can sing that, but the middle part, yeah, da, 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 I'm going to ask you a question, you're, you're going to flip. What is the second line of Hooray for Hollywood? Now, give me the next line. La, 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 la. Nobody knows Nobody it. knows. So I said, it's lazy, hazy, crazy. <laughs> Nobody knows what it is. It's a running gag in, in the music business. And nobody knows it because they don't remember, and it's hard yeah. to sing. But and my brother Harry is mad at me because I never sing. I don't know how. When, when you're writing a song and you come to the bridge, what do you say? Well, don't laugh. 
But Billy Rose made me spend three months write a little bridge for a song I wrote called Cooking Breakfast for the One I Love, a very simple thing. I attended their wedding, yeah. Billy Rose, when he married Fanny Bryce, mm -hmm. and I went to their uh, West uh, Hotel on Medicine Avenue for breakfast, and she was serving breakfast. She says, wonderful, wonderful cooking breakfast for the one I love. And he says, that's a great song title, Henry. And he see, he was a shorthand champ. You know, he worked for Schwab as a shorthand writer and the fastest in the country. So he wrote down a shorthand, da, 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 and he gives me a piece of paper. I said, what's that? It looked he, like a Chinese He ticket. said, that's the bridge, huh? He said, no, he, yeah. that's the title I want you yeah. to write. I said, oh, I forgot you can't read shorthand. So he wrote it. Now I came home, went home, and I like to write quick because if he can't come out naturally, I figured it's no good. Mm. So it was easy to write the coffee is steaming. Oh boy, what I'm dreaming <laughs> while I'm cooking breakfast for the one I love, right? And I brought back the thing and he said to me, that middle part is a lazy middle part. That is nothing but a da 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 da, -da, -da. <laughs> Come on now, get back and don't be a lazy, right? He made me write a dozens of middle songs until he got the melody he wanted. Until he, he was got a the tough, bridge. He was a tough guy. And now, all of a sudden, 58 years later, I swear, I don't know what happened, but I get a big check from the publisher and I never made a dime in 50 years. And I said, what happened? A gal by the name of Maria Mulder. Do you know her? No. She's a jazz pianist and a great singer of jazz songs. And she found the song someplace, Cooking Breakfast for the One I Love, and recorded it. And it became a big hit all over the world. And I'm getting money from, from Europe, and I don't know what, it, what it's from. I thought maybe they were giving me the wrong check, you know? <laughs> Let's go to Brooklyn, New York. And Jerry, hello, Jerry. You're on with Henry Tobias. Brooklyn. God bless you. Jerry who? Hi. Uh, no, you don't know me. I... I wish I did. Oh, thank you. But I tell you, bringing back such memories of the Catskills. My aunt owned a couple of small hotels up in the Catskills. Well, it must be in my first book, The Bosch Belt, because I mentioned every one of the hotels. Oh, I'll have to read it. But uh, did you know the Majestic in Hurley? Yes, yes, the Majestic. The owners owned the first shop on Prospect Avenue. And that was Abner Gressler's first job. The Majestic Hotel was owned by two brothers who owned the first shop in Prosecutor Avenue, Bronx. Am I right or wrong? Well, I, my aunt was... Uh, What's their name? Some time. Her name was Lillian Newman. No, not yeah. Newman. There well, was another name. A little afterward, but she... But I know the name of the hotel. Yeah, she was part owner of the uh, Glenmere and Glenwild, New York, where Danny Kay, at about 15 years old, was the tumbler. Well, Danny Kay started at a place called White Row Lake, and he married a girl, uh, uh, Sylvia Fine, whose, right. whose father was a dentist. And uh, it was Max Lieberman who discovered him in White Row Lake. And, uh, and from there on in, he, he became very famous. Right, right. But he was just a kid at the time, and my aunt always told me about Danny being the tumbler. That's right. He was a tumbler. A tumbler is a guy who jumped in the lake and dropped his trousers for a laugh. You know, anything for a laugh. Right. I just don't so, thank you. So nice of you to talk to, and call me up and say hello to Brooklyn. I love it. Thank you, Jerry. My guest, the one and only Henry Tobias of the very famous Tobias Brothers. His book is called Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. I'm Ray Brame, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790.
Despite recent stock market fluctuations, it's still possible to find a wise investment that down the road offers a better return. The wise investment I'm referring to is the remarkable resale value of the Mercedes-Benz automobile. So instead of calling your broker, call House of Imports Mercedes-Benz in Buena Park. They'll offer counsel on the best way to finance your Mercedes-Benz investment. Whether it's an economical finance plan with up to 84 months to pay, or an affordable lease plan, including a 24-month walkaway lease, the incomparable House of Imports offers an impressive portfolio of Mercedes-Benz automobiles. Automobiles that over the years have retained more of their original value than any other line of domestic or imported car. Of course, that's one of the many dividends you get from driving one of the finest automobiles in the world. Visit the incomparable House of Imports Mercedes-Benz where the Santa Ana I-5 and Riverside 91 freeways meet in Boyner Park. Or use the phone and dial Mercedes. That's 213 or 714 M E R C E D E S. Oh, hello there. Robin Hood here. Formerly of steel from the rich, give to the poor fame. Ages ago, I hung up the old green tights because I realized I was getting a bit older. Not exactly fit enough to go gallivanting about Sherwood Forest, dueling with swords, or poaching the king's deer. But I missed the thrill of giving to the poor. So I've recently joined forces with that merry band of New Jersey philanthropists and new eyes for the needy. Now I travel the countryside over hill and dale, moor and mountain, getting good people everywhere to send in their glasses, especially metal frames, so new eyes for the needy can give the gift of sight to people who can't afford their own. They'll also accept gold jewelry, silver and hearing aids. So I beg of you, anyone within the sound of my voice, send in your old glasses, either by longbow and arrow or through the post to New Eyes for the Needy, Short Hills, New Jersey, 07078. It's a great way to give to the poor without having to steal from the rich. Are some people luckier than others because of their astrological charts? Knowledge of the future, is it always a plus? Do the stars influence a relationship? Hi, I'm Joyce Gilson, and later today I'll be with you from 2 to 3 to show you how to put astrological information to work, even if you've never used it before. Of course, I'll answer questions and talk about the Super Bowl, because astrology impacts that. So join me later today from 2 to 3 on KABC Talk Radio 79. Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by TALK, T-A-L-K. All TALK Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word TALK. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then TALK. Nothing I do can make me be uh, very happy that uh, Nat recorded that. I'll tell you something. I, I went to Florida for a reason. I, all the stars were down there, and I figured this would be a great place for me to get a couple of records. Nothing. Nat King Cole was the only man at the Eden Rock Hotel who said to me, Henry, uh, I said, I'd like to play a few new things for him. He gave me a couple of hours, and he said, there's two songs I love, and he came through. Lonesome Old Town 
and miss you. And he, he, he made his promise. And you know, I'll never forget him because he was such a beautiful gentleman and such a calm gentleman. And I had he the experience of, of introducing him. And the opening act was Jackie Leonard, Fat Jack. <laughs> and he had just got off the sick bed and was his timing was bad and he was supposed to do 20 minutes the opening act was 20 minutes and the star would do an hour right mm -hmm. and poor Jackie he bombed he had flop sweat all over him and 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 he stayed on and on and on and the, the boss was sitting with Joey Lewis get who the hook clothes <laughs> and a boss said tell Tobias to get him off quick or Tobias goes <laughs> and I didn't know what to do I flashed the lights and I started lowering the stage and finally, I gave him every signal in the world, and he finally came off. And you know something? The boss said to me, if you don't cut him down to 15 minutes, you're through. I had to fight him for a whole week to get him down from 40 minutes to 15. Until mm. the day he died, he never talked to me again. <laughs> That's the uh, problem of uh, the profession you were in at the That's time. That's the story of my life. I yeah. said it wasn't my fault. I was doing a job. All right. Let's uh, take a call from Dave. Good morning, Dave. You're on with Henry Tobias. Hello, Mr. Tobias. How are you, sir? I'm part of the Rothstein brothers. Wallenstein? Rothstein, the phonograph record. Oh, Rothsteins, yes. The name your sounds brother, very familiar. Your brother, uh, Nat, sold me my first insurance. Oh, God bless him. He's gone for a while. He was our, the angel of our family. Yes, he was with potential first, and then he went with... I've never met you, but he's a fine, fine gentleman. Well, he was. He was. He's gone now. And uh, we have reunions of the family, and his daughter and, and I were very close. The family is very close. And that was a... Was a Patriot is sort of the godfather of the family. He's the one who brought mother and dad out to California and talked us out to coming from New York. And finally, when Charlie was gone and the summer resort business was gone and my family was out here, I have a daughter in Pasadena who uh, operates the uh, Jamestown Manor, Ethan Allen store, and my three grandsons. Are you ready, Ray? I have three grandsons. Em. I wish we had some trumpets. <laughs> Timothy, Michael, and Kelly. It's a good thing their last name is Brown. And that's why we moved out here in 72, and we're happy we did. My father had a classic line. He used to live out here, and he'd say, don't tell your friends in New York back east how nice it is here. They'll only come out here and move and louse up to you joint. Yeah, it snows <laughs> so in Malibu, you know. Don't do that. Spread the word. It so, snows in Malibu. So, so don't tell him about California being so beautiful. But my father had one classic story. He never saw an orange blossom in his life. And he went out to a farm that Nate Friedman owned way, way out. In those days, Tarzana was way out. When Andrew yeah. Scissors had a home there. And he picked this flower off. the. He took a smell. And this is a visual gag. And he took a smell of this. He said, this I never hoid. <laughs> That's true. Let's tell you, thanks for the call, Dave. Let's go to Kensington, Connecticut, and Mario. Good morning, Mario. You're on with Henry Tobias. Good morning, Ray and Henry. Good I'll morning. That, uh, that song's sweet and lovely. I have it, uh, was a singer many years ago, Russ Colombo recorded. Yes, he was one of the first that recorded Russ Colombo recorded sweet and lovely to this day we kid harry tobias who loves plugging and i says he's still out there looking for russ colombo to do one of his songs russ was one of the first singers of sweet and lovely yes i remember he died very young yes and he was a close voice to 
to uh, to Bing Crosby. Everybody imitated Bing, you know. Perry Como imitated Bing, and Sinatra did, and they all try to get his style. But Sinatra developed his own. Perry Como, to me, still is one of the great ones. His voice is so great, and his music so relaxed. And Sweet and Lovely was one of those songs that everybody recorded. What was it? Some kind of a gun accident? Russ Colombo died. He's only. I don't remember, honestly. It's been so long. But he was a very fine. His picture is on the title page. The first title page of Sweet and Lovely. His picture is on it. Russ Colombo, yeah. He was one of my favorites. Uh, Utah Rain, you were talking about B-sides. That happened to Artie Shaw. Oh, sure. You were building up this song. I think Begin the Begin was a B-side, was it? Begin. That's the song I'm talking about. Ray? B-side was Indian Love Call. Oh, yeah. When he passed, there was saxophone, tenor sax, and he sang. And he was the Indian love call was supposed to be the big... Of course, of course. That's why I'm sorry that Charlie never let him do uh, May I Have as a B-side. I think it would have been a big hit over here. Maybe someday. Maybe I told Jerry Vale the other day when they start making CDs of the old songs of the old artists, I hope they put this song back in there. He'll have a smash hit. I've got an album coming out. It's out now on MCA Records and CD. Twelve years old. Frank Yankovic's polkas that I did 12 years ago. You did polkas? In a song in a place called Carnegie, Pennsylvania, outside mm-hmm. outside of Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And uh, my friend and attorney uh, was vice president of ABC and says, we can use some polkas. So we made a deal to do some polkas in Carnegie, Pennsylvania. And I brought down one of the finest voices who did all the demonstration records for Hammerstein and Rogers mm-hmm. and Irving Berlin called Bernie Knee. He had a wonderful voice and he could read everything just like that. Sure. He did some records uh, Bernie Nee and the Remember Smith Bernie? Brothers. That's right. Yeah. So he comes down and he's singing these polkas and Frank Yankovic says, that's, he, he's too good. Dude, that's too good, nice a voice. Henry, can you do it? And I start singing these polkas. That's what I want. He said, I want that lousy voice. And I sang on the record. And, I, and I, I, I produced the records and I wrote the songs and I sang on them. And 12 years later, they just sold them. MCA bought over ABC's and he just yeah. came out with the album called Frank Yankovic's Old Waltzes and and, and, and polkas and, and and Henry Tobias is singing on them. Honest to goodness, I be, I was a I was a, a record artist. I'm afraid to tell anybody. <laughs> That's when I wrote the Nixon song, and my brother Harry said, "Don't ever mention you wrote a song for Nixon." <laughs> what kind of a song did you write for <laughs> for Nixon? <laughs> well, can I tell it? We were writing polkas there, and we needed songs. Yeah. And a friend of mine had a record company, and he was also vice president of the of the, of the Republican Party. Mm-hmm. And Nixon was in trouble. This was mm-hmm. the time that half the country didn't know whether yeah. he was guilty or not. Right. And he calls me up and says, Henry, can we write a song for Nixon? I said, write a song. He needs a lawyer. <laughs> and he said, no, write a song. So I said, you know, I like to write fast things. And while I'm waiting in the market for my wife, I sit down. And I said, hang in there, Mr. Oh, I saw a, a, a headline in the newspaper. says, hang in there, Mr. President. So I wrote a song called Hang In There, Mr. President. <laughs> a fight, fight, fight. Now, we needed another polka down in Carnegie Hall, and sure enough, we made it. And when we finished, I called the station, KDKA, and a guy at a midnight jockey says, bring it over here quick, because he was a controversial figure, yeah, and everybody sure. was, was fighting uh, about Nixon being so dishonest. And all of a sudden, I was on the air for all night long at KDKA singing the Nixon song. <laughs> Henry Tobias, my guest, is born. Music in my heart and borched in my blood. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. To Randolph, New Jersey, and Ray. Good morning, Ray. You're on with Henry Tobias. Good morning, Mr. Tobias. How are you, sir? It's a pleasure.
pleasure and an honor to speak to you. It's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Where do you come from? Uh, Randolph. Uh, it's uh, outside of Newark. Oh, is that so? I have so? an interesting story to tell you, uh, Billy. When your hair is turned to silver. Oh, yes. My favorite. It's one of Hatch Alley's songs. Right. wrote with it Peter the Rose. It was our family favorite, my mother's and mine. Well, I thought you'd like to hear when I go out to entertain the senior citizens, the one song they all remember and sing the loudest is when your hair has turned to silver. I will love you just the same. I don't have to give them the words. They know it. Two weeks or three weeks before your brother passed on, he was kind enough to send me an autographed lead sheet. Oh, isn't that wonderful? I have it over the piano. Isn't that wonderful? That gives me a thrill. He was he was a great writer. Charlie, I think, was one of the truly great uh, unsung heroes of, of Tin Pan Alley, who wrote great lyrics, a commercial writer. Uh, and he was a, a, a articulate man who, who was very, very, very particular about what he wrote and, and very, you know, uh, c critical. And everything he wrote, he had to work on it and work on it. He would never be satisfied with the first job. That was the trouble with me. The first thing I write, I, that was it. I, if, it if I had to rewrite, I'd throw it away. Yes. Well, God love you, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for the call, Ray. Thank you, Ray. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. One of the giants of uh, Tin Pan Alley is with us, Henry Tobias. In the next hour, and we're going to continue with Henry, so don't go away, uh, I want to find out uh, about Tin Pan Alley, how it got its name, and the Brill Building and all those things. Oh. We'll do it in the next hour. Great. Stay with us. Henry Tobias, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood is the name of his book. There's more to come right after the news. We'll talk about May West. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. KABC, Talk Radio 790. Okay, so like I was dating this really mellow drummer, Mickey, with one earring, who was like so totally perfect I couldn't believe it, okay? I mean, like, even when he didn't feel like eating, which was most of the time, he would still take me to these fabulous restaurants, okay? And next to Galaxy Weingart, he was like the most intense person I ever met. I mean, he would talk and talk and talk for hours without stopping. Like, sometimes we would stay up all night and he would just stare into space and tell me these really awesome things about his previous life as a game show host, okay? Once he said he saw flashes like small shooting stars in front of his eyes and he knew it was God trying to signal him, okay? I mean, like, he was so spiritualoso. And, like, he called me all the time until one day he just, like, stopped, okay? So after a month, I called him and this dorky girl answered and she said something totally barf-ola about Mickey's Coke thing and suicide and this was her apartment now. So I said she was lying. So she said she wasn't. So I said she was, but she wasn't. And neither was Mickey. God really was trying to signal him, okay? If you think you can't live without drugs, don't worry. Pretty soon you may not have to. The Partnership for a Drug-Free America. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. It was 2.55 into the fourth round in Atlantic City when 38-year-old Larry Holmes went down for the last time, his third trip to the canvas in that round alone. It was Mike Tyson's 29th knockout in his 33 fights, and after he successfully defended his heavyweight boxing crown, he had these words for his aging challenger. Larry Holmes was a courageous and great champion at the time, but I just let him know he made a mistake that's coming because he had his time, and I just wanted him to know after this fight his reign his ring is over completely. But fight analyst Dr. Ferdy Pacheco says the fight should never have been scheduled. 
It was unbelievably criminal. Uh, why should they allow a former great champion who admittedly has a superb heart and courage that Larry Holmes has get up to take the kind of beating he took after the second knockdown? Holmes hadn't fought for 21 months before the Friday night slaughter. He had held the heavyweight title for seven and a half years, but his comeback attempts accomplished nothing except to win him another $3 million. No small feat. Tyson, the winner and still champion, came away with $5 million. I'll have more after this. Are you an inventor, or do you know an inventor who would like to have an invention or idea submitted to industry? For free information on how to proceed, phone 1-800-288-IDEA. Invention Submission Corporation, one of America's largest invention service organizations, has an inventor's kit you can have free. It contains a form for recording your invention's date of origination, plus an informative brochure and other material of interest to new inventors. Get your free kit by dialing 1-800-288-IDEA, IDEA. That's 288-IDEA. Even if you only have an idea for improving an existing product and don't know where to go with it, you'll want this free inventor's kit. It shows you how your invention may be packaged and submitted to industry through a data bank and by various other means. It's a free call. So dial 1-800-288-IDEA. 288-IDEA. That's 1-800-288-IDEA. President Reagan is expected to ask Congress for more aid to the Contras when he delivers his State of the Union address Monday night. The administration wants to keep the pressure on Nicaraguan President Daniel Ortega to continue his newfound enthusiasm for the Central American Peace Plan. But some Democrats think granting more Contra aid will be overdoing it and could force Ortega to back off his efforts for a ceasefire in the six-year-old war. More than 20 Democratic members of Congress have signed a petition asking President Reagan to hold off on his aid request for at least a month. 130 Democratic members of Congress are meeting this weekend in West Virginia, along with their spouses and children. Entertainer Bill Cosby spoke on the meeting's theme, family, before talking to some congressional children. That's right. And were you happy when that happened? Did you vote? Yes. In East Los Angeles, at least one person is dead and two others injured. All members of the train crews on a pair of Hatchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad trains that collided a few hours ago. Those trains were carrying diesel fuel, and the impact created a leak and a fire that engulfed the trains, at least three houses, and a church in the Pico Rivera section of the city. About 30 people have been evacuated. That fire is now out. In Marion, Utah, police are right where they've been every day for the past week, fully armed, stake out around a house where an excommunicated family of Mormon polygamists are holed up. The officers want some answers to questions about the bombing of a Mormon church last week. Fidel Castro's government is worried about the AIDS epidemic. ABC's Lionel Martin reports from Havana that nearly 20% of the Cuban population over age 15 has been tested for the deadly immune deficiency. Every blood donor, everybody admitted to a hospital, every pregnant woman, and most Cubans coming back from overseas are now being tested for AIDS here in Cuba. So far, only 174 Cubans have tested positive for AIDS. Six have died of AIDS, and 24 are critically ill. All AIDS-positive persons are confined to a sanatorium near Havana. They can receive visits and can go home one weekend a month. Lionel Martin, ABC News, Havana. This is ABC News. 
The best laid plans of mice, men, and drug dealers sometimes go awry. In Camden, New Jersey, narcotics officers had just collared a man they suspected of peddling illegal substances when the suspect's high-tech gear did him in, along with some other folks. It seems the suspect's digital beeper beeped, so the narcs decided to answer the call. Quick thinking by the men in blue led to a quickie sting operation being set into motion. An officer arranged to sell the caller a half ounce of Coke for 850 bucks. Before it was over, two more suspects were in the paddy wagon. For the ABC Information Network, I'm Mary Margaret Myers. Drugs and alcohol hurt. Before I started drugs, I was very, very close to my family. As soon as I got heavy into drugs, I avoided them. I was ashamed. I fought with them all the time. I lied to them. I cheated them. I cheated my family so, so bad. It's more pain than people could even imagine feeling. You're just, you're sick. You're, you can't even look in a mirror at yourself without wanting to cry, without wanting to hit the mirror, throw something at the mirror. You know, it's just, it's, it's a feeling I never, ever want to feel again in my life. Get the pain out of your life. Call the Narconon program now. It's drug-free and pressure-free. We care more and cost less. And best of all, it works. Call 213-733-2200 now. There's no obligation, only help. 213-733-2200, the Narconon program. Make your life painless. KABC, Talk Radio 790. Radio. I'm Ray Brame, and my guest is Henry Tobias, one of the giants of Tin Pan Alley. His new book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. And uh, I've got to ask you, Henry, before I forget, because otherwise I'll, I'll do just that. Uh, how did Tin Pan Alley get its name? Very good question and an interesting story. In the old days, the publishers were located in 34th Street around that area in New York City. And, I, and, I, and an editor, a reporter for the billboard, walked along the street and he heard these old upright pianos sounding like hitting tin pans. And when they, as they kept playing, they kept playing with those honky-tonk sounds. Mm -hmm. And he named it Tin Pan Alley. In, in, the, in the billboard, and, the, and it stuck. And then they moved uptown to 47. And that's the Brill, the Brill building. building, yeah. Then they went up to 50, 50th Street, the Brill Building, 1619 Broadway. And then around the corner, Irving Brilling Building, that was my office with Charlie, 1650 Broadway mm -hmm. on 51st Street. Then they start moving uptown to 59th, then over to the east side, and now <laughs> they're down towards Fifth Avenue because the rents are so high uptown, they're all moving down. The 24th Street in a place like Tin Pan Alley, as it was, was known me. for so long, really is a ghost of itself today. They're, they're operating on yesterday's songs because today there are very few uh, authors and composers that are writing songs anymore. Well, they're not writing those kind of songs. Yeah, I that's mean, what you mean, the artists look, do their own thing. They, look, they, when, a, when a man has written a lot of hit songs, or a dozen, or a half a dozen like Harry has, Charlie's got, had dozens of them. That's why he wouldn't uh, turn them over to any publisher. He insisted that his mm -hmm. sons, Freddie and Jerry, run the business. And he had so many of these songs that you named on these titles that, that, uh, that have belonged to him as a publisher after 28 and 56 years. Songs 
like uh, old lamplighter, Don't Sit Under the Apple Tree, When Your Hair Is Turned to Silver, Rose O'Day. These are all Charlie Tobias' songs. They, they wrote songs that way that time, and, and, and it lived for a long, long time. And I forgot your question. <laughs> the so question much. is that the music business has changed, and well, Tin Pan Alley as such uh, really doesn't exist well, that much listen, anymore. Well, listen, if you were making a nice income from your old songs without any effort, the publisher just uh, sends them around, don't even plug them, and you were making a good income and come out to live in California, would you still be writing songs no, and but, trying to get a hit song? But another I, one? I miss those days of when we had we people them. writing songs. Of now we have we artists writing rock, and they're not necessarily songs as we That's know right. them. That's you right. can't hum it. It's a, That's right. It's a composition. Not even Barry Manilow. He's yeah. figured the day's coming back with those standards, you know, because what's her name? Linda Ronstadt started sure. with the standards and making, yeah. and, and Willie Nelson. and uh, The story about Linda so, Ronstadt. So, so, she, so he writes an album of standards himself, and it went right down the tube. You can't write a standard. You know, it's like the old gag, give me a pencil, I'll, I'll write an opera for you. I had, you can't do it. I had Nelson Riddle on the show before he died, and he said the story oh, what behind... what a sweet man. Yeah, he said the story behind uh, Linda Ronstadt's first album was that she was driving down the freeway and had heard Frank Sinatra out of Only the Lonely album do right. What's New. That's right. And That's right. got hold of Nelson Riddle That's because right. he had done the backing and said, I want to do it and I want to do an album with you. That's the way it began. That's exactly when Nelson told me the story. Yeah. He was a beautiful man. And when I came to him and said, can't you get... Frank to do Miss You, He's, and Linda Ronstadt to do it. Mm -hmm. He said, look, Linda knows what she wants to do. We throw her songs. We tell her this is a great, listen to it. Mm -hmm. She does the final choice. I can't do anything about it. But you know, this uh, idea of how we don't have a new generation of songwriters coming up reflects the paucity of writers when it comes to Broadway. I mean, they're resurrecting old shows and they're big hits. Right. Because Dan, we don't my have My friend any Danny Shapiro told me last night that he and Sammy Fain wrote a show, Anchors Away, in mm -hmm. Broadway that ran for a year or years ago. It, they're just opening it in, right. in Connecticut, the revivals of old songs. And he said to me, why don't you do the old Boschka page review? I said, look, I've got so many projects to, to take care of. First of all, this book means so much to me, I'm going to spend a year working on it. And I've got the polka albums, and we're still writing. Harry and I, once in a while, we write. Well, I entertain senior citizens. We just wrote a song called Never Resent Growing Old. For very few are given the privilege. That's a beautiful thought, How true. right? How true. Well, Senator Pepper picked it up, Jimmy Roosevelt, and they're starting to make it a theme song of the senior citizens. I do a lot of senior citizen entertaining for the Eddie Cantor Charitable Foundation. Let's talk about Eddie I'm doing Cantor. one tomorrow. You were with Eddie Cantor how many years? Well, I met Eddie Cantor when I was in Worcester, Massachusetts. I was 12 years old then, and uh, my brother, my father's brother was David. That's Ida mm -hmm. Tobias's father. Mm -hmm. Got a phone call from him, or a letter or a wire, and said, my daughter Ida just married an actor by the name of Eddie Cantor. He's going to appear at the Polite Theater in Worcester. Please treat him nice. He's an orphan. <laughs> and, 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 you know, make him feel at home. Well, we did. And mother, uh, you know, in those days, in the parlor, uh, nobody would use the parlor except for weddings or funerals, you know, it was uh, everybody lived in the kitchen. In the sure. And my mother had these dishes on the wall, and Eddie, we didn't know he was a juggler. And he knocked at the door and rang the bell, and he said, my name is Eddie Cantor. I 
I married Ida, and Uncle David said that I should come and say hello to you. Well, we greeted him royally. And, you know, Eddie was the kind of a, a vivacious uh, apostle of pep that always uh, wanted to make people laugh. And he would grab, he grabbed my, daughter, my wife, my mother's beautiful dishes, you know. You couldn't touch them or you'd yeah, get murdered. Right. And he would start juggling, you know, my mother <laughs> screamed and he would fall on the floor and he'd catch him in time. And that's how I first met him. He invited us to the Polite Theater. And when the spotlight went on the box and he introduced my uncle Max and Minnie Tobias and the family, that's when I became a ham. That spotlight hit me and from then on in I and was And you started playing piano for him. Well, later on, I, I, my ambition was to work for him sometime, you know, and he was so good to us all the time. He sang our songs, but I was shy with him. You know the story, as close to the forest as you get, you don't see the right. trees. And I wanted to work for him, and finally I read in the variety, Eddie Cantor fired his staff, he's coming east to get a new staff. So I said to Charlie, Charlie, do me a favor, I can't come to Eddie. I know him too well, and I'm so close to him. I can't come to him and ask for a job. He thinks I'm, uh, I own the hotels up there. He thinks I'm a millionaire from the song and I can't just go I'm, I'm shy that way you know and I needed a job and he sat at Lindy's with Eddie and Eddie, Eddie says Henry he says Eddie you've got a guy who you know and you love has been with you for years who writes songs writes gags entertains does everything you're looking for and what are you waiting for he says who he says Henry Tobias my goodness, I never thought of it. He said, he works starting tomorrow, he's with me. I was with him for three years. I went on the road, I played the piano, wrote songs with him. I wrote, uh, and was I... Was he doing his radio show at those, in those days? He was doing um, the... No, he was doing the Colgate Hour. Yeah. Be, was the Mad Russian with him at that time? Yes, Frank Gordon? yes. How do you do? Yes, the Mad Russian was with him. He was doing a radio show, and Dave Friedman was his writer. Huh. And... Uh, uh, I, I, he got me a job rehearsing banjo eyes. He did banjo eyes on Broadway, you know. And he, he, he let me rehearse the banjo eyes days, so I got closer and closer to Eddie. But I loved him because he was such a great, one of the greats of all times. As I told you before, he was a success in every phase of show business. You know, but uh, a great humanitarian. Cookie Fairchild and his wife Hortense used to call up on this program all the time. Did they you were know very, Cookie? very close friends, yes. I knew both of them. Wonderful guy. Yeah, they were. Uh, Henry Tobias is my guest. Uh, Music in my heart and borscht in my blood is the book. We'll be back and start taking some calls in a moment. And this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. Norm's really went after the world traveler when they came up with their super breakfast specials from only $1.29. Norm's? Norm's restaurant? Sure. I summer at the beach, and I count on Norm's. Huntington Beach, Long Beach, Santa Monica. And Norm's has their super breakfast specials. Monday through Friday from 4 a.m. to 11.30 a.m. Well, what about winter? There's no Norm's in Aspen. Oh, too cold. I winter in Orange in Costa Mesa, where I know I can get into Norm's for a super breakfast special, and there's no snow. That's right. Norm's is in Anaheim and Santa Ana, too. And then there's springtime in San Gabriel. And just like Norm's in Huntington Park and Lakewood and Torrance, they have super breakfast specials. From $1.29. Don't you miss Norms when you go shopping in London and Paris? I shop on Rodeo. And there's a Norms on Pico and one on La Cienega. With super breakfast specials from 4 to 11.30 a.m. I enjoy the ponies at Hollywood Park and eat at Norms in Inglewood. And there's a Norms in Van Nuys. What do you do in Van Nuys? I don't know. What would you do in Van Nuys? In Costa Mesa, Norms is on Harbor Boulevard at Victoria. 
J.H. Bigger wants to help you make 1988 the best year ever. Start the new year off right by making your home a reflection of your good taste with the help of distinctive home furnishings from J.H. Bigger. During J.H. Bigger's 61st annual sale of winter, you can save from 20 to 50% on everything in the store. Choose from the finest selection of living room, dining room, and bedroom furniture, sofas, love seats, chairs, and more from America's premier furniture manufacturers. Treat yourself to the luxury, the fine quality, the superb selection, and exceptional value offered exclusively at J.H. Bigger. In addition, free delivery anywhere in Southern California. So wish yourself a happy new year. Shop for the best winter sale values with added savings now from J.H. Bigger, Southern California's largest Drexel Heritage dealer. With stores near you in Pasadena, Woodland Hills, and Irvine. Open Monday through Saturday, 10 to 6, Sunday, 12 to 5. Sale ends Sunday, January 24th. Are all diets destined to fail? Hello there, I'm Michael Jackson. Six months ago, we met a group of massively overweight people starting a new program. We've invited them back to check their progress. Just one of the topics in the week ahead for our special Jackson at 11 themes. We'll also meet stock market guru Paul Erdman, actor Tim Curry, and funny man Dom DeLuise. Do plan on spending time with us. Michael Jackson, back at it live Monday from 9 until 1, right here on Talk Radio KABC. Talk Radio 79 numbers and in the word talk, T-A-L-K. South Bay Area, dial 679. Glendale and Pasadena, 244. 990 for the San Fernando Valley. And in Orange County, the 714 area, 750. The 213 area of Orange County, 448. Los Angeles, it's 520. And then talk. The Beautiful song. One of uh, Tin Pan Alley's greats is with us this morning, Henry Tobias. We've been uh, wanting to do this for a long time, Henry. I'm glad that you finally wrote the book so we can do it. I'm glad you invited me. You know, it's it's tough to get on these radio shows as a songwriter, but like like Freddie Cordova, the producer of Johnny Carson Show, told me when I kept trying to get on, he said, look, we've got a dime a dozen with a songwriter, but when the book starts going, then we'll talk business. <laughs> if you want to talk with Henry Tobias, here's how. If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520, followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, Dial 639, and then talk. Fronda is on the line. Good morning, Fronda. You're with Henry Tobias. Good morning. Good morning. I, I think, Henry, the last time I saw you was at your brother Harry's, nine, Harry's 90th birthday. Oh, what an evening. We'll never forget about it. My brother, today we had lunch at the Friars, and when Milton came by, my brother Harry said, you made that 90th birthday a, a most memorable affair of ours. It was. And my brother Harry's 90th birthday, Milton surprised us and came in and was a star guest. But it was a couple of years ago, because Harry is now... 93. 93. Going to be in September. And... Uh, That's right. And Milton came in at on his 90th birthday. <laughs> he had one the 80th. Are you talking about his 80th? No, I'm talking. Well, no, I'm talking about the 90th. 90th. That was just yeah. two, three years and ago. He said, sure. He's fantastic. He has so much energy. Who was that? 
I, I'm talking about Harry. God bless him. He uh, there's one in a million. I think when the Lord made him, they threw away the the mold because they don't make them like that anymore. Well, I think he's... Harry is the most loved man in Hollywood. I never heard a, a, a single person say one bad word about him. He loves everybody. He's just an adorable man. He, uh, I think he's still plugging his songs. He never quits. Well, he never quits, never. He calls me up all during the day. Once Let's a song plugger, to... always a song Always plugger. a song plugger. <laughs> As a matter of fact, the music, the publisher, Hippocrine, Mr. George Blagger Widow, said to me, one of the reasons I, I bought this book is because those Tobias brothers are such pluggers. I said, I, said, I know you're going to, you did it with your songs, you'll do it with your book. You know, Harry, God bless him, he's still around. Uh, a little slow down now, doesn't drive the car and takes it easy, but we had lunch today with his family, came in from St. Louis, he has a daughter in St. Louis, uh, and a uh, son-in-law and his grandson is on KMOX uh, television uh, on CBS in St. Louis. Yeah, I, um, the reason that I know your family is because my father was, um, who's gone now, but he was Sophie's, um, that's Harry's... Oh, Harry's wife? So From Jacksonville, Florida? They were cousins. They were? Yeah. What was his name? So I'll tell Harry tomorrow. Feinblatt. What was the name? Harry Feinblatt. Feinblatt. Yeah, and, um, and he was Sophie's cousin. And, yeah. And, uh, of course, Sophie was married to Henry. This is old folks talk, talk here. Yeah, well, but, you know, it's so interesting. Where do you live? I live in Torrance. Torrance, is that Torrance, so? California. Yeah. They all come out here. Yeah. It's a beautiful country. My one regret, I say in the book, was that I didn't come out here much earlier. But I was Because born there's nothing like California. I, I'm a real Californian. I was born in Los Angeles. But I thought I'd tell you a funny story. Um, when your parent, they, I have to tell you that the Tobias brothers had the most wonderful parents. Thank you, sir. Everybody loved them. They were Thank you. wonderful with a great sense of humor. Thank and you. And when they had their golden wedding anniversary, which is, I don't know, was that 35 years ago? It's in the book, the picture of them at the golden anniversary. Eddie Cantor was there and all the songwriters mm -hmm. at the Ambassador Hotel. I can't remember the year, but it's right in the book. It must be, I don't know, 35 years ago or more. I, I've lost track. Yeah, we've had a picture. We have a picture yeah. of it right here. And, and, they, and they, they, they had the golden anniversary right here's a picture of all the brothers with mother and dad at the ambassador hotel and all the boys were right. there with their wives and they put on a big show and that, everyone that's right. performed and it was just one well eddie and ida were there that's right remember yes wolfie gilbert well, well, sammy fain all the songwriters danny shapiro fronda we have to go and thank you very much for the call my guest henry tobias i'm ray bream and this is kbc talk radio am 790 to Yonkers, New York, and Bill. Good morning, Bill. You're on with Henry Tobias. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning, sir. I wonder if you knew Jimmy Dale? Uh, yes, Jimmy Dale wrote Italian lyrics. Uh, the fellow who wrote Italian songs, Jimmy Dale. The name sounds very familiar. He used to... Uh, help me out, please. He worked with uh, Hoagie Carmichael. Oh, yes, yes. He was a ranger? Right. Ranger. Right. Oh, I had another Dale who wrote Italian lyrics to one of my songs, and he was known as a special lyric writer. But Jimmy Dale was an arranger. And the orchestrations, they don't make them anymore. Ray, you asked me what happened to sheet music. Yeah, what and did that, happen that to that sheet music? That was a question. Well, as soon as we finish with this conversation, we'll tell you about All it. All right, good. But uh, Jimmy Dale was one of the popular orchestrators of those days. Is that right? Right. He uh, arranged uh, those little uh, orchettes. 
Yeah, the orchestrations, they used to sell them to the small bands. Right. They don't do that anymore. They don't sell sheet music anymore. I worked with them for a while. Uh, when when you're through, I, I must explain to Ray why the sheet music died out. I, I don't know. It's, it's no pianos anymore. Whatever it was, my brother Charlie had the honor of having the last one million copy seller of sheet music in this country called the old lamplighter. But they don't make them anymore. There's not any pianos around. The kids don't practice and don't want to study. Like me, I never wanted to study the piano. And, and they don't play tunes as we they knew They don't them. play tunes. There's no melodies now yeah. to play. They have these fake books, and they take yeah. the fake books and put the chords on them. <laughs> and honestly, I never even knew what a chord was. It's a whole different world out there. Yes, sir. I have a couple of boxes of arrangements. Good for you. Hold on to them. They're precious. And uh, he seemed to be sort of mysterious. Uh, I understand he might have been uh, affiliated with a mafia, too. Oh, well, we wouldn't know that. <laughs> we wouldn't know that. The only story I have about that was the story down in Florida. You told me somebody said that Henny Youngman, uh, we were talking to, was in Arthur. He said Youngman still lives down there. Well, I went down there a couple of years ago. We did a benefit with Youngman, and we were driving along Collins Avenue when all of a sudden I see a man with a dog walking, and I recognize it. And it's, it's, Lans it's Lansky, Meyer Lansky. Meyer Lansky. And I said, I know him because I worked with Diplomat. And we went, went across the street in the dark, and he's walking alone, and I said, Maya, does Henry Tobias remember me, diplomat? He says, yes, how are you? And I was the only one of the mafia they ever knew. All right. I'll tell you a story about that later. Thank you very much, Bill. My guest, the giant of Tin Pan Alley, Henry Tobias, his book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brame. ABC Talk Radio 790. not If you're calling from Los Angeles, dial 520 followed by the word talk. T-A-L-K follows all of our numbers. For the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. The San Gabriel Valley, 448. In Burbank, 244. And in Compton, dial 639. And then, talk. I never knew. Boy, doesn't that set a mood? Oh, a mood of Charlie Kiska was here if he would be alive today. He would be the greatest thrill in his life to hear Sinatra's version of Lonesome Old Town. I said to Nelson Riddle one day, Nelson, how did, why did Frank do it so slowly? He said, well, that's the way Frank wanted to do it. It's a 28-bar song. It, you know, it has only four lines. It's a lonesome old town when you're not around. I wish to be back again. Uh, I never knew that I loved you so until it, uh, it's a lonesome old town. It's only uh, uh, no 28 bridge. bars, nothing. The bridge was, I never knew mm. that I loved you so mm. until the, 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 it's a lonesome old town. It was the simplest song in the world, a minor melody, and, and that's why it lived so long. I love minor melody. I First song I ever wrote was Katinka, a mm. minor melody song. I'll tell you a minor melody song I love. Uh, I think Matt Dennis wrote it, Angel Eyes. Oh, yes. Matt Dennis. I played a lot of my shows. I do a lot of songwriters on parade with uh, 
Jay, uh, Ray Evans and Jay Livingston. Uh, Get those boys on, will you? I'll do it. Oh, they're I the greatest. Them. They're the oh, last they of the great um, songwriters of a, in Hollywood. And and Sammy Fain, of course, my dearest friend. And I love, of all the medleys, when I sit at a party, I don't play Tobias song. I play Sammy Fain songs. Sammy Fain. He wrote the lyric Sammy, to... Sammy, uh, melody. Love is a splendid thing. Love is a many splendid that thing. old feeling. Right. Uh, yeah. Precious love. Right. Uh, oh, did, so many did, of them. Did, you remember the story about uh, love is a many splendid thing? They couldn't get any anybody to do it. They took it to Nat Cole. Nat yeah, didn't yeah. want it. No, they they finally wound up with the four aces. No kidding. No, yeah. I didn't know that. But but Nat King Cole did demonstration records for Harry for fifty dollars. Really? When he started. But I had one thrill in my life. I've had some old melodies. And Paul Webster, before he passed away, was a member of the Songwriters mm -hmm. Guild of America, one of our wonderful organizations and the most important representative of songwriters. And he was on the council. And one day for lunch, I says, Paul, I think he was one of the great writers, a poet. I said, you do me an honor. Could you write one of my tunes? I've got a couple of favorites. And he said, well, I'm busy now, but send it in. I send it in. And two months later, he wrote two songs of mine called Love Is and Star of Love. And to me, to this day, I can't get them published. But they're beautiful songs, and I know someday they will be. With a Paul Francis Webster lyric, I brought it to, 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 to Tony Bennett, who loved Paul, and he said, I, I have no contract. Where am I going to do it? Here's and he said, Johnny Mathis, who loved Paul Webster, he said, where am I going to do it? What am I going to do? i got to do contemporary songs. i got to do this kind of a song. But here, here is a, a great song, Sammy Fain and Paul Francis Webster's Love is a Many Splendored Thing, and they couldn't get any star to do it. They wound up with the four aces. And then, uh, after it was a smash, everybody well, well, uh, You mean before the picture? Before they used it in the movie? Uh, I'm not sure it was before. That was after. in the movie. You know? Yeah, I know it was in the movie. William but, Holden uh, and... But they, they couldn't get anybody to record it. Oh, I've got millions of stories like that. Yeah, I'll bet. Let's go to Pittsburgh. We have Mary on the line. Good morning, Mary. You're on with Henry Tobias. Good morning, good morning and thank morning. you for a beautiful morning. Thank you. Enjoy the program. Thank Henry. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, I listened to a program with Milton Berlon. Oh, God bless him. Yes. I love him. He was discussing, unless I was half awake and half asleep, I prayed around at night as a senior citizen. And um, he was talking about, I don't know, a gang got together and they composed or wrote the, I'd give a million to Mars for... Oh, that was one of Milton's songs, yeah. Milton... <laughs> we tried Carnegie Library and... You know, no, I, I, I helped Milton put his songs together. He has about a dozen songs with his own little firm, and I'm, he's trying to negotiate to get it with the Warner Brothers to handle it. He's got, in his new book, he's got a list of these songs. But, you know, Milton is one of the few artists who would rather write a hit song than do anything else. Another was Fred Astaire. Really? Fred, you'd pass by a piano room and a publisher, and Fred was sitting there writing melody. He would rather write a song than anything else, and Milton, too. He, well, he writes in his book, he was a ham songwriter. He loved songwriters, and he was a good writer. I wrote a couple of songs with him. My one song was a little label, never became a hit, but it was called You're Not Fooling Anyone But Yourself, Baby. And then I did a couple of songs with him with this show that he put some money in. He never forgave me for that 25 grand. <laughs> Tell me, is there any way at all I can get the melody? The, how can you get it? A Milton song? Yeah. You write a note to the Friars Club, Beverly Hills, California, Milton Burl. 
Tell him that you love the song, and his manager will be glad to send a copy. They Xerox a copy, and I'm sure they will. And don't forget his picture show tomorrow. He does his first syndicated show. His old television show will be on tomorrow. Texaco Star Theater. Texaco Star. Call second time around. And incidentally, Pittsburgh is going to go off this station the end of the month. Our hearts are broken. Well, uh, you've got to do a little missionary work and find another station for us. Sure. Yeah, I have to call the station? You we'll call another station. This is a rare opportunity to talk to a man who loves the old-time songs and loves Tin Pan Alley and knows so much about it. And this is the second opportunity I had in a lifetime to sit for a few hours and talk my heart out. It's wonderful. Uh, I appreciate all right, it. Mary. I want to thank Ray and thank you for calling. Thank you. Bye-bye. My guest, Henry Tobias. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. All right, we have Pinky on the line from Phoenix. Hello, Pinky. Hi, Ray. All right, you're on with Henry Tobias. Hello, Henry. Pinky, I want to tell you something you wouldn't believe. I was supposed to be in Phoenix, Sun City tonight with Phillips' show. Al Trace called me, and I said yes at first. My wife hasn't been well. So uh, then I realized I had Ray Beam's show and two this morning and a luncheon date with Milton today, and I had to cancel Phoenix. Uh, it, how far is Sun City from Phoenix? Yeah, I'm uh, 69 and holding. I spent 30 years in the Air Force, and I'm one of the lucky survivors of flying combat sorties in three wars. Good for you. And uh, But I have a question... Uh, I was at PW over in Germany, and how do you spell Borscht? Uh, B-O-R-S-C-H-T, Borscht. We, Borscht, the Russians called it Borscht, we, but we make it easier, Borscht. Russians in the compound, of course there were 200,000 of us at the end of the war, but uh, their Borscht was... Uh, beets, it's a beet soup. soup. Made of red beets. Yeah. But if you add sour cream, you get a little better taste with it. Or, or boiled potatoes. Yeah. What's the old gag about? I, I dreamt last night I flew over a, a lake full of borscht, and I had no potatoes and sour cream with me. Um, we were fortunate in early 42 down at Ellington Field. We had Crosby and Hope. And what a show it was. Mm. And then, uh, of course, when we were in England, uh, we had a um, great gang of girls that came over and entertained. And when we were in Creaky Camp, uh, Duke Diamond and his Luft Bannisters, uh, Duke Diamond used to play for Paul Whiteman. He had a 15-piece band. I remember Pingatore with Paul Whiteman. He recorded one of my first songs called Wedding of the Birds. Oh, and Pingatore was a famous banjo player, remember? Um, okay. Pingator? Ray, would you remember that name? Um, no, that's beyond me. <laughs> you mean to say one, one, one of the records you don't remember? I don't remember. Paul Whiteman. What? Well, I remember Paul Whiteman, but I don't remember... Um, Pinkatoa. Pink, he uh, was a famous... Uh, oh, yeah. Those stop tempo things. Yeah. One of his trumpet players was Dusty Runner, I don't think. No. I don't know if they're around. So, uh, what's the question, Pinky? Oh, uh, 
I just want to know, uh, do you recall Justice Song at Twilight? Yeah, Justice Song at Twilight. Who doesn't remember that? Well, when I was a kid. I was a kid in the seventh <laughs> Oh, sure, I remember that song. So what's the point, Pinky? Great to talk with you. It's nice to talk to you, and thanks for remembering. Sure. All right, thank you, Pinky. Henry Tobias, one of the... Uh, all-time greats of Tin Pan Alley, along with the Tobias Brothers. His book is called Music in My Heart and Borched in My Blood. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brame. Talk Radio 790. In Los Angeles, the number is 520, followed by Talk, T-A-L-K. All Talk Radio 79 numbers are followed by the word Talk. Orange County, 714 area, dial 750. And the 213 area, dial 448. The South Bay area, 679. And the San Fernando Valley, dial 990. And then Talk. Sweet and lovely. Nelson Riddle and that great arrangement to a Tobias song and then have Ella sing it, how can you go wrong? Did you see Ella the other night? No, I missed her. On television. Yeah, I really missed her. On NACCP show mm-hmm. for the uh, black entertainers, they had somebody sing uh, Tisket to Tasket and she came on, they brought her on. Mm. She's been very ill. I know. And they wouldn't let her off without singing something. I forget what it was. She didn't do Tisket, she did something else. Mm. Just sensational, those those hot licks of hers, uh, those jazz licks. There's nobody like her in the her world. Her interpretation of a lyric. Oh, not only that, the, the, those uh, sure. those Crosby breaks. Those mm-hmm. little, 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 mm-hmm. Oh God! When she just, sings, uh, just great. Uh, you go to my head, oh. a julep or oh. two. <laughs> Knocks yeah. me out. All right, let's take a uh, call here from Anne. Hello, Anne. Hello, good morning. Good morning. You're on with Henry Tobias. What a marvelous program. Oh, Henry, I wish all those songs would come back. Oh, thank you. So do I. You remember 1650 Broadway? Well, that's where I was on 11th floor. That was my office there. That's where my husband was on the same floor with you. No kidding. What was your husband's name? Harry Gray's. He and his father, the Gray's Electric Company. Oh, oh, I thought it was a music publishing business. I know there was Kramer, there was Alex Kramer and uh, somebody else uh, on that floor, but I don't remember your husband. Oh, yeah. We had that corner office there with the safe that they had to tear down the wall to put, bring out. I remember. The old jewelry store or something. Well, you know, he knew Charlie very well. We used to meet all the time. Well, you know, it's a strange thing. Uh, I, I, I opened up the story uh, in my 
forward and I talk about, in my book, I talk about looking out the window of 1650 Broadway and seeing my whole career start right down the street. And it did because I started at 1440 Broadway and WOR yeah. and, and right next to 42nd Street and then Leo Feist was in the corner of 49. And right at the window at 1650 Broadway, 11th floor, I could see my whole career, the beginning of my career standing. And that's how I start my book. Oh, that's beautiful. My husband was in that building for about 18 years. Yeah, we were there a long time. Irving Berlin was on the second floor. Right, and then we came out here in 1971. You know that Irving Berlin's got his 100th birthday, August? He has. You hear the classic line, Ray? No. America Society is giving him a party celebration, oh and they asked his permission to, uh, to do it, and he said, what's the hurry? <laughs> 99 years old, he said, what's the hurry? <laughs> and now he says, I want to make sure that it's going to be the Carnegie Hall, and I want to be okay. Everything that goes on there, oh, he's a very fantastic. fussy guy, but brilliant, brilliant man. Never be another one. Is his wife still alive? What? Is, is Ellen still alive? Ella uh, Fitzgerald? No, no, his wife. Oh, yes, yes, she's still around. You know, her father was. Yeah, well... Her father was the owner of Western Union. Yeah, now I forget his name. But he owned the, the uh, Mackey estate in Rome. Yeah, Mackey, yeah. Um, he, you know, you know the famous story, of course, his father objected to his, his daughter marrying a little Jewish boy from the east side, Irving Berlin. And when he was in trouble and almost went bankrupt, he had to go to Irving for money. Right. And Irving got him out of the hole. This is true. Isn't it? You know, we had a home right on his property. You did? Yeah, after they sold the Mackey. What was his name, Mac Mackey? Yeah. McKay, yeah. The McKay's yeah, she's still alive. I asked that question to Irving Berlin's uh, manager, Benny Gilbert, who's located at 6430 over here in Los Angeles. And he's a good friend of mine. I asked him if she's still alive. He says, yes, she still is. And he still calls up every day and uh, how are things going and what's new. And, and he's very fussy. He won't let his songs be used in another publisher's album and nothing. I was sitting in uh, Warner Brothers Vice President, Warner's handles our catalog, and, and he said, they won't even want to let us use a, a, a Fred Astaire album with his songs. He said, no, Irving Berlin's got to have his own album. Remember what uh, Irving Ber Berlin wrote for uh, the savings bond campaign during World War II? Any bonds today? Well, that was his. I didn't know yeah, it was yeah. his song. Yeah, it's his song. Because we Words all wrote topical songs. i sure. got to tell you this one story. But he wrote it especially for the United States government. But we always wrote topical songs. Oh. The, one, the yeah. one thing I regret is the Nixon song. But last <laughs> year, when Pete Rose beat uh, Ty Cobb's record, Harry and his, his nephew, uh, Jerry Tobias, Charlie's son, and Arthur Hamilton of ASCAP were sitting in the friars, and Milton Berle ran up and said, Pete Rose just broke Ty Cobb's record. Why don't you fellows write a song about it? <laughs> so Harry says, what's the big deal? In 1912, I wrote my first song called National Sports as a tribute to Ty Cobb, 1911. <laughs> and here it is, 1987, and, he, and we wrote a song called Sweet Pete Rose, and you know something? His manager wouldn't let us use, the, use, use a picture on it. The guy was making millions, Pete, and we loved him. And the song, I said, look, Babe Ruth, my brother wrote a song about Babe Ruth, and every, every artist in the world would love to have his picture on a song. We're not worrying about the money, and they, they wouldn't let us use the song. It was never published. It's got a copy out. Sweet Pete hmm. Rose. Santa Maria and Jim. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Ray. You're on with Henry Tobias. 
Uh, Mr. Tobias, I just wanted to uh, mention the fact that many years ago, uh, uh, during uh, World War II, your brother Harry was so kind to me. Uh, at, at that time, I was uh, going to go into show business, although I didn't go into it, but he was so kind to me, and uh, I never forgot that. It's been back in about 1942-43. As I recall, he, uh, he, had a, he wrote a song about his son that was killed. That's right. That's right. He wrote a song called In God We Trust. He, he, he dedicated to his son, yes. Elliot. Moon on My Pillow was a song that Eddie Cantor uh, had Dinah Shaw sing for him when he was sick. The kid who died at 21 years old, a brilliant boy. Yes. He wrote lyrics. His name was Elliot Tobias. Yes, sir. And I, 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 when I heard the program tonight, I often thought about your brother, and I, I never had the opportunity of seeing him again uh, over, the, over the years. But I just wanted to tell you, sir, that uh, he's a first-class gentleman. Well, I want to tell you, sir, it's a pleasure to tell you that he's still alive and kicking in well. Is there any way that I could uh, call him just to say hello? Well, sure. You look in the phone book and ask the information uh, where Harry Tobias is in Sherman Oaks, and they'll give you his phone number. He'll be happy to talk to you. God bless you, sir. Thank, Thank you. you, Jim. Thank you, sir. My guest, a legendary figure, he and his brothers, one of the uh, great team songwriting teams, certainly uh, a family team, you might call it that way, of uh, Tin Pan Alley. The Tobias Brothers, Henry Tobias is with us. His book, Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. And this is KBC Talk Radio, AM 790. So have you ever thought about the things you take for granted? Reading the morning paper, jogging, riding a bike, watching TV, playing golf, driving a car. Now what do all of these things have in common? You need your vision in order to perform them. However, if you suffer from cataracts, you may have trouble with any or all of these things. But you can change that. With the medical breakthrough of cataract surgery, you may regain what you took for granted, your eyesight. Dr. Cooperman has literally restored vision to thousands of patients. Dr. Cooperman personally conducts all consultations, does all examinations, surgery, and follow-up visits. Transportation will also be provided on day of surgery if you like. Now get a paper and pencil to write down this important number. The number will restore your vision to you. Area code 213 276-2076. Open Monday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. That number again, 276-2076. Watch this, Grandpa. Beautiful, Scotty. Now see if you can hit my fastball. Everybody dreams about watching their grandchildren grow up. But if you suffer from cataracts, it's only a dream. Now, thanks to Dr. Stephen G. Cooperman, you can have painless cataract and lens implant surgery as an outpatient without hospitalization, 100% covered by Medicare. Dr. Cooperman is a board-certified ophthalmologist. He's a cataract specialist who founded the American Intraocular Implant Society. Call Dr. Cooperman now at his Beverly Hills office to learn more about his operation. 
Dr. Cooperman also uses the latest diagnostic and therapeutic methods in his treatment of glaucoma, diabetes, and other eye diseases. Call 213-276-2076. 276-2076. Good hit, Scotty. Call the Cooperman Eye Center for a free copy of Dr. Cooperman's book, Cataracts and You, 276-2076. See what you've been missing. You feel like you could be in better shape both physically and mentally, but you're not just sure how to do it. Well, we've got the answers for you. I'm Dr. Alan Selner, and on my Weekend Athlete Show, we'll bring you the latest information about exercise, the newest breakthroughs in nutrition, and we'll answer all your questions about sports injuries. Be sure to tune in this afternoon at 1 o'clock here on KABC Talk Radio AM 790. My guest is Henry Tobias. He's got a book out called Music in My Heart and Borscht in My Blood. It should be in the bookstores everywhere, but if it's not, uh, it's published by Hippocrine, uh, Hippocrine Books, Incorporated, 171 Madison Avenue, New York, New York. And you can order it uh, from books and print, or you could write to uh, the publisher. Uh, the, uh, the format of the book is very interesting. Uh, you, you have it laid out in a very unusual way. Well, it took me 15 years. I don't mind telling you. I had this around 15 years trying to, trying to put it together. And, uh, and it was called Borscht in My Blood at first. And uh, it was turned down, I don't mind telling you, for 12 years. Well, my motto was never give up. And I never gave up. And my agent finally arranged for me to meet this gentleman who was looking for a show business book. And he fell for it. And we had to do a lot of editing and cutting and things and stuff, which is very important to a book. Uh, well, for instance, uh, on uh, page 54, Frank Sinatra is the uh, title of the page. Well, I just uh, related a, an incident in Florida. Where I was uh, entertainment director at the Fontainebleau when, when the Rat Pack, incidentally, they're going back on the road. Yeah. Uh, they, they entertained Peter Lawford, Steen Martin. Sammy Davis Jr., who was playing next door, and he would walk in during the shows and break him up <laughs> with with Sinatra. And uh, I, I was MC, but you know, Frank is very fussy. Uh, he didn't know that I was introducing, but the first time he came on, I was backstage, and I said, ladies and gentlemen, this is Henry Tobias welcoming you to the Fonda Blue. And now, and he grabbed me, and he said, don't ever do that again. I just want you to say, ladies and gentlemen, Frank Sinatra. That's it. And he put me straight. Now, I'm in the middle uh, of, of the stage, uh, and he comes out from the left, and I come on from the right. Mm -hmm. So I introduce him on the right, and he never sees me. He doesn't know who's doing the introduction. And it comes the end of his appointments, and he's walking in the lobby with his, his group around him. And he sees me. He says, Henry, what are you doing here? I says, Shmo, I've been introducing you for two weeks. He didn't know it was me. And he always leaves me with Miss You since you went in. I said, I'm still waiting for that song to be recorded. Uh, on page 59, you have Elvis Presley. Well, Presley, uh, I had the opportunity and the pleasure of meeting him in 1945 when the war was over. Presley came out of the war. At that time, uh, when he was drafted or enlisted, yeah. the war ended. Was it, was it? No, it was after the war. He did. He, he came back and he came did his back first from his concert service at the in 19, Hotel. 1961. When did he come back? 1961. Well, I got the date wrong. I'm sorry, uh, but he came back into Fontainebleau when I was mm -hmm. MC there, and Sinatra uh, had him on the show, and uh, I. Uh, 
uh, I was told by my boss, Benny Novak, I said, I want you to go up and tell Colonel Parker, Presley's manager, to give me a hundred tickets because he's been giving all the tickets to the teenagers, you know, mm -hmm. a thousand people. He said, I'm giving him all this room for nothing. I'm giving him the, the facilities. At least I want to get a hundred tickets for my guests. So I went upstairs to the roof, rang the bell, and as I got out, Three guys grabbed me and frisked me just like Secret Service men and made me feel like a criminal. And I said, what's this all about? He said, well, we've got to make sure uh, you, you're going to see Presley. I said, no, I just want to see Parker. I'm, I'm the entertainment director here at the Fontainebleau, and Ben Novak, the owner, asked me to come up to get 100 tickets. Well, they put me to such a sweat that you'd think I was going to see the President of the United States and finally walked into a bedroom, and there are two friends of mine from the music business who are associated with Presley, Paul Case and Beanstalk, who's become a big power in England. And they're laughing. I said, what's the laugh about? He says, well, Colonel thought he'd play a joke on you. When you got up, he wanted to show you how he protects his boys. <laughs> and they gave me the works. And that's how I met Presley. Later on, they introduced me to him. A beautiful guy. Very, very polite gentleman. Everything was Mr. And I, I, I had pleasure meeting him. All right, let's go to Salt Lake City and Frank. Good morning, Frank. You're on with Henry Tobias. Good morning, Ray and Henry. Good morning. Good morning, sir. Um, I guess it was around the late 40s I first heard of uh, David Rose when he was the orchestra leader on the Red Skeleton radio program. Yes, sir. Then around 1962, he and his band came out with a tune called The Stripper, and I used to listen to that on the jukebox quite a bit on my way to work in San Francisco. And uh, I just heard recently that he wrote that tune, and I was wondering if you could give me a little background on David Rose. Well, David Rose lives in a valley now. I meet him often at the uh, Pioneer Pacific uh, dinners, and he has a, a hobby, uh, trains. He has little toy trains he rides around with and has the kids ride in. He wrote the original... Uh, Please uh, don't call them toy trains. He'll disown No, no I don't mean that. <laughs> the real, real trains. Yes, are. they are. But what was the famous song he wrote for Skelton? The famous... Uh, Holiday for Strings. Holiday for Strings. And he's a beautiful man, a great musician, and... Uh, I had him on the show around. here. I had him on the show. He's written so many great things. Yeah, well, I don't know his catalog. Manhattan Square Dance. Uh, I don't know his catalog. He's Serenade for a Lemonade, 4.20 a.m., One Love. Yeah. Uh, we could, you know, Our Waltz. It just goes on and on. And he feels very badly that, that uh, people are going to remember him for the stripper, which was the biggest hit I, he ever had. I didn't know the stripper. I don't know it. Isn't that strange? Well, you, I, I, you He probably was out here on the West Coast, and yeah. I was in the East Coast. Harry must know it. No, anyway, I wasn't familiar. But sorry you missed the show with uh, with uh, David Rose, Frank, because he talked about that. Oh, did he? Yeah. Well, when did he write it? What year about it? It was in the early 60s. Was it? Yeah. And it, it was something that uh, I think it came out of a, a TV show or a movie, and he, he just uh, wanted the bump and grind, and he says something like this, and it just happened that way. Well, did he write it as part of a score for a movie or something? No, no. They just wanted something. Uh, I, I think it was a, a scene in a movie. And uh, they wanted something uh, to depict it, and that's the way it, you know, he, there was no effort in, in putting it together. It was just a little... Like Frank Duvall did, yeah. but if I had my life, he needed yeah. an old corny melody. Yeah. He didn't know it was mine. He just put it in, <laughs> and he wrote, if I had my life to live over. Well, were David and Billy Rose related? No, no relation whatsoever. Hmm. No, I'm sure of that. Okay, well, thank you very much. Thank right, you for thank calling. thank you. And let's say hello to Ruth. Good morning, Ruth. Good morning, Ray. And I want to thank you so much for your program of having uh, this, uh, giving me the privilege of talking to your guest. And thank you. Henry. Uh, I, you stirred up a lot of memories as far as I'm concerned. Uh, 
I don't know. Did you know Joe McCarthy at all? Yes, I met him uh, with Tierney, his partner. Uh, they they wrote "I Love You," the first song that I right. remember when I was young and started. It was Frank Tierney. It was Tierney and and, and McCarthy, yeah. right? And also he he wrote was a uh, he was the lyric. He wrote the lyrics. That's right. And he uh, wasn't that Harry Tierney, his partner? Yes, and also Ray Henderson. Right. And I'm, we knew Jimmy Monaco through him, and he come. Oh, Jimmy was a beautiful man. I knew him, and see, my brothers worked with him, so I, I got to meet them when I was young and out of high school and, and started in the music business. I got to meet Jimmy Monaco. Yeah, he, we were there when he wrote Pocket Full of Dreams. No fool. Yeah, he had. The, he was fooling around the piano, and the sad part was that uh, about that time, uh, Joe was uh, wasn't expected to live. And we took turns going up and sitting on his bedside, he uh, talking to him before he died. Didn't Jimmy Monaco write "You Made Me Love You"? Who, 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 did he write that? I can't remember. Because Milton Berle mentions in his book about songwriters, and I thought he mentioned Jimmy Monaco. I know Jimmy was also one of these hard-working songwriters who wrote middle parts and spent time on it. He never was satisfied with the easy way out like I was. No. I, I wrote them as they come, and I went. And also the. Uh, 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 Irving Berlin, my, who was a friend of our family's, uh, he used to write, he wrote most of his songs in Joe's place. He, he had a place up in Upper State, New York, his ranch. Is that right? Well, Joe, well, Milton, you know, Irving Berlin had a, a had a home in, in the Catskill Mountains oh. and gave me an endorsement of my book, incidentally. And, and you know, it, he was Harry's inspiration and friend. And every year, Harry sends him a wire. And last year, he says, you blessed America with God bless America so may God bless you for many more years and he answered he's a, he's a beautiful man still still keeps in touch alright Ruth thank you very much for the call and uh, Henry Tobias uh, you're you're the last of a generation of uh, Tin Pan Alley folk uh, songwriters I suppose there's just nobody else coming along and uh, once all of you folks have gone I don't know what we're going to do I really don't know I, That's I really one question that. is hard to answer. It really is. Ray, it's hard to answer. All I do is I miss, I miss those days terribly, and I, I do have some regrets. I say at the finish, I regret that I didn't spend more time writing songs so I could have had a little bigger catalog. My guest, Henry Tobias. I'm Ray Bream, and this is KBC Talk Radio AM 790. All right, uh, we have Alex on the phone for a final call. Go ahead, Alex. Alex? Thank you very much. Uh, Mr. Tobias. Yes, sir. Very, very dear close friend of mine is a mutual friend of ours, Frank Kelton. Oh, God bless him. Yes, he was a good friend of all of us. He was a professional manager with Southern Music and many publishing firms. Uh, His wife is still around, right? Yes, she is. I know. He married Shapiro Bernstein, Bernstein's daughter first, and that didn't work out. Then he married uh, the daughter, the, the, the wife of the famous uh, uh, Nashville singer. What's his name? Red what? Red Foley. Red Foley, that's right. Yeah. And and we knew Frank very well, and his wife is still around and is friendly to Harry. She's still around, yeah. She is. Yes, she is. She is, yes. She comes from Nashville. Your friend of mine would tell me about all some of the big people and all of these mentioned the Tobias brother. Well, I'm glad there's a few of us around left. Indeed. And, <laughs> Alex, thank you very much. And Henry Tobias, thank you for being with us. Thanks for writing some of those great songs. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And look, keep it up. Ray, you know, we need we need some more. Ray, I don't know how to thank you. I've been uh, I've been on radio and television all my life throughout the country. I never had an opportunity to sit down for three hours and sit down with a man like you who loves the music and is so easy to talk to and understands what happened in the old days. I hope there's more like you who'll buy this book because it'll bring back memories to those a little uh, a little older. Thank you, Henry. Thank music you in my heart and, and so borscht in my blood by Henry Tobias. God bless, Henry. We'll see you next hour, and we'll talk about the court throwing out the independent counsel law. This is Talk Radio. I'm Ray Brain. KABC, Talk Radio 790. of fatherless boys and girls here in the Los Angeles area who need your help, companionship, and love to lead them into proud, successful, productive teenage and adult lives. That's why this year the Catholic Big Brothers Agency and the Jewish Big Brothers Organization are joining in one appeal with one goal, to ask for a small investment of your free hours to change a lifetime for these youngsters. Just sharing a few hours every week with a little brother or little sister can help give them a healthy, fresh outlook and the realization that life can work and dreams can come true. Telephone the Catholic and Jewish Big Brothers Appeal at 213-653-3630. Call today. Be a big man. Become a big brother. KABC Los Angeles, Talk Radio 790, the voice of Southern California. From ABC News, I'm Harley Carnes. A couple of diesel fuel tanker trains collided overnight in East Los Angeles. The collision killed one man and caused a raging fire. The one train uh, was running uh, between Barstow, California and Los Angeles. That's coming toward Los Angeles. And it uh, ran into another train that was switching cars in the uh, city of Pico Rivera, which is near downtown Los Angeles. Tom Buckley is a spokesman for the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe Railroad. By the time the fire was contained, it had destroyed a church and a restaurant near the tracks. That fire is out now, and it'll take a while to clear the tracks. We'll have more news after this. Okay, we got time to get a radio show. We're not but the first night of. S. Escape open edit combo escape desktop folder view list view F FS F Fibber McF Friday night show enter Friday night first nighter enter shelf radio shows enter shelf first nighter three nine one zero first nighter four one zero three two five zero five zero two love and Gazaza first nighter four three one two two six zero six zero two little town of Bethlehem repeat first nighter four four zero three two nine zero six one five the Chinese first nighter four four zero five zero three zero zero four mother's angel children Barbara Luddy and Willard Waterman unloading jock cancel button okay enter radio shows items view multi
Schneider program, a copyrighted feature, Coast to Coast, presented by Campana, the makers of Solitaire, the new cake makeup, and Campana Bomb, the famous hand lotion. Theater Time, Broadway, and another premiere is scheduled for the little theater off Times Square. If you're a lucky ticket holder, you're due for one of the most exciting experiences in Theaterland, an opening night performance of a brand new play. This is the occasion that will bring out dramatic critics, movie scouts, and of course, a packed house, so we'd better be on our way. It's just a short walk around the corner. Will you join me? Broadway and 42nd Street. The sidewalks are jammed to not your theater goers. And up ahead is the little theater off Times Square. Well, here we are at the Little Theater off Times Square. Have your tickets ready, please. Have your tickets ready, please. Good evening, Mr. Persnader. The usher will show you to your box. Thank you. We'll go right in. Now that we're comfortably seated, let's have a look at the program. Tonight's brand new play is entitled Mother's Angel Children by Anthony Wayne. Barbara Luddy, our popular leading lady, tops the all-star cast. And opposite Miss Luddy is her guest leading man, Willard Waterman. The play is pure fiction, of course, and does not refer to real people or to actual events. Now, just before First Curtain, let's listen to Eric Sagerquist and his famous First Nighter Orchestra. machine gun bullets in a line 18 inches above the ground. Any part of you that sticks up higher than that will have a slice taken off it. Okay. Start crawling. Major Bob, I made it. I made it. <laughs> a boy, Neville. Me too, Major Bob. Yes, good work, sir. You're a fine pair of commandos. We're rangers. Oh, but rangers are American. The British have commandos. I don't care. We're rangers. Say, what's going on? Just because you've been over here four years, you mustn't forget your own country. But I want to be an American like you, Major Bob. Me too. <laughs> I think I'll have to speak to Grandma Davis. I, I don't believe Mr. Churchill would approve of the way she's raising you. If it hadn't been for America, there wouldn't be any Mr. Churchill. His mother was an American. Hmm, perhaps so. Oh, come on, I've got to be getting back to the house. I'm due at Mitchell Field in two hours. Look who's in front of the house. Well, it's Cynthia. Say, maybe I'll get a lift out to the field. Hi there, Cynthia. Hello, Bob, dear. Oh, and how's that dear little Sarah and her handsome brother Neville, hmm? I'm fine, thank you, Miss Cynthia. Me too, thank you. <laughs> I thought I might be going your way, Major Davis. <laughs> Anywhere near Mitchell Field? Why, right by their front door. <laughs> oh, lucky me. I'll get my things and be right out. You like Major Bob, don't you? <laughs> Why, yes, I think he's very nice. You plan to marry him? Well, no, it's uh, just a little previous. Besides, it's for the man to decide. That's what they say. 
But when it comes to marrying, I've decided that men are just putty in women's hands. <laughs> oh, Neville, I'm afraid you've been watching some she-wolves in action. <laughs> uh, already. Oh, well, hop in. Now, you mind your P's and Q's, children. Do as Grandma tells you. I'll be seeing you next weekend. Goodbye, Major Bob. Bye. Grandma Davis? Yes? What's eating you? Grandma Davis, do you like Miss Cynthia? Why? Major Bob likes her, I think. Yeah, he likes ketchup on grapefruit, too. Well, if he likes her, I ought to like her, too. But I don't. And don't let it keep you awake, lad. Strictly off the record, I think she's a little twerp. Me, too. Good. But now sit down, both of you. I have some important news for you. Your mother sent you over here nearly four years ago, you know, so you'd be safe from the bombing in London. Yes. That probably was the hardest thing a mother could do, part with her children. She's missed you. He'd missed her, too. Yes, I know, son. But she didn't want to bring you back until everything was safe in England again for children. You mean we're going back? Better than that. Your mother's coming over for you. Mommy's coming here? She's coming to America? If all goes well, she'll be right here with us in four days. Sarah, did you hear that? Mother's coming. Oh, goody. <laughs> she was lucky enough to get passage on the clipper. So she'll be flying across the ocean. Gosh, the lucky stiff. I can hardly wait. Yeah, we'll keep her here for a good visit before she takes you back to England. Back to England? Yeah, you shouldn't go before your school term is up. No. But we'll all plan to meet her at the airport Thursday. It stopped. There go the steps. When do we see Mommy? Come on, we're going out there if we have to rush this gate. Neville, Sarah, hello. Hello, hello. Mother. Neville, oh, Mother's little boy. Oh, grown to be such a big boy. And my baby, Sarah. If you aren't a baby any longer, you're becoming a young lady. Oh, I want to squeeze you to death. Hello, Margaret, darling. Granny Davis. Give me a kiss. <laughs> now, if I can just find a handkerchief to blow my nose, it'll be all right. How'd you like your trip on the plane, Mother? Well, it was thrilling, Neville. But I wish you could have been along... I remember how you've always loved airplanes. I still do. Me too. Oh, do you, dear? Well, I'm sorry, but I'm afraid we'll all be going back by boat. Is it all arranged, Mother? Well, you can forget it if it is, because you're not going for a while. What do you mean? You're going to have a good rest, some real food, and a little fun at my house first. <laughs> What a little man you've grown to be, Neville. You put yourself to bed and managed so wonderfully. You forgot I've grown quite a bit since you saw me. No, I don't, darling. I've grown every day, every minute with you. I don't know how much Mother missed her, big boy. I missed you too, Mother. Your daddy would be proud of you, Neville. He was killed in France, wasn't he? Yes. He died early in the war. Was the Blitz over England very horrible, Mother? Well, I'm glad you and Sarah were on this side of the water. You're a stout fellow. Thank you, Neville. I like that. Makes me feel warm all over. Good night, dear. Good night, Mother, dear. All in bed, Sarah? Uh-huh. Oh, 
you don't know how happy Mommy is to be tucking her own little girl into bed again. I'm very happy you're here. So am I. And we'll never be separated again. You, Neville, and I. Ever. You'll like America. We do. I'm sure I shall. Mommy. Yes? I think you're very pretty. <laughs> now, whatever made you say that, Sarah? But I do. I guess I just forgot how pretty you are. Flatterer. But I love it. Now, to sleep with you, darling. Good night. Night. talk to you. What about? About Mother. Isn't she nice? Sure. And I've been thinking. What? Well, she's all alone, isn't she? She has us. No, I mean she hasn't got a husband. Hmm. Maybe she don't want one. She ought to have one. She's young and pretty. Yes. She ought to marry someone like Major Bob. Wouldn't that be swell, Neville? See? Then he'd be our father. I like that. Let's tell her. No. We gotta be secret like Indians. Cause Major Bob likes Miss Cynthia. Oh, her. We gotta liquidate her first. What does that mean? Liquidate her. Fix it so Major Bob won't like her anymore. Then we fix it so he marries mother. But how can we do that, Neville? Now I got a plan. Listen. <laughs> Act of tonight's play in the little theater off Times Square. Open in the outer lobby or downstairs, please. That lovely melody was inspired by a girl named Sylvia. Sylvia, whose face is so beautiful, it drifts through dreams. Smooth and adorable dream complexions, lovely enough to inspire instant admiration, are coming true from Hollywood to New York and right across the country, thanks to Solitaire, Campana's new cake makeup containing lanolin. So why don't you step out with a Solitaire complexion? Thrill to its even smoothness, its flattering natural color tones. You'll welcome its dewy, fresh softness of texture and the clever way it helps to hide small skin blemishes. Yes, indeed, you'll love Solitaire, and others will love it on you. See for yourself how kind Solitaire is to your skin because of its lanolin-rich base. Lanolin, you know, helps prevent skin dryness. And listen, these busy days, are you always in a hurry? Well, then you'll adore the way Solitaire sponges on in a jiffy, stays smooth and even for hours and hours without retouching. It helps you look prettier longer. And let me impress you with this fact. Solitaire gives you one of the largest compacts of high-quality cake makeup on the market today for only 60 cents. Step up to your favorite cosmetic counter and insist on Solitaire in any one of six flattering shades. Sarah. Mother! Maybe she's in the living room. Your mother's not here, children. 
It's Miss Cynthia. Yes. The time has come, Sarah. Let, let her have it. Hello, Miss Cynthia. Hello, Neville. And how are you, Sarah, dear? Very well, thank you. Where's Major Bob? Oh, he's changing his clothes. He'll be down in a minute. Oh. I haven't seen your mother. What do you have there, marble? Yes. Miss Cynthia, don't you think my mommy's pretty? Oh, yes, I do, Sarah. I think she's lovely. That's what Major Bob said. She's so young and... He did? Yes, and a lot more, too. Really? Well, he said he liked her better than you. Oh? But he said you hung on to him like a bloodsucker and he didn't know how to shake you. Now, just a minute. This is a little too thick. What about it, Sarah? That's what he said. I don't believe a word of it. He said mother's the kind of girl he'd like to marry. So that's what's behind it all. He thinks you're a big twerp. No, Neville. A little one. Why, you impudent little... Listen to me, you little brat. I'll have you deported. I'll have you turned in as aliens if you hey, dare... What kind of talk is that? What's going on here? Bob, these children have been positively rude. Well, I don't see any reason for you to... Oh, wait till I answer that phone. Look, Sarah, I can put both these marbles in my mouth. Be careful. You might swallow them. <coughs> What's <coughs> Neville? What's the matter? Hold <laughs> a marble. It's stuck in his throat. Get him on his back. Yes. Uh, that's it. Yes. Now turn him upside down and slap his back. Come here, Neville. <laughs> now I've got your feet over the chair. Get it out, you little demon. I think this is disgraceful, Cynthia. What do you mean? For you to lose your temper to such an extent you'd beat a child, it, it's barbaric. So, it's barbaric, is it? Well, maybe they were rude, but they're only children. You might attempt to control yourself. And you might stick your head in a mud puddle. You and these brats and the, the lovely Mrs. Boswell. Well, well, why do you bring their mother into this? I didn't bring her in. She came in on re reverse lend-lease, and she's plenty reversed as far as I'm concerned. That's a fine way for a lady to talk. Who said I'm a lady? I mean, of course I'm a lady. Uh, but one thing, Major Bob Davis, I'm not going to fight the Battle of Britain all over again. Goodbye. Uh, Cynthia, wait. Oh, go on, then. She did. <laughs> Women. They're the root of all trouble. Pretty roots, though, don't you think, Major Bob? Well, I hope I never see another one again. Hello, everyone. You didn't get your hope, Major Bob. Uh, no. Hello, Margaret. Hello, Mother. Is something wrong? Wrong? What could be wrong? Well, Cynthia just whizzed by me, spurting flames like a spitfire. You're lucky she didn't dive on you. <laughs> when I said hello, she responded with a peculiar noise that I think was meant to be unpleasant. Does it sound like this, Mother? <laughs> That's it? Whatever does it mean? In a nutshell, Mother. Nuts to you. It's called a bronx cheer. Oh, I didn't realize she was cheering me. Hello, everybody. Where's what's-her-name? Who? You know, thingamabob. Oh, you mean... You mean Cynthia? She took a powder. Oh. Um, look, Margaret. Uh, I have two tickets for that new show, The Voice of the Parrot. Uh, why not join me, and we'll go in town tonight and see it. Hmm? That dirty show, it's not fit for a lady to see. By the way, you got an extra ticket? <laughs> Granny, you're incorrigible. <laughs> well, how about it, Margaret? I'd love to, Bob, but really, I shouldn't leave the children here alone. Alone? What do I look like? Banquo's ghost? Uh, never mind. Maybe I do. But I don't think it's fair to ask you Stuff to... for nonsense. If that tightwad son of mine makes you an offer, 
Take him up. Hey, now, Granny. <laughs> Very well, I'll go. Thank you, Bob. Mother? Yes, Nero? What makes people fall in love? <laughs> That's a very difficult question to answer, Nero. Well, suppose you wanted two people to fall in love. How could you make them? <laughs> Darling, don't tell me you fancy yourself as Cupid. Of course not. Cupid's just a little kid that goes around with no clothes on. <laughs> Actually, I've never been very good at matchmaking. One usually tries to arrange for the two people to be thrown together a lot, I believe. But what if nothing happens? I really don't know. Uh, they say that jealousy sometimes acts as a spark to love. Jealousy, huh? This is a very deep subject for a little boy. Why not bother yourself with marbles or cricket and let romance wait until you're older? Yeah, maybe I'd better. Uh, by the way, you noticed how much Major Bob hangs around you when he's here? Oh, he's just being nice because I'm a guest here. Oh, yeah? Major Bob is a gentleman. Even if he is, he likes you. Neville, your imagination is positively running away with you. His imagination when he tells me so? Oh, did he? Certainly. Well... Children, what's cooking? Fried chicken. For dinner. <laughs> Where's my, uh, your mother? Over next door at Mr. Bancroft's. At Bancroft's? Oh, he's been seeing a lot of mother lately. That weak need draft dodger? Mother thinks he's nice. She does, huh? Yeah, and he's taking quite a shine to mother. Oh, it's incredible. I thought your mother had better taste. He's very wealthy, too. Now, never mind. Don't tell me anymore. <laughs> what do you kids think of him? Us? I don't like him. Me too. I just hope Mother doesn't marry him. But we want her to be happy. Hey, wait a minute. Here comes your mother across the lawn now. Uh, you kids duck. I want to talk to her alone. Okay, Major Bob. We won't listen. Hello, Bob. Just get in? Yes. Been visiting our attractive neighbor? Tom Bancroft? Yes. You know, I'm fascinated with him. He's growing orchids. Mm, lovely. Where's he growing them? In his hair? Well, that's an odd thing to say, Bob. Been seeing quite a bit of this Bancroft, haven't you? No, just occasionally. Charming moron, isn't he? <laughs> I... Bob, it isn't possible. You're not jealous. Who's jealous? Why should I be jealous? <laughs> Me, jealous. Perhaps I was mistaken. Uh, perhaps I was, too. I gave you credit for better judgment than a guy like Bancroft. Who, for instance? Well, all right. Me. I might be in love with you. Isn't this rather sudden? Not more so than Bancroft. Of course, he's got plenty of spare time and plenty of dough. I'm just on army pay. That's a rather ugly thing to say, Bob. Well, it's true. A couple of millions isn't to be sneezed at. But you might think of your children. You suppose they want Bancroft for a father? Think of my children. Do you suppose I let them leave me for four years because I liked it? Well, they don't like him. They have nothing to worry about. I barely know Tom Bancroft. I've tried to be pleasant because he's your neighbor. Am I supposed to believe that? Whether you do or not is a matter of complete indifference to me. But it's rather obvious that I've already overstayed my welcome here. Oh, now, wait a minute. Please, Margaret. I didn't mean... Let's forget it. But the children and I will be leaving just as soon as I can book passage. And 
down on the second act of tonight's play in the little theater off Times Square. Looking downstairs or in the outer lobby, please. Many of you ladies have been asking a question that I would like to answer. The question is, how can I keep my hands soft and smooth regardless of the extra work I'm doing? All right, here's the answer. Replace the natural oils your skin loses with lanolin. You see, when your skin loses its natural oils due to hard work, exposure, and frequent washing, it becomes dry and parched looking. The softness and smoothness is gone. So the answer is, keep your skin supplied with a substance which scientists say most nearly duplicates the functions of the natural oils of the skin. And that substance is lanolin. And lanolin is contained in Campana Cream Balm. So when your hands lose their natural oils and become dry and unlovely, turn first to Campana Cream Balm containing lanolin. Now keep in mind that Campana Cream Balm contains lanolin, in addition to all its other skin-softening ingredients. And you'll understand why this new lotion with lanolin is growing in popularity daily. Campana Cream Balm is lusciously creamy, instantly soothing, delightfully fragrant, and completely free of after-use stickiness. So don't let your hands lose their appeal to romance. Ask for Campana Cream Balm in the yellow and white carton. If your hands are extra sensitive and extra dry from spring house cleaning duties, you may prefer Campana's other lotion, original Campana Balm in the green and white carton, an extra rich, concentrated lotion for extra busy hands. Come downstairs, Mother. Oh, I have some mending to do, and I'm more comfortable up here in the bedroom. Maybe you don't want to see Major Bob, either. Why do you say that? I heard him telling Granny that he acted like a heel. He said that? Uh-huh. He seemed awfully unhappy. Well, he acted very badly, indeed. Are you mad at him, Mother? Now, Neville, you mustn't bother yourself about this. We'll be leaving for home shortly, and I shall be glad to get back to England. This kind of seems like home to me. Yes, you've become quite Americanized. That's only natural after four years. Mother. Yes? Are you in love with Mr. Bancroft? <laughs> Darling, I'm not in love with anyone except my own little Sarah and Neville. Not with anyone? Not with anyone. I go along and play. My, but you're an old worrier. I haven't been busy for 20 years. Could I talk to you? Why not? Man to man? Me too. Sit down. You interest me strangely. Sit here, Sarah. Now, why are the brows all furrowed with care? Granny, I'm a dope. Is that all? We spoiled everything. Sarah and I wanted Mother and Major Bob to fall in love and get married. Then Major Bob would be our father. We'd be Americans and wouldn't have to go back. Well, so far, so good. Of course, first of all, we had to get Major Bob out of love with Miss Cynthia. So we liquidated her. 
Why, you infamous, depraved, ruthless little rapscallions. <laughs> nice word. <laughs> but Major Bob didn't fall in love with Mother then, so we decided to make him jealous. Go on. Well, you know the rest. He got so jealous, he got mad. Made Mother mad. Now they won't speak to each other. They've been mad for three weeks. Yes, yes, I'd say you lost things up in good shape. It's all my fault, too. What can we do, Granny? Everything would be fine if they just get married. Well, let me put my thinking cap on. See if I can unravel this. Yoo-hoo! Anybody home? Oh, gosh, it's Miss Cynthia. Come in. Oh, hello, Mrs. Davis. And there's those two darling children. Hello, Miss Cynthia. Hello. Bob isn't here. Oh, too bad. I did want to see him. You're not mad at us? Mad at you? Why, Neville, I love you dearly. If it hadn't been for you, I'd still be going with Bob and would never have met Tom. Oh? Who's this lucky fellow, Tom? Tom Bancroft. Hadn't heard. We're being married next week. <laughs> Imagine me with all that money. I won't know what to do with it. Mm, I don't suppose so. <laughs> well, tell Bob, won't you? And the children's mother. Oh, I'm as happy as a bird. Goodbye. Goodbye. A bird, huh? Probably a vulture. Neville, everything's gone backwards. She's getting married instead of mother. Yeah, I'm a fine Cupid. Listen here. I think I've got a plan. You go out and play. And I'll call you when I have it all ready. <laughs> Mother? Well, I haven't seen you since lunch. Well, are we late for dinner? No, no, it's only 5.30. Where have you been? Oh, Margaret and I took a little walk. Margaret and you? Mm-hmm. I thought you two were glaring at each other. No, not anymore. We patched all that up. Well, I'm glad of that. You know, I think she's the most wonderful girl in the world, Mother. You certainly run from cold to hot in a hurry. As a matter of fact, I want to talk to you about her. Yes? I don't believe you're going to approve, but... Bob! Bob! Oh, what's the matter, Margaret? Oh, Bob, the children. They've run away. Run away? Look at this note. We we wanted you and Major Bob to get married so he would be our father. <laughs> Margaret, do you hear that? Yes, but read on. But you're mad at each other, and we don't want to go back to England, so we're going west. Goodbye, Neville and Sarah. Oh, we've got to find them, Bob. Perhaps something's happened to well, they them. they can't be very far. Oh, and to think I... I was afraid to tell them. Tell them what? That Bob and I were married last week. You were married? I'm sorry, Mother. I was going to tell you. Well, I was afraid the children might not understand or approve of my marrying again. Here I... you Sarah. Oh, my darlings. You and Major Bob are really married? Yes, really, dear. We didn't run away. Oh, I'm so glad you didn't. Yes, but why did you leave the note saying you were? You wanted to, uh, we wanted you to get married, and Granny thought that that might bring you to your senses. Oh, Granny. No, huh? no, no, no. Don't look at me like that. You ought to have married her a month ago. Gosh, yes. We had an awful time getting you two married. <laughs> Margaret, it seems we've been a little slow about things. <laughs> well, kids, looks like you're a couple of Yankees now. How does it feel? Hunky-dory. Boy, I'm right in the groove now. Oh, boy, me too. And the curtain falls on another performance in the little theater off Times Square. Miss Luddy and Mr. Waterman are in front of our footlights. Now our leading lady, Miss Luddy, has a message for you from the government. 
1944 is the year when we carry the war to our enemy. This is when we must throw into the fight everything we've got. So keep in mind every day that paper and cardboard are vital war materials. Save every bit of paper and all kinds of used cardboard boxes. Look in the attic or storeroom. Collect all you can. If you have any trouble getting your waste paper picked up, call the radio station to which you are listening. Before we move out of the theater, let me invite you to be with us again next week at this same time when Barbara Luddy will be starred in an original romance entitled Tall Like a Queen. Now we move out of the theater and into the street. What do you say we stroll down Broadway? Good night, Mr. Fursliner. Good night. The Fursliner program is a copyrighted radio feature. Listen, men. Tomorrow morning, right after you shave, try using Dress Skin, Campana's famous aftershave lotion. Makes your face feel cool, comfortable, refreshed, well-groomed. Yes, sir, Dress Skin, spelled D-R-E-S-K-I-N, is again available in limited quantities. Ask for Dress Skin at any drugstore. This is Mutual. And with that, we'll talk to you later tonight with our special guest, Mary Anderson, here on Yesterday USA. Jaws Professional, Jaws 17 Dialogue, Alt-Tab, Items View, Alt-Tab, Jaws 17, Jaws 7, Alt-Tab, Radio Shows, Radio Show, Alt-F4, Jaws 7, Alt-Tab, Radio Show, Alt-Tab, Soundforge Pro 11, Put Escape, Escape, Enter, Enter, Menu, File A, Leaving Menus, Sound 1 Star, Save as Dialogue, File Name, Sound 1, Edit, S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y, N I G H T three dash two four dash one eight S E C O N D P C D I T eight P A T R I C I A Save as type save by enter Jaws Professional Apple Software Update Dialog List Alt F4 Alt Tab Alt Tab Skype Trademark 33 Walden Alt Page Down Alt Tab Replay Rate Alt Tab Alt Tab Sound Forge Pro 11